Turn camera. Marks. 102, take one. With overlap, action please. Action awesome, please. Just do anything? No, it's a side cut. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Inspired by that same French excellence, it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson... The taste of French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There's a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. Paul Masson's superb taste shouldn't be too surprising. This champagne doesn't come from France, but it was created by a man who did. Paul Masson. Paul Masson will sell no wine before its time. All right, people, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I'm Todd Dandruff with Telus. We are recording live and also broadcasting live from the Rio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. No secret location this time. I'm being upfront about where I am. And uh, there will be secret locations later this summer, but right now it's not a secret. I'm at the Rio. I'm going to be playing at the Rio at 10 a.m. tomorrow, which means this show's not going to go till 3 in the morning. It's not going to, no matter where we are in the agenda, because I have to have sleep, because I have a pretty big situation to deal with in day two of the Big 50 tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I've got to be ready for that. I've got to be well-rested. It's the most important thing here right now. But we're going to do all we can. It's uh, 8.47 p.m. Pacific time. We just started a free roll, which you can... Waltz on into, provided that you qualify for it. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, as it always is. $88 is being given away in honor of my 88th place finish nine years ago. Actually, it's not an honor of that, I'll be honest. Just what we got this week. But uh, $70 came from the Monkey Prince crew. You may say, what is that? What is the Monkey Prince crew? I've never heard of that. Monkey Prince is a slot machine and uh, a crew... Similar to the other crew that uh, donated some money that, uh, I think it was the Golden Egypt crew. I think it was them. It was some other slot machine crew. So we've gotten a second uh, slot machine crew donating money to the free roll, $70. They uh, they beat the Monkey Prince slot machine for a, a good amount of money. And uh, $70 of that money they won from the casino is being now given to you, the listener. So 70 came from the Monkey Prince crew, and $18 came from Bad Guy 23. Yes, Bad Guy 23 gave $18 this week. So that's $88. It'll be 42 for first, 21 for second, 15 for third, 10 for fourth, 
42, 21, 15, and 10 on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It started four minutes ago, but you can still get in with a full stack late, just as I did yesterday in the Big 50. Which I'll tell you that whole story when we get to that segment, which will actually be first. To know the rules to qualify for the free money, yes, there are rules. You need to go to pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. And you will know the rules to qualify for the free money. Ignorance of the rules is not an excuse. If you don't know them, you will not get the free money if you don't qualify. So let's see what else we got here before the agenda. The phone number, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line at 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That's on Mount Charleston. It's a cabin I have there near the top of the mountain. It has an old 70s rotary telephone which forwards to me wherever I go, 702 430 1808. Those are the call-in lines to the show. Please only call when we're in between segments or when I ask for phone calls. Otherwise, I just won't take your call. Calls are kind of a secondary part of the show. I like taking them, but the main parts, the main part of the show is to talk about the items on our agenda and do what we what I have planned. The call to listen line. You can call that at any time if your internet's not very good. Like I'll be honest, if you're at the Rio right now, if you're playing the Big Fifty. Because there is day 1D going on right now. If you're, you're playing day 1Ds, I know some listeners are, and you're trying to listen, if you're trying to stream it, you're probably having freezes and cutouts. It's, it's probably having a hard time streaming because everybody is trying to download or stream something, those thousands and thousands of people in the Rio right now. So the internet sucks in the Rio right now. You're going to have a hard time listening to this show. You may want to call the call to listen line because that will not buffer, that will not pause that will not have issues streaming. It just works. The number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. If that doesn't work for some reason, you can call the alternate phone number. We have two call to listen lines. The second one is at 641-741-1095, 641-741-1095. Those are our two call to listen lines. They function identically, but we have two now in case one breaks down, and you can... Find these numbers if you forget them. They are forgettable. They're not easy numbers. I'll give you that. But you can find them on the radio tab near the top of the screen at PokerFraudAlert.com. Just click on radio. They will be listed there, as will our main phone number, 775-372-8355, which can be used also to text me at any time, before, after, or during the show. Never feel bad about texting me. You want to text me while I'm in an event? Go ahead. You want to text me while I'm sleeping? Go ahead. I will never be bothered by your texts. 775-372-8355, but I may read them on the air unless you ask me at the beginning of the text, please don't read on air, unless it's obvious. But if it's not obvious, make sure to state at the beginning, don't read on air, especially if you send it to me during the show. Here is the agenda tonight. We're going to round up Trey Daruski and then get going. Don't want to waste too much time in the intro because I want to get to our stuff tonight before it's my bedtime. Which is not super early, and to be honest, I got up pretty late today. I stayed up late last night. I had to stay up late because the event finished late, and then I stayed up after that, and I had to go eat, and anyway, I I got up late, so I I probably can't go to sleep that early anyway, but I've got to make myself go to sleep. I can't go to sleep at like 5 a.m. I won't get enough sleep for this event. I want to be alert. So, 
Here's the agenda. We're going to talk about World Series of Poker Week 1, partial Week 1. It hasn't been going for a full week yet, but it's been close. Week 1 news, not a whole lot of variety of topics yet, but some interesting topics have come up nonetheless. Some are personal, some are not. The first thing I'll talk about is the fact that I put a beat down on day one of the World Series of Poker Big 50 event, an event that I really wasn't too excited about and really only played because it was rake-free and in some ways dreaded playing. But now I'm very excited. Now I'm very glad I did. And now this is uh, going to become a highlight of my World Series, hopefully a good highlight. So far it's a good highlight, but it may not end up a good highlight. We'll, we'll see. But anyway, uh, I'm very glad I played it. I really, really did well on day one, even though it didn't start out that way. So I will tell you about my day one at the World Series of Poker. A lot of things happened, good and bad. Ended up good, but a lot of good things happened and bad things happened. A lot of the bad things were not even related to poker play. They were related to other things that were happening yesterday. A lot of weird things. A very weird and surreal day for me yesterday at the World Series of Poker, day one of the Big 50. What's also kind of surreal and was also was definitely not good were the lines that existed for the Big 50. As I predicted, remember I predicted this, horrendous lines due to mismanagement by the World Series, but it was a problem beyond just the lines. They also had to put people in places where poker should not have been played. And I will explain that. I ended up in one of those places. I ended up actually playing poker in a hot warehouse. I'm not saying it was something that was warehouse-like or looked like a warehouse. No, it was a warehouse. I, I played in a warehouse with crates in it. I really did. I'm going to tell you about that and tell you about all the mistakes they made regarding the Big 50. And you know what? If you're one of those people who says, well, it's such a big event. Come on, 20,000 people. How are they going to get it flawless? They've done a great job. This is so hard. Shut up. Shut up. Yes, that's true to some degree, but there were obvious things that happened that they could have avoided, that they knew were going to happen or should have known and did not do anything to prevent. And I will tell you about that. I'm always happy when listeners to the radio show have good fortune. And we had a listener here, longtime listener, who did have some good fortune at the Omaha 8 or Better event, which I also played, and I didn't have very good fortune, but he did. And he cashed, and he ran pretty damn deep. And I'm going to talk a bit about MDJ1980. Michael Juno is his name. He is a listener to the show. I'll talk a bit about his uh, 08 run. And uh, also the fact that a number of listeners to the show played the 08 event for whatever reason. Final World Series topic. I'm going to tell you the sad truth about the bad food options at the Rio. There's really no good food option at the Rio. There are a few ways that the Rio has been exploiting the situation that poker players are here and have to eat. I'll tell you what's the lesser of all the evils. And also tell you about a few things in the area that you may want to walk to if you want to get something else. You're not stuck at the Rio. You, you can go elsewhere even without a car. Daniel Negreanu had a pretty active week, and I'm not even talking about getting married. I guess he got married. It's a pretty big story. We talked about that last week. We, In fact, I got criticism. I spent too long talking about his wedding. So as an act of contrition, I won't talk about his wedding this week. But I'll tell you what I will talk about. He got fired or non-renewed from PokerStars. His zero markup WSOP package, which was yeah, a pretty good opportunity for people to buy Negreanu, of all people, at no markup, 
Uh, it suffered an embarrassing technical failure, resulting in way too many pieces being sold to where he ended up accidentally selling a few hundred percent of himself. And he's already made a final table at a 10K event. <laughs> We've barely gotten going, and the ground has already made a final table. Anyone who says, oh, you know, the poker's passed him by, he's not uh, good anymore by today's standards, it's not true. He's, he's still an excellent player. Got to give him credit for that. So we'll talk about Daniel Negreanu's very weird and active week. Jamie Stapler, who has a lot of poker videos on YouTube, found that over 100 of them were abruptly missing. YouTube removed them. And other poker videos by other people have been disappearing. I'll tell you why that's happening and what might be the future for poker videos on YouTube. going to give you an update on Oregon poker player Talon White, who got pretty deep, I think like 14th place in the 10K08 event, which I actually played last year. I don't know if I played him or not, but Talon White, who got very deep in that event, he's being charged with video piracy. I told you about this on a previous show. I'm going to give you an update to that story. We were the, I believe, the first poker media to out his name. We weren't the first to find the story, but the... Like, Flesh Draw wasn't outing his name at the time out of courtesy. I said, screw courtesy, I'm outing his name. <laughs> so I outed his name. Uh, now everybody's outing his name. So we'll talk about uh, an update on Talon White. Two gamblers who lost collectively $250,000 approximately at the Sugar House Casino in Pennsylvania is suing the casino. You may say store losers, probably, but they're claiming that they lost because of the faulty decks and shufflers there which have actually been proven. We'll talk a bit about that case. A rapper named Meek Mill, I'll admit I didn't know who he was, I'm not a fan of rap, as you might guess, but he claims that the Cosmopolitan Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas kicked him out and would not let him come back because he's black. Do you believe that? We're going to talk about uh, the Meek Mill situation at the Cosmopolitan. Finally, Party Poker has forced everyone, I'm not sure if they have, I think they're about to, Party Poker, I think, is about to force everybody to change their screen name to combat data mining. We'll talk about that and whether it's a good idea what they're doing. That is our agenda tonight. If we take too much time on anything and don't get to the end topics, then they will have to be tabled for next week. Free roll, you still have a chance to get in until 9.10 p.m. After 9.10, that's it. You're shut out. And let's see here. Let's see if everything's running okay with the free roll. I'm always paranoid that like, things aren't working right when I'm on the road. Uh, let's see. Tournament is running. And yeah, we've only got uh, 26 players registered so far. So a good opportunity to win. We give away four, four places here out of the 26 registrants. So you still got another uh, 10 minutes to get in there. Pretty small field today because the show was announced at the last minute. Why? Because I've got to fit this in with my schedule. And this is the day I can do it. You may wonder, when am I on next? And I I think to answer that before I do anything further, to answer that, what I'm going to do is tell you about the upcoming radio schedule. And this is already posted on the Poker Fraud Alert Flying Stupidity Forum. Just go there and it's, it's stuck near the top. It's a sticky, so it's always stuck near the top of the list of the topics in the Flying Stupidity Forum. So you can find it there. It says Radio Schedule May, June, July 2019. 
So this right now is the makeup show for May 29th, which we scheduled to not take place. So this is the makeup May 29th show. The June 5th show is not going to happen because that's three days from now. I'm not doing another show on June 5th. Hopefully I'll still be in the Big 50 on the June 5th. But uh, whether I am or not, um, I'm going to be playing something on June 5th because June 5th is also the night I have the satellite to the 08 event scheduled. So either way, I'm playing something June 5th, and I'm also playing June 6th. So the next show, and I'm also playing June 7th or 8th. So the next show will either be on June 8th, or we won't have a show that week. We may not be on again until June 12th. June 12th is the next scheduled show. I'll see if I can squeeze one in in between. If I can't, then I can't. Otherwise, we'll be on Wednesday, June 12th. Possible that'll be delayed, but there, there will be a show either on Wednesday or Thursday that week, either June 12th or 13th. June 19th, we should be on as scheduled, Wednesday night, around 8.15 p.m. June 26th, if I don't make late day two of the PLO8 event, then there will be a show on June 26th. Otherwise, there will not be. And then we may not have a show that week at all because I'm playing a lot of events that week. That's my only free day. July 3rd, there should be a show one day till July 11th. And then uh, July 17th, 24th, and 20th, uh, 24th and 31st, uh, those should be normally on as scheduled. So that's, that's the way it works. So in the immediate future, you may not hear another show for 10 days, but then again, you may. How you find out, you go to twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert. And whenever I have an update, I will post it. Sometimes it'll be the last minute. Sometimes I'll go, hey, look, I have some time today. I'll do a show. That's how it is during the World Series of Poker. It's because I'm a World Series of Poker player. It's because the events I play take the priority. And then also, because I'm spending so much time playing World Series of Poker events, then also I, I have other responsibilities that get pushed back to other times and also have to take priority over the radio. So I, I squeeze this in when I can. I, I could just shut this down for seven weeks. But as someone actually posted in today's radio thread, they think the, the World Series of Poker shows are some of the best ones I do. So I, there's a lot to talk about during the World Series. And I don't want to miss that opportunity. Especially because I, I experience a lot of these things personally. I'm not just reporting on it from afar. I, I'm experiencing these as a player and then talking about it here. I've always said I, ha- I have a unique perspective because I function as both poker media and a poker player. And there's a few others. I'm not the only one, but that's, that's really how I function here. And uh, I kind of look at everything from both angles. So, okay, let's get going here. But before we get going, I've got to turn on Skype. I knew I was forgetting something. I forgot to turn on Skype. We're going to try to locate Traderuski on Skype. Which Now, hopefully Traderuski will sound okay because to connect to him, I actually have to download. That's, that's the way it works. When I'm getting his voice, that's downloading. When I'm sending to the radio my voice, then it's uploading. We'll see if we can reach him. Trader Ruski. Hello. How's it going? Well, I'm glad to have you here. And glad to be doing radio glad here. To be here. Great one yesterday. 
Thank you. Well, since you're here. I, yeah, I figure if you take it down, I'll, we'll be free rolling on the backers, right? Well, no, the, the backers don't have any piece of this one, actually. What? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you guys may be wondering, I've said it before, but I'm going to repeat it since it's relevant here. Why don't the backers, what, when I sold these two packages, how come you guys don't have a piece of this? Is it because uh, I thought this was going to be an easier event and I want to have 100% of myself? No. If that was my thinking, I wouldn't sell the 1500 limit hold'em either, but, but I do. The reason that the backers don't have a piece of it is because it's a $500 event, and that's just not very much money to me, and I, I don't want to further dilute that. I don't want to make it uh, from a 500 event to like a 300 event for me. It's just not worth my time to play. So I figure this is small enough to where I don't want to chop up any pieces for anybody else. If it were a bigger buy-in, I would have included it. Like if it were $1,000, it would have been included. But since it's 500 I did not. Same with the 888. I decided not to include that either. Anything under $1,000, i have decided I'm not selling anymore. So that's why this is not part of the package. And uh, you know, if I happen to win the whole thing for uh, a lot of money, then good for me and unfortunate for you guys. <laughs> but uh, that's the way it goes. I, I hope you guys will still root for me who have my package despite that. I, I, I swear the only reason I didn't include it was because it was too small of a buy-in. Uh, I only put in one bullet for this Big 50 event, uh, also called the Big Fofty by many people, including me, in reference to the dispute between Randall Emmett and, uh, and, and 50 Cent, rapper 50 Cent on Twitter, where Randall owed uh, a lot of money to, uh, to, to 50 Cent, and he actually owed... One million dollars. And when he wasn't paying up after some time, then 50 Cent started threatening him, and Randall referred to him as Fofty accidentally. It, it was a typo, but he kept saying, I'm sorry, Fofty, Fofty this, Fofty. I don't know why he came out as Fofty. He didn't correct it, but uh, that became a big meme on the Internet. And then here we are with the Big 50 shortly after that, so everyone's calling it the Big Fofty. And the, the name is stuck. People talk about the Big Fofty, the Fofty. That's what, everything's about the Fofty here. So I played the Fofty, and I wasn't looking forward to this. As I was driving to Las Vegas on May 29th, thinking about what was coming up, I was immediately excited for the $1,500 08 event. I really enjoyed that event last year. I got very deep last year, cash in 59th place. I was looking forward to doing better, maybe even making a final table. I was very excited about that. I even played... 208 tournaments at uh, Commerce and the Bike and got very deep in both of those. Just what was the actual stone bubble boy of one of them and was the it was a, a few spots away from the caching in the other one. I've Every single 08 tournament I've been playing, I've been running deep. So I was excited here. I knew the play at that tournament was pretty bad in the previous years I've been in it. And this is what I was really looking forward to. I was also looking forward to the 10K version of the 08. It's always exciting to play a 10K event. Uh, what I really didn't care much about was the Big Fofty. The Big Fofty is not part of my package, as I mentioned. I just threw it in because I'm already here. Because there's a gap in between the 1500-08, which I definitely didn't want to miss, and the 10K-08, which I did not want to miss. There's really not much else in that week span that I wanted to play. So I go, ah, boy, like... I guess I can do the Big 50. And, and the reason there isn't much is because the Big 50, it takes four days to complete day one because it's huge. 
So they just didn't have much else. And I said, well, I'm here already. I'm Instead of just sitting around or instead of just playing cash, I guess I might as well play, especially because there is no rake on the first bullet. I know that the $500 I put in and the first $500 everybody puts in will go directly into the prize pool. So that was appealing too, that the rake was not too high on this one. The rake was actually zero. Now, it's not going to end up being zero because there's a 13% rake for other bullets people buy in with. But uh, for me, it was zero. And for everybody's first entry, it was zero. So that's the other reason I played. But I was not excited about it. I knew it would be a zoo. I knew it would be a fail in some ways. I knew that even if I did well, I would have to get really lucky to make any kind of decent money because you know, if you min cash, you get 750 bucks. I mean, you've made $250 for all those hours. Is that very exciting to me? No, not at all. I'm, I'm a much higher limit player than that to where that's just, that's just nothing. It's not that I don't care about $250. I'm saying that as far as spending many hours to earn it playing poker, that's not exciting. Not at all. Uh, it's actually more exciting just to rack up another cash in the World Series of Poker than, than it is to make the $250. So the, I wasn't, I'm not trying to min cash. I don't really give a crap about min cashing on this one. It's not like in that 10K event where the min cash is five figures. Th- this is low three figures. Or sorry, it's a high three figures, but still. It, it's not very exciting, the min cash. And even if you get past min cash, you got to go a long way until you start making good money. And to go a long way, you've got to get really lucky for a lot of days in a row. Similar to the main event. But unlike the main event, where cashing at all gets you something decent, here it does not. So I wasn't that excited about it. I don't like playing these events. I've said before, I don't I, these giant field cheap events of the World Series of Poker, I do not like. Only played it because it's here. Only played it because there's nothing else to do. I didn't decide at the last minute it was on my official schedule what I was going to play, but didn't excite me. Just kind of a filler. So I, I went and played the 08, which for whatever reason had a number of people who listened to this show playing. I'm not going to name them all. They know who they are. But I actually ran around at the beginning of the event just like finding the people that I knew were playing and saying hi to them. Other ones came up to me who I didn't even know were playing that uh, listened to this show. So we had a lot of people who are poker fraud alert radio listeners played the 1500 08, and that kind of surprises me. A lot of people playing the Big Fofty, that makes sense. But the 1500 I was surprised we got as many as we did who listened to this show. And I, I enjoyed meeting all of you. Uh, some of you I spent some time with. Some of you I met briefly. But I, I enjoyed meeting everybody that I did. And uh, even one of the listeners, uh, I hung out with him later, and he played some video poker, and I watched him uh, just get destroyed at the beginning, and I felt so bad for the guy. And then by the time I left, I didn't feel so bad because he was actually up. He had a pretty amazing comeback. And not even from like hitting like one huge hand. He was just hitting a lot of hands in succession and got his money back. So I was happy to see that for him. Anyway, I started out pretty well at the 1500.08. My 10K in starting chips got run up to 22,000 after not too long. Wasn't one of the chip leaders by any means, but I had more than doubled my chip stack and I was definitely above average and feeling good. And uh, I had a number of table moves. I got in initially a bad table. I had Jeff Madsen and then a bunch of guys at the table I didn't know, but they were fairly good. 
there weren't really any big fish at the table. It was a really lousy table draw for the 08, which does have a lot of bad players in it. Then I got moved to another table, and that was a much better table. Better meaning for me that uh, there were some fish there. And that's where I ran up the, the chips. Then, unfortunately, the table broke. I got dropped at another table, which was much tougher, and I ran super bad there. And uh, I started down on a tailspin where I couldn't win a hand. By the time they dropped me at a fourth table, which was a better table, I had like 3K left, and I lost the only hand I played, and that was that. So I was gone. So I go, ah, that's disappointing. That sucks. What to do next? Well, I, the big fofty, my plan was that whatever day I busted from the 08, which here was day one, on May 30th, my plan was to play the big fofty the next day. So I walked over to the diamond room to go register. Keep in mind, this is pretty late at night, because I lasted till near the end of the day for the 08 event, and it started at 3 p.m., so it was well after midnight. Figured the diamond room, of all things, would be wide open, right? Nope. Huge line. Yep. And if you thought that line was huge, you should have seen the line, the general line at 1230. It was insane. So I said, nope, not going to stand on that. Walked over to the cast section and saw one of the players who uh, listens to this show and uh, talked to him. Saw the Hanson kid sitting with his wife playing 75-150-08. I never met Hanson's wife before. Did you guys know Hanson was married? I don't know if you guys knew that. But Hanson, uh, his wife was there. And... Uh, Hansen, in describing who I was, said, the, this is the guy who hosts that radio show that I sometimes listen to in order to fall asleep. <laughs> that, that's really how he introduced me. I'm, I'm the guy who helps him fall asleep. Isn't that nice? So the Hansen kid, I talked to him a bit, and he didn't play that event. He said he hates that 1500 He loves the 10K08, but he hates the 1500 for whatever reason. He claims he hates the structure, and you, if you lose a few hands, you're out. I, I don't... I didn't notice that. The structure's fine. I don't agree with him about the structure. But he hates it for whatever reason, so that's up to him. But I, I was trying to figure out what to do. I kind of felt kind of tired, but I don't know. I just, I kind of really felt like playing that 75 75-150 with, with a kill, not a half kill, a kill. So it's a pretty big game, 08 game. And the way a kill works is if you uh, win the entire pot and don't split it, then you get a kill button in front of you, and you're forced to post a hundred dollars. And also, the game becomes hundred two hundred while you're playing. So, uh, I guess that would be considered a half kill. Actually, less than a half kill, but whatever. It, it turns to hundred two hundred for that hand only, unless someone wins the full pot again, and then it stays hundred two hundred, and they have to post a hundred in front of him. I, I don't. I don't really like the kill too much, but nevertheless, it's there. But I, I wanted to play it, but at the same time, I was kind of tired. I had the Big Fofty the next day, though I didn't know the Big Fofty I could delay if I wanted. I didn't have to register that night. I could I could play it either on day 1C or day 1D. Day 1A had already taken place. Day 1B was uh, going to take place on the 31st, on Friday. Day 1C was to take place on Saturday the 1st, and day 1D was to take place today, this Sunday the 2nd. So I could play any of them. It didn't matter. I was here anyway. I could just pick one to play. I thought, well, I don't have to play tomorrow. And I go, you know what? Screw it. I want to play this game. So um, first fail, it occurs. 
And, and besides, I wasn't going to stand online to register at that point anyway. It was just I, I wasn't going to stand on that long line to register, which I'll get into the line shortly. We're going to have a big topic about the lines. So I, I had to go get my money, though. I didn't have my money with me to go sit at 75150 So I went to the floor man. There was a seat open. I told him, please lock that seat for me. I'm going to get money. I'll be back in about 15 minutes. He said, okay. I said, you'll lock that for me. Yep. In fact, he gave me some, I don't know, some ticket or whatever it was, some, something that indicates that I have that seat. So I thought that was pretty strong, like that whatever he uses to mark that that person is going to sit there, he gave to me. So that means I'm holding it. I'm going to sit there. Now, if I disappeared for two hours, then I could understand they'd just go uh, declare a loss on that marker of what I was holding and then just uh, reset it. But I, I didn't think it was a rush. So I, I went to go get my money. I did return within 15 minutes. And as I walk in, and the, you know, it takes some time to walk all the way back and you know, all the way back to the poker room. It, it, the whole thing takes some time. It took 15 minutes of, of, of walking around, which I did pretty briskly. Like I didn't run, but I, I did everything pretty briskly to make sure I don't take more than the 15 minutes I said. Well, I get back 15 minutes later, and the floor man informs me that, uh, sorry, I just gave away your seat. Boy, was I pissed. Boy, was I pissed. Trader Risky, can you hear these sound effects, by the way? I didn't at first, but then you turned it back on. I'm okay, now. good. So I was really mad. I said, I told you I'm going to be going to get the money. It was going to take 15 minutes, right? Well, yeah, but, but you know, it's been 15 minutes. We've got to fill seats. I go, but you told me this is my seat. I, I told you where I was going, what I was doing, and I took the time I said it would take. Well, yeah, but w- w- we didn't know if you're coming back. We have to fill seats. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a freaking moron. So I, I didn't know what to do. Now, keep in mind, the guy had not taken his seat yet. The guy who he gave the seat to was going to get chips. So I started demanding, tell this guy it was a mistake, that the seat was mine, and that he's going to have to wait. Well, I can't do that. He's getting chips, and I, I'm, I'm getting really mad. And I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Like, if he just says no and seats the guy... I, there probably wasn't that much I could do at the moment, but I was going to get this guy's uh, supervisor's name and make a big complaint about him because I was pissed. I was really pissed because I did everything I said I would do. He told me it was okay. He even gave me something to indicate the seat was mine and then gave it away. Well, just as I was about to really ramp up the complaints, um, he tells me, oh, no, 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 hold on. You have a seat. Someone just stood up in the other game because there were two games. It was like a must-move game. So he said, good, now there's two seats available so you can both have one. So... That crisis was solved. It turned out the, the person who left was the, the guy I knew. So uh, I went to go get my chips. And uh, I'll tell you something. This is all in the King's Lounge, which is the high-limit cash room at the Rio. And a few problems with the King's Lounge. First of all, the fact that it exists is a problem. Not that there is a high-limit room, which I think is great, and I think the setup there is pretty good. But what is not good with the King's Lounge, first of all, is that this is a room that is sponsored by King's Casino in Czechoslovakia, which is owned by Leon Sukernik. We've talked about him before. This guy was at the World Series ripping people off on, on money trades where they would uh, – um, not money trades. There was somebody else. He was ripping people off with uh, where he'd play them, and they'd loan him money to play high-stakes poker, and then he'd lose millions of dollars and then refuse to pay. Like, this is the guy that they're promoting his freaking casino. And they're very aware of these stories, but he, but he pays a lot of money for the sponsorship for the King's Lounge. And there's all this uh, King's Casino uh, references around the place and ads for the place in the King's Lounge. So the World Series doesn't want to drop him. So that's what's stupid in the first place. 
But that's just kind of a side thing. I mean, it's kind of irritating to see, but it's not a huge deal to me. The huge deal to me is the fact that the cashiers are terrible. And I don't mean the people working the cash, the actual cashiers themselves, the human beings are terrible, though some of them are kind of incompetent, but that's not my real complaint here. It's the way they have it set up. If you go play cash at the Bellagio, I'm talking about high limit cash, and you go up to them and say, yeah, I'd like uh, $4,000 worth of chips, please. You state what kind of chips you want, you know, $25, $10, whatever. It's a well-oiled machine there. They quickly take out the chips. They put them down. They ask you for the money. You hand them the money. They count it very fast. They push the chips to you. Very fast transaction. Very good, very efficient. Same thing at the Win. Same thing at the Venetian. Same thing at every poker room around. Same thing even at Commerce. For some reason, this is a Herculean task for the cashiers at the Rio. Why? Because they have these ridiculous verification requirements for more than a certain amount of money, which is basically any amount of money that would be needed to play any of those games in the King's Lounge. So you go up, you know, give me $5,000 worth of $25 chips, which is a suggested buy-in, I would say, for that uh, 75150 game. Well, oh my God, the, the amount of time that they have to take to count the cash, to recount the cash, to verify the cash, to, to call up another employee to verify the cash, to come over there and, 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 and count it with them again. And then they have to spread it out. I mean, I mean you wouldn't believe it. Then the chips they have to spread out. It, it, the, the whole process for each person is so long. And same with the cashing out, by the way. The cashing out, the exact same thing has to go on in reverse. So it is a nightmare to cash in, cash out there. And if there's like three people ahead of you in line, prepare to be standing there a long time. Like you'll see like three people ahead of you. you go, oh, okay, that's not bad. Well, like at Commerce, that's not bad. At Bellagio, it's not bad. In the King's Lounge, that's a horrendous line. <laughs> three people. Because of the time it takes for each person. So you've got to ask, wait a minute, why is this? Why is this the case? Why does it take so long to cash in and cash out there when other casinos in the same city don't? It's not a legal requirement. Otherwise, uh, Bellagio would have been violating the law all these years. They're clearly not. So I don't know what the hell they're doing. But the, that was a big complaint last year. And this year, it, it has not improved one bit. And they're acknowledging it. Like the floor man will say, yes, everyone hates this. Everyone's complaining about it. But the, for whatever reason, it doesn't get fixed. That's a disaster. So actually, when the, the Hanson kid was in line, he decided to cash out. So he was he was he he had his chips there. And I said, he had about 2,500 in chips. And I'm like, hey... How about we just do a trade? So he gave me his chips. I gave him my cash. And I took my 2500 of the game and prayed that I didn't start out running bad. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go there and rebuy and go through that uh, cash-in nightmare. Fortunately, I did not lose it, and I ran it up. So that wasn't a problem. But uh, that's, that's another that's a huge problem there, the, uh, the cash-in, cash-out at the King's Lounge. Uh, so anyway, I played all night there. 6.30 a.m., I finally bought into the Big Fofty, which was starting at 10 a.m. that day. But no, not for that day, though. It was for the next day. There was one that day, but I decided not to do that. I decided I'd be playing on Saturday the 1st, giving a full day in between my cash session, which followed my 08 event. I also noticed something. I learned a lesson from the 08 event. When I played the 08 event, I got a lot of sleep beforehand, and everything should have been fine, and I, I wasn't sick, and I wasn't feeling anxiety or anything else that's been plaguing me, you know, dating back to last year. 
So I felt normal sitting down, totally normal. And I felt normal there, but I also didn't feel as sharp as I normally do. I didn't feel like I had my A game with me. And I'm like, why? Why is that? I could feel I just wasn't quite, uh, I guess as sharp is really the best way to put it. I just wasn't quite as sharp while I was playing the 08 event. I also ran really bad. That's that's the main reason that I busted. But uh, I also wasn't as sharp. So after I walked out of the 08 event, I realized something. Near the beginning of the 08 event, I drank a Pepsi. And you may say, ah, that's it. That stupid Pepsi ruined it. No, 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 no. It was the opposite. Since it had caffeine in it, I thought, okay, well, there's 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 some caffeine for me. That should be fine. Well, it wasn't because they, I think it only has like 60 milligrams of caffeine. And I realized that I was actually playing without enough caffeine in my system. As, as strange as it sounds, I, I was actually playing with not enough caffeine in my system. And I've talked about, since I've had my, my issues, the important role caffeine has had for me in eradicating the psychological problems that I've had since August of last year. And while I didn't have those problems, I've also noticed that when I take caffeine, I I am sharper and more focused. So I said, well, shit. For every event that I play from now on, right before the event, I'm going to take 200 milligrams of caffeine, and I'm going to have caffeine with me, so when that wears off, I'm going to take another 200 milligrams of caffeine in pill form. I have caffeine pills with me. So that's what I actually did before the Big Fofty. Right before I started the Big Fofty, I popped uh, 200 milligrams of caffeine. Well, I also popped the 200 milligrams of caffeine before that cash game. As kind of an experiment to see if that has to do with, you know, same day as, as when I didn't feel that sharp at the 08 event, I popped the 200 milligrams of caffeine before that cash game. I was a lot sharper. I saw things a lot better. So I said, okay, we've got our answer. <laughs> I am going to do 200 milligrams of caffeine before every event. And there's really not a downside. I, like I was telling my dad this, and he goes, well, what's the downside here? I go, well, there isn't one. <laughs> he says, well, okay, then, yeah, then do it. There really isn't. I don't have the, the bad effects of caffeine that some people do. I can go to sleep, no problem. So then I, I had a letdown, and that was uh, I played on WSOP.com on Friday after I woke up. And, and I got beat pretty badly, and, and I lost everything that I had won at the live cash 08 game, and I was mad at myself. Just ran really bad. So I was, I was back to square one again. First I felt annoyed that I lost the 08 event after starting off with a decent stack. Then I felt good that I won a bunch of money in cash. Then I felt bad that I chunked the money off that I won in cash. I was back to square one. The Big Fofty was coming on Saturday the 1st. I went to sleep, I got up, and I got myself ready to go to the Big Fofty, and I noticed that one important thing was missing. The tournament ticket. Yeah. I did not have a tournament ticket. I had bought one. Remember, at 6.30 a.m. on Friday, I bought a tournament ticket, but here we were on Saturday, and I did not have the tournament ticket. It was missing. I spent half an hour running around like a maniac in the hotel room, 
looking everywhere I could think of looking, and I could not find that tournament ticket. Now, normally, it's not a big deal. You walk down, you ask them to reprint the ticket, you show your ID, they do, no big deal, no problem, no fee, no nothing. Easy, right? Except not on a day when there's like five-hour lines, because there is no just reprint your tournament ticket line. I would have to get online with all the people registering. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to do this. I already did this. I already have my tournament ticket. I'm not going to stand on a second line just to get it reprinted. There's got to be a solution. So after about half an hour of unsuccessfully looking, and, and keep in mind the event's already going by this point. I, I, I was like half an hour that I should have been playing the event. And I thought my stack was blinding off. Not very much, because you start with 50K, but still. Finally, I went down there. And keep in mind, I was assigned to play in, quote, the poker room, which is actually the year-round poker room, not the convention area poker room. This is the year-round poker room, which is is kind of near the buffet, totally on the other side of the Rio. So I went to the, quote, poker room. I found the floor man in charge, and I told him what happened. And I said, can you please find a way for me to sit here without having to go back and have this reprinted because of the lines. And he was very understanding and said, let me figure out what I can do. So what he did was he called up the main area. He reached someone and he had them verify that I was really registered. And I remembered what table I was at. So I told him which table he had. He verified which table I was at, found out which seat I was at, which I didn't remember. And then he said, hang on. And he got out a piece of paper. He wrote up a handwritten tournament ticket for me. He walked me over there. He handed it to the dealer and said, this is a handwritten ticket, but this is okay. I'm approving it. Let him sit. So I sat and I asked, well, how much have I had blinded off yet? And surprisingly, the answer was... Zero point... Zero. Yeah, it turned out because of the clusterfuck that was this event and all the moving around they had to do of people, they decided they're not going to blind off any stacks. Also because they were going to, if, if you didn't show up after, in the first two hours, they were actually going to kick you and refund your money, which they usually don't. They'll, they'll just let your stack blind off if you just no-show. But here they didn't want to do that so because they just want to make room. So as a result, all the dealers were instructed, if anybody doesn't sit, just don't blind off their stack, leave their stack in the well, and give them their full stack when they show up. So even though I so I showed up at about uh, 11 o'clock when the event was 10, they had started about 15 minutes late, so I was about 45 minutes late for that reason, but I didn't lose any chips because my stack was not blinding off. So I started with a full stack about 45 minutes late, which is no big deal at all. In fact, as I've mentioned before... Many good players actually choose to show up late, which I don't really agree with, but it's actually a strategy choice that some some choose to miss earlier levels thinking that they're mostly meaningless and that they would rather expend the energy on the later levels. So it's not even the end of the world that I showed up late. Now, showing up late to day two would be a disaster, but uh, day one here didn't matter. So I said, okay, good. Well, what wasn't good is I didn't start out very well. Every hand I played, I lost. There weren't any huge hands I was losing, but just every hand I was playing, I was losing. My 50K became about 29K, and then I started going really, really card dead. Really, really freaking card dead. And 
the blinds weren't that big, so I wasn't losing that much going card dead, but I also wasn't able to gain my chips back, and the average stack was going up. And fortunately, the structure was surprisingly good in this event. I thought that it was going to be like a really fast structure. No, it wasn't. It was actually, they were 50, not 15, but 50-minute levels. And they progressed normally. They were not, it was not a turbo by any means. This was actually a fairly good structure event. You start with 50k chips and the, you start at 100, 200 blinds and then it moves up slowly from there. So it's actually a, a good structure, surprisingly. So I wasn't losing many chips and I, it, because of the big stack you start with, I wasn't feeling it was urgent to make a move, but I was just being dealt terrible hand after terrible hand. Almost every hand I was dealt at one stretch for about two levels, which is 100 minutes, was in the bottom third of all hands in poker. You know, 8-3 offsuit, 10-4 offsuit, things like that. Just, you look at them in insta-fold. Once in a while, I got like a king-6 offsuit, but I didn't get anything like as good as a jack-9 offsuit. I'm not, <laughs> like the best thing I think I got was king-6 offsuit in like early position. So I played no hands. At one point, someone made a snide comment, this young guy. There were many young people there, but one of the young guys at the table says to me, hey, that bracelet you're winning, you're wearing, uh, you didn't win that in No Limit Hold on my bet, right? Which is, of course, a, a slam at me because he's trying to say that I suck too much in No Limit Hold to have won a bracelet. So I, I asked him back in like a sarcastic tone of voice, well, why do you say that? It's because I've played no hands in two hours? And the, the whole table laughed. And I said, look, I'm... I'm, I'm Did you ask him what he won his bracelet in? Well, l- listen to what happened to him. <laughs> so I'm, I I hadn't seen... Like, like when I saw him playing, I didn't, he didn't seem like he was great, but he didn't seem like he was bad. So there wasn't that much I could judge yet. But not too long after that, there was this big hand where it was three ways. Him and uh, the only woman at the table and and some other person... And there was a lot of raising and re-raising, and he was in the blind. I think she raised, the other person three-bet, he four-bet from the small blind, and then she went all in, and the third guy folded, so it went back to this guy, the obnoxious guy who, who said that he knew my bracelet wasn't in No Limit Hold'em. And he tanks for a long time. So I'm thinking, okay, he probably has ace-king, or maybe he has queen, something like that, where he... He doesn't love the idea of laying it down, but he thinks he's probably fucked. So he's thinking, 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 thinking. Finally, after a long time, he calls. What did he turn over? Pocket fives. (laughs) So this idiot who had the nerve to say that, uh, to basically say that I wasn't good enough and no limit to have had a bracelet in it. And this is after just watching me fold. It's not like we'd been together the whole day. Like, it was the beginning of the day, and I was folding a ton. Because I got just trash after trash. In a deep tournament. See, he has the nerve to say that, and then the guy calls off most of his stack with pocket fives. He was left with, like, I don't know, 10 or 15k after that hand was done. And he had a decent stack before that. So he doubled up that woman. With pocket fives. Can you imagine? He actually sat there thinking, 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 and finally talked himself into, well, what if she has ace-king? Then it's a flip. Okay, guess I got to do it. Guess guess this is the right way to play a deep stack tournament, is to just call off pocket fives and hope I'm flipping with ace-king and hope it's not a pocket pair. 
So what I really felt like saying after that happened was, uh, well, I guess we see why you don't have a no-limit bracelet either. But I figured I'm just going to let the guy suffer in silence and know that uh, he had this embarrassment, uh, both chunked off all most of his chips and had the embarrassment of having to show the fives there. <laughs> so, And people were kind of snickering at the table when they saw the fives. They couldn't believe it. And, and then after that, he played terribly, too, and shot the rest off. So that was satisfying to see. Anyway, uh, after four levels, I had a whopping 26K, and I wasn't exactly feeling very optimistic. I wasn't feeling it was hopeless, but I wasn't feeling optimistic. Well, then we came back from level four, and, and things started to, to go better. I started to get some hands. I, 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 played, I, I saw some flops where it seemed clear to me that my opponent or opponents missed and just bluffed at them. And this was a perfect time to do it because uh, such a big deal had been made about how tight I was. So uh, I knew I could easily take stabs at pots that I missed and people would totally believe it. Oh, I guess this guy, this guy hasn't played a hand in two hours. I'm sure if he's betting, he's got it. So, but, so like I, I'd try to steal blinds and sometimes get called and then I'd miss the flop and they'd check to me and I'd bet and they'd fold. Or I'd fire two streets and they'd fold because, because I knew they would. Because I, I knew that they believed that I, I wasn't putting chips in unless I had something big. So I, I got back to starting stack. Then I got above starting stack. And, and I started to get hands and, th- and things started to go better. Uh, the big moment came, however... You know, I won a number of hands. I got myself up to about, uh, I'd say, 180K, which is pretty good at the time. But the big moment came when it uh, an interesting hand came down. A guy in early position raised. The blinds at the time were 1,000, 2,500, and 2,500 of the big blind ante. I was on the button. So someone early raised and made it six. Folded to me on the button, and I had ace, king of hearts. So I made it 17. The small blind, who was a, a mid-50s black guy, who I, I could tell was a, he was a decent player. He, he wasn't a pro, but he, he seemed like a kind of a, a decent, tight, aggressive player. But he was kind of straightforward. He made it 37K. The original guy folded. Comes back to me. I've got to decide what to do. I look at the guy to my left, you know, his chips, he has uh, about 50 more behind beyond the 37 that he already put in. So I figured out right away that my options here were all in or fold. Why? I can't just call because then we'll have like 80 something in the pot and this guy's going to have 50 in front of him. So I might as well go all in here. There's, there's no point to do post-flop play here. If he was as deep as I was, then I would have just called. I had a strong feeling that this guy had aces for various reasons. Various things told me he had aces. So I sat there for a long time deciding what to do. Now, it wasn't a super long time, and it was kind of annoying to me. It's actually just after... Uh, I was thinking, but not, not like really long... Some new guy at the table called the clock on me, which means I had a minute to act. So I'm thinking, okay, what do I do here? I'm just so sure this guy has aces. But what if he doesn't, I think to myself. Do I really want to lay down ace-king suited 
when the uh, when I just have to put in 70k more here, and at worst I'll still have like 90k when the whole thing's over, even if I lose this and put it all, all and go all in. Do I really want to be that much of a puss with Ace King suited just because I have this theory that this guy to my left has aces? Like, can I really lay this down? I, if the guy had the same stack as me, and no, I would not have put it all in. Then I, I would have just called and, and then folded if I didn't really improve. Really improve, meaning, um, you know, something like two kings or, or, or a flush draw or a straight or something like that. Even a single king, I may have laid it down. But uh, I really thought he had aces. But here it was a matter of it's either all in or fold. So finally, I doubted my own read enough, especially with the amount of uh, amount left this guy had. Was, I had to put in just seventy k to put him in here, and there was already. And I'm sorry, dropped. How many chips did you have at that point? I had like one eighty. So I I had one eighty, but I already had seventeen in there. So I went like 163. So I would have had about 90 when the whole thing was over if I lost, if I put it in. If I just folded, I would have had like 163. So I said, oh, come on. Yes, I've got the theory he's got aces, but anything else but aces, I've got a, a decent shot. If he's got queens or less, it's a flip. If he's got the other ace king, then it's uh, probably a chop. In fact, I have a slight edge because I've got the suited. And... If he's got kings, I've even got somewhat of a shot. It's it's only if he's got aces I'm fucked here. So do I really want to lay this down? I mean, come on. So I talked myself into a call. So right when the the floor man came over to count me down, I just said, no, nope, never mind. I, I call. Or not, I call. I, I, I go all in. I'm all in. He, he snap calls. Flips over aces. I go, fuck. That, that was exactly what I thought he had. I, I, I wasn't just afraid he had aces. I was convinced he had aces, and I talked myself into calling, and I felt like such a moron. So I've made this type of laydown before. I've made this laydown before with kings when I'm convinced they have aces. I once really infuriated a guy at the main event where he four-bet me not even that much more than my three-bet, and I laid it down, and he showed, he was so furious that I had... He, it was like I, I three-bet an early position razor, and this guy had been with me a while and knew I wasn't doing that with, with trash, and he was like so shocked I just laid it down. <laughs> this is the main event five years ago, six years ago. So I've laid it down before. I'm not one of these guys who can't let go of ace-king. I'm pretty good at figuring out what I think people have aces, and I was good about it here. I figured it out, and I, I still put the money in. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here regretting this, and I'm sitting here hoping like the board comes with at least two hearts, so I've got a shot. The board didn't come up with any hearts. But instead, the board came king-king-ten. And the table went, oh! <laughs> In fact, they, did, they, they went, oh, before I could even see it, because the dealer hadn't moved his hand out of the way from my angle yet. So I hear, oh, and I knew that was a good sound, a good sign, because, uh, usually that means that the lesser hand is in good shape. So this guy was beside himself, the guy with the aces. Board ran out with, without, uh, giving him the win. Only ways he had out of it was the one out ace, or if somehow it went jack queen that we tie. Didn't do that, and that was that. The guy took a picture of it. Then I took a picture of it. I said, you know, I wouldn't normally rub it in by taking a picture, but uh, since you're taking a picture, I'll take a picture. So 
I took the picture. I had people at the table asking me. Now, keep in mind, this is mo- mostly recreational players, but I had people asking, like, why were you tanking that long with Ace King suited? We don't understand. And I said, because I knew I knew he had aces. That's why. And I was trying to like see if I could talk myself into calling, and I did. But that's really why I took that long. Is I, I knew he had aces. A lot, of, a lot of them were telling me they just would have, you know, they, they would have got their money in super fast in that spot. So that took me into the two seventies. I said, "All righty, we're in good shape here." Like two seventy, I think I had two seventy three. So at that point of the tournament, that was uh, that was really nice to have. We weren't anywhere near the end of the day yet. So what ended up happening, unfortunately, after that was. I shot off about uh, 75 of it. I'd say about uh, 40-something I truly did shot off, shoot off because I, I made one of my few bad reads of the tournament where I, I a guy limped from the small blind, that same guy who called the clock on me, and I had uh, queen nine, and I tried to uh, run him off of it because most of, most of these rec players, when they limp in the small blind, it means they have nothing. And you can just run them off right there. So I raised, and, and he limp re-raised me, but not so much to where it wasn't worth seeing a flop at that point. So I called, and then the flop came rags, so I missed, and then he checked again. And I go, well, okay, I, I bet maybe he was trying to limp re-raise me because he was mad that I raised his limp, but now he's giving up because he missed. So I better fire again. So I fire again, and he limp check raised, he limp check raised, or no, he just check raised, not limp check, he check raised me all in. And he had a big stack, too. I go, motherfucker. <laughs> so he probably had aces there. There was probably another aces I was against. Anyway, needless to say, my queen hive folded there, and I was really mad I threw away, like, 40-something K on that shit. That was my, really, my only, besides calling with the ace-king against the aces, that was my other bad move, was that was trying to do this. Though the, the initial idea was, was good, but then I, I should have given up on the flop. Uh... Then I lost a little bit more in just the standard hand where I flopped something and then the board got bad and I had to lay it down. So I was down to 199 going to dinner. And uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do about dinner. You can imagine what the dinner break was going to be like at the Big Fofty with all those people there. It's going to be a freaking madhouse. I didn't even get out of there particularly quickly because I, I had to play the last hand before dinner. It just happened I was in the last hand. So uh, I didn't get out that quickly. I knew it was going to be a zoo. I was afraid that with the 75 minutes we had to eat, it wasn't going to be enough because the kitchens were going to be slow because the places were slammed. I had a feeling they were going to get orders wrong because they were rushing through them. It just It wasn't that appealing to eat right then. So I thought maybe I should drive off property and pick up some fast food somewhere, or maybe I should just skip dinner because I wasn't that hungry. Maybe I should just eat after the event was over. We were only going to play a few more hours after that, so I, I felt like I could wait to, wait to eat a few more hours. My plan was, just, yeah, maybe let's go to the room and relax. Well, I didn't, and that was a bad decision. I, I decided to go to uh, uh, a, a, the American Bar and Grill there, and... Uh, the takeout thing was a fiasco. I, I'm not even going to the story, but uh, I, I let's just say I had some problems there, and 
I ended up having to go to the manager, and the manager was very uncooperative, but at the same time, he was like in a very stressed mood because all these people wanted to get seated and couldn't be seated. And you know, he, So he was under a ton of stress there, and then I'm bringing in my problems, and he just didn't want to deal with it, and he was being kind of uh, rude with me. And it, the whole thing was a disaster. I, I ended up just walking out, kind of in a bad mood. Didn't eat anything, just walked out. Went back to my room, and I'm like, okay, you know, I've got to calm down here. Yes, I'm annoyed that I, that I got up to 273K and shot off like 75 of it. Yes, I, I'm annoyed about what happened to the American Bar and Grill. And this is not all American Dave's, by the way. Don't, don't confuse them. This is the one inside the Rio. This is run by the Rio. All American Dave's is a separate thing that's in the back that's run by a separate guy. So I'm in a bad mood, but then I go, you know what? I've, I've got to get a hold of myself here. I can't, I've still got a pretty good stack. 190, I, got, I think I had 199 at dinner. I said, you know what? I, I can't go back down angry. I had something else to be angry about, which I haven't told you guys yet. I've tweeted about it, and i posted about it, but I haven't told you guys on the radio yet, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know how I skipped this part of the story, but it's an important part. We were actually placed in a warehouse. I ended up not playing in the actual poker room. It turned out, even though it said poker room on my ticket, I was actually walked over to a room which was a warehouse to play. And this wasn't because I lost my ticket. This was the same table I was assigned, because I remembered the table number. So I was actually assigned to a table in the warehouse. It was near the poker room, but it was actually a warehouse that was being used to store things at the Rio. How do I know this? Because there were actually things stored there. There were actually crates of stuff in the warehouse. I took a picture of it and posted it to my Twitter, which you can find at uh, slash uh, twitter.com slash Todd Wittellis, exactly as my name is spelled, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S. You can see that picture I took of the warehouse. You can see the crates. This warehouse is located directly across from the buffet at the Rio. It has a bunch of advertisements on the door. There is a door that opens, but it's always locked because this is not for customers to ever enter. It could be used as some kind of restaurant or or other store they have there, but it's not and it has not been. So it's just an empty room they have that they've been using for storage. As a result, do you think it's important to air condition such a room? No, unless they're going to store cold things there, which they don't. They don't need to air condition the room. In fact, since there are air conditioners in that room, and it has pretty high ceilings, so it needs a pretty strong air conditioner, but they have an air conditioner in the room because the room is supposed to function. It was originally built to function as some kind of restaurant or store, not a warehouse. But since it's being used as a warehouse and has been for a long time, they do not want the air to be coming into that room because it's a waste of resources. As some of you might know, if you block a vent of an air conditioner, the air goes elsewhere stronger. Sometimes, like in your house, for example, the solution to certain rooms getting too much air conditioning and certain ones getting too little is to partially block the vents of the ones that are getting too much, which will then force the air out stronger in the rooms that are getting too little. And it'll also stop the one that gets too much from getting too cold. So that's basically what they did there. They decided they're going to block all the air conditioners in there. And the way they did this was through the high-tech, newfangled HVAC method of putting trash bags over the vents. (laughs) That's really what they did. They actually took trash bags 
like like black trash bags, the type you buy in the store. We just lost Trade Risky, by the way. I'm trying to reach him back. They actually took trash bags and put them over the vents, probably a long time ago. Not for this. They, they've been there for a long time. That beeping is Trader Ruski trying to reach him. But those trash bags have been there for a long time in order to prevent air conditioning resources from being wasted in a room where nobody's going to be. I'll try him back later. Well, that's fine, except if you're going to use that room for the World Series of Poker, and if you're going to have hundreds of bodies in that room closely cramped together, then that's not a good room to leave with no air conditioning in the month of June. But that's exactly what they did. Now, they used this room for all four days. I played on the third day. So why was this not fixed by then? Why why didn't someone take a ladder and cut down those bags? It was like 25 feet up. Someone said, why don't you just rip the bags? Because they're like 25 feet up. Oh, here comes Trader Risky. Let's connect him. Trader Risky, you're back. Yeah, not sure what happened, but you disappeared, but I am back. Yeah, probably just the real internet. So, so they put in a work order, they said. And uh, they didn't do it till the second day for whatever reason. But on day 1B, they did, they put in a work order to come in there and cut down the bags so the AC would function in there. Uh, of course, facilities never came. And on day 1C, the bags were still there. <laughs> so then I, I, I went to the floor man there in charge. And I said, it is so hot. It is so stuffy in this warehouse here. All they have to do is cut those bags. This well, we put in a ticket yesterday. I go, a ticket is not going to get this thing done. Why don't you guys call the maintenance department and say we've got f- hundreds of people in here sweating, uncomfortable, very unhappy? Send someone immediately. Make this priority one. This is more important than fixing someone's uh, clogged sink or or a door that doesn't quite lock right in a hotel room. This this should be something that's priority one because of the sheer number of people involved. Oh, yeah, we can't do that. Uh, we put in a ticket. I go, yeah, but can you pressure them? Get someone to pressure them. Can you, can you call up Seth Polanski or Jack Effel and have them pressure facilities to come down here? Um, no, we don't really have a way to reach Seth or Jack. I go, what? No, we don't. Uh, we're all the way over here, and we have no direct line to them. So um, I go, well, can I, can I talk to your supervisor? Um, yeah, he's not reachable right now. There's There's really no way to get him over here. <laughs> so I don't know what they would have done if like some poker situation came up where they needed uh, someone higher. It didn't, as far as I know. But if it did, I don't know what they would. He, he was probably just bullshitting me. But whatever. I, I couldn't get any satisfactory answers out of them, and I knew that there was no way maintenance would come over and do this. For whatever reason, maintenance just—they uh, never put priorities on these types of things. So everyone was so hot and miserable there, and nobody cared. And I was very frustrated. I also thought of something else. There's no way I could have handled this even like a few months ago. Psychologically, there's no way I could have handled this. That type of room would have driven me crazy. In September, I couldn't stand sitting in my own house without having to run outside. I felt like I couldn't breathe in my own house. That's how screwed up my brain was. 
Can you imagine a room like that where everyone's cramped in close quarters and it's hot and it's stuffing, there's no air circulation? Can you imagine how it would have been? So did my anxiety act up in there? No, actually, believe it or not, I was fine. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm almost all better. <laughs> I think I think my anxiety is just about gone now. If I can be in here for all these hours and not have any problem, then, I mean, it was uncomfortable. I was as unhappy as everybody else, but I wasn't more unhappy. I wasn't having any psychological issues over. I go, wow, I guess I think this is better. <laughs> I, 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 the only good thing out of this is I guess it was a good test for me personally. So yeah, we're actually playing in a warehouse with crates sitting in there with no air conditioning, with actually trash bags. I took a picture of that. You can see it on my Twitter, too. Over the vents that they wouldn't cut down for hours and hours and hours. Furthermore, they weren't making a particularly a particular priority in moving us to the other rooms. They were actually registering people and sitting them in our room new. Instead of just saying, no, nobody new comes into this room. They had open seats eventually, or open tables eventually in the Amazon room and chose not to move us there. They just decided the the Amazon room wasn't going to be used for this event and they didn't move us there. They, they were waiting till the other rooms with the existing tables for this event would, would have tables open up for people busting. And keep in mind, this didn't happened for a long time because late registration was open for very long and there was a huge line to get in so there were no open seats so we were stuck very 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 poorly handled unacceptable so that was very disturbing that was very unpleasant so here I was at the dinner break I just had the fight with the American barn grill I had just chunked off some chips after getting super lucky with those with the ace king against the aces. And I was playing in a hot and stuffy warehouse where they refused to do anything. And other players were trying too. Some some were actually trying to call facilities themselves. Uh, some were also taking proactive steps to try to get this fixed and none of us were successful. It wasn't just me being uh the complainer here. There were a lot of people were super unhappy. Sean Deeb was in this room, and despite the fact that Sean Deeb is a very large man, you'd think he'd especially be uncomfortable there. He wasn't complaining for some reason. I even uh, I, I sent him a direct message on Twitter. I said, look, you've got more pull in this than I do, which he does. He was the 2018 World Series of Poker Player of the Year. So if he were to bitch about this, then I, I thought maybe he could get some action taken. Like if Sean Deeb's really unhappy, it kind of makes him look bad. He was their Player of the Year last year. He ignored me. He just didn't respond to me. Uh, Joey Ingram noticed what I wrote and he responded to me. I'm like, oh, good. You know, he's got a lot of followers. I'm like, come on, Joey, publicize this. Now, for whatever reason, Joey didn't want to publicize this. He responded to me, but he didn't, you know, he didn't try to retweet this or anything, which is kind of annoying. Seems like Joey only cares about stuff that directly affects him. So I said, look, even your buddy uh, Sean Deeb, because they're, they're friends. I said, even your buddy Sean Deeb, he's stuck in here too. Is this a way to treat the World Series of Poker Player of the Year from last year? So then I see the account. See, I always thought Sean Deeb had two accounts. I always thought he had the just at Sean Deeb Twitter and also the at Mean Sean Deeb. I thought he operated both. I thought that he just used Mean Sean Deeb for when he wanted to be a jerk and regular Sean Deeb for when he didn't. That, that's what I always thought. 
Well, it turns out that's not true. It turns out Mean Sean Deeb is, I, I think, I'm not even totally sure, but I think Mean Sean Deeb is actually a gimmick account, which is what I originally thought, but then I, I convinced myself it really was him. But Mean Sean Deeb responded and said, what, are you calling me fat? And I actually wasn't when I made that comment, but I was like, well, uh, I, I wasn't at first, but, but now that you bring it up, I, I retroactively changed that, and now I am, or something like that. And And, and so then he came back with, well... Uh, I bet you could retroactively change that. Uh, I, w- I wish you could. Re- I bet you wish you could retroactively change that. Uh, you and Brian Mikeon are no longer friends because you haven't been relevant ever since then. Something like that. So then I thought that was really Sean Deeb. So I, I came back with a slam about him. I said, "Whoa, young Sean here is uh, looks like he's pretty sensitive about his weight." And I, I told him he was rich and he could afford a personal trainer if it bothers him this much. And then. The real Sean Deeb responded back saying, uh, you know, that isn't really me, right? I'm like, oh crap. I just, <laughs> I just, I just insulted Sean Deeb over his weight, uh, thinking it was him bashing me first. And it turned out that it, it was just a gimmick account that I thought he was operating. And to, in my defense, he's never been clear about this. Like he, there's been other times that it really seems like it is him. So it, it still could be. I don't even know. Like I'm still not sure if mean Sean Deeb is operated by him. Because at first I thought it was a fake account that was just a parody. Then something, I don't remember what it was, something convinced me it was really him operating both accounts. And that's what I believed all this time. So I had like a little beef with Sean Deeb in between this whole thing. But whatever, he ignored my DM. And this is before this whole thing where I fought with a mean Sean Deeb account. He didn't care. He didn't respond to me. He didn't care. He made no effort to get out of there. It was really weird. Like, wouldn't Sean Deeb, of all people, care? Wouldn't he say, look, you know, I'm a big guy, uncomfortable in here, especially for me. I'm the player of the year. I could probably speak up about this. No, he didn't care. I I don't know why. Don't know why. So I had all that going on. I'm at the dinner break. I'm feeling really annoyed, really stressed, not relaxed at all. Kind of the opposite of what I wanted to do is just spend the dinner break relaxing. A few minutes before I returned, I got a hold of myself and I said, I'm not going to do this. I've got to calm down. I've got to relax. I've got to put this out of my head. None of this is very important. I've still got plenty of chips. I've just got to concentrate when I come back and play well. So I came back. I concentrated. I started to get chips again. And finally, with a few hours left, they move us. They moved us out of the warehouse. They moved us into the Brasilia, the Brasilia room. After losing two small pots right away in uh, the Brasilia room, I started to win there. They were also very fascinated with my bracelet. The people in the Brasilia room at that table. They asked me about which bracelet it was, and I told them. And then on a break, some of them actually looked me up just based on the event. So, like, I didn't even tell them my name, but they looked me up, and I saw them, like, looking at the phone going, yeah, that's him. (laughs) They're trying to figure out who I was. And then they wanted me to tell them the story of winning my bracelet and how it felt. They wanted the whole... The whole thing. It wasn't like I wanted to chew their ear off about winning a bracelet 14 years ago. They they thought this was so cool to have a bracelet winner at their table, and they wanted me to tell them the whole thing. And you have to understand, this is this is a an event 
where a lot of people are playing the World Series of Poker for the first time in their lives. This is this event drew a lot of new players to the World Series of Poker. So for them, uh, this was actually a big thrill to be playing with a bracelet winner in the, these players in the Brazilian room. So anyway, uh, I was doing well there. And then came the big hand. So my stack was back over 300-something, but then came the big hand. It was like 335, I think. I got dealt pocket aces. And it was in kind of middle-late position. So I raised, and I hoped it wasn't just going to go fold, 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 fold. Well, this Asian guy, who seemed like he was otherwise pretty good, he was on the button. And he's starting to grab chips. And I'm thinking, please don't just flat me. I hate when people freaking flat me when I got aces because then post-flop it's very hard to play. You don't want to put in too much money when you've just got aces unimproved because they may have something to beat you. You don't know. You know do, do they have a set? Do they have two pair? Did they make some kind of weird straight? You, like, you don't know. You can sometimes figure it out from where they are, what position they're in and whether they re-raised you or if they called you. But you know, if, if, if they just flat you... Yeah, you can rule out certain hands, but you, you don't want to see flatters. You, what you want is to get in as much money as possible pre-flop, preferably all in. That's the best thing you can do with aces. So the guy's grabbing chips, and it's not clear from the motion he's grabbing chips if it's going to just be to call or to three-bet me. And at first, it kind of looks like he's going to call. I'm going, oh, shit, I don't want this. And he had a pretty big stack, so I had a feeling this might be a very hard hand to play. I think he had like 180 or something. But not big, but it, you know, he had enough to where it was going to really eat into my stack if I if, if we got it in. Post-flop. And I lost. Well, to my delight, he three-bet me. Folded, came back to me. I tried to put on as good of an act as I could without being too over the top that I was a little confused and annoyed with the three-bet and didn't know what to do. And I went all in. And as I went all in, I prayed that he was going to call. But I didn't have to pray very long because as soon as I said all in, snap call from him. Turns over queens. And I think to myself, this is a freaking dream hand. I just have to hope this runs out okay. So I hold my breath. Where comes Jack 7 7. Turn is a 10. River is a nine. And while that would have been a horrible board for sevens, eights, nines, or tens, or jacks against me, for queens, that was just fine. And all his chips went to me, and now I was over 500k. Didn't have to wait too long till I got another spot. Not, not as much involved, but uh, I had jack 10 suited. I raised. I got three bet by an older man. I called. The flop was Jack ten nine, or not Jack, Jack nine eight. Just decided to go all in. He had, uh, yeah, he had some chips left, but uh, not uh, not enough to bother with uh, check raising him here. Just figured I might as well go all in. I didn't want him checking behind, getting free cards or anything like that. Just, just figured if he's got a piece of this, he's gonna. Well, we'll get it in anyway. Might as well just put him in here. So I went all in. He snap-called me. Expected I'm going to see, like, queens again against me or something like that. Like, queens or kings. I was expecting to see an overpair. Maybe even worse. Nope, he's got ace-ten. <laughs> so, 
So he's not in very good shape. We've both got the 10 for the straight draw, but uh, he has no pair and I have a pair. So all he can get now is an ace to get him out of it. He did not, and all his chips went to me. Now I'm up into the, uh, this like around 650 I've got. This is now near the very end of the day, and I won a little bit more. Finished the day with 682, and that is where I stand. 682K, if you're wondering, is 23rd out of the entire field that entered on day 1C, which is, uh, I think, over 6,000 people. I finished with the 23rd highest stack. I will play against that same group of people in day 2C tomorrow at 10 a.m. Oh, so A, B is one and then C is the next? No, no, they all have their own day two. So day oh, two, yeah, yeah. B is going on right now. Two, two B is going on right now, and and one D. It's, it's kind of weird. Like day two A was going on at the same time, though it started later, but it was going on uh, at night during uh, during my day one event. But uh, it's all going to combine on day three. And in fact, Jay Searles is playing right now in, in day one D. Uh. I actually posted a little flow chart. I didn't make the flow chart. They made it at the World Series. But day t- day 2A was, uh, at, was at 2 p.m. on the 31st. Day 2B was at 7 p.m. on the 1st. Uh, there, actually, day 2C is... Uh, there is no day 2C today. It's going to be tomorrow. That's my, that's my flight. And then day 2D is, is on... Uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. And then on uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m., everybody combines to day three. So I hope I will be playing Wednesday as well. Uh, how close are we to the money? Well, we had 1,500 people, which is a lot more than... I think the other flights had about 1,200 survive. So we had 1,500 survive. I think the money will be around 900-something. So we've got a little while to the money. But I'm not even thinking about the money. I'm just thinking about getting deep in this. And I looked at my day two seating assignment. Do not recognize anyone at the table. Keep in mind, there's a lot of wrecks still left. So it's going to be mostly recreational players in the field on day two, which is easier than most day twos. We're usually contending with a lot of other pros. So at least this day two, while, while much less meaningful than other day twos in No Limit events, this is kind of more like the main event. There's going to be a lot of wrecks still on day two, much like day one. So that looks like what I have at my table. I don't recognize any of the names except for one, and the one guy I recognize is uh, actually a listener to the show who isn't really known in poker, but he's a listener to the show. I recognize the name. He's the only one I know at the table. Everybody else I've never heard of. At my table, the only person with a stack anywhere in the neighborhood of mine is uh, Zachary Moore from Troy, North Carolina, with 307,000. So still less than half than I do, uh, of what I have. But uh, he's the second biggest stack. I have 682. He has 307. Next biggest stack has 258. Next one has 209. The rest have 155 or less. So I've, I've never been in this situation before. I've never come in with a no-limit tournament where I have this dominant of a chip lead over the table when I come into day two. Never. 
Even the time I finished fourth in, in a no limit event in 2006, I didn't have this after day one. This was my best day one no limit result ever in the World Series. And pretty amazing given how the first four levels went, which were crap. We played 13 levels, by the way. But uh, the first four levels, I was half starting stack. And then I finished with 682. I was very happy about that. We'll see how it goes. The, the one thing I, got, I want you guys to know, this is a very, very long road. This is not like a normal day one in a 1500 event. This, this one has such a gigantic field. It's probably going to have about 24, 25,000 people in the field. So this one is such a gigantic field. It's going to take so long to get through that this is just step one in a very long process of trying to get deep. So I got the great luck on day one. But if I, if that's the only day I, I get lucky, I'm not going to do very well. If the luck continues to roll on for a few days, yeah, then I'm in good shape. And that's the thing with these events. There's a small risk, which is only the $500, and a big reward, but the reward is... uh, It's probably not going to be very big unless you get really lucky for a few days straight. The first day I've now gotten lucky, we will see what continues. uh, It's it's good for me that it's very rec-heavy, this field. I do very well against recreational players. And you may say, well, so does everybody who's a pro. Well, that's not true. There are some poker pros who are just not very good at playing against recs. I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm actually very good against recreational players. I'm better against recreational players than most pros are. Where I sometimes have a hard time is against other pros. So the longer the recreational players are in this field, the more of an edge I have. But it, it is a long time I have to get through. And even recreational players can beat me if they get better cards. So we'll see where this goes. But I am, I'm feeling good again. And I'm also realistic. I'm, I'm not feeling like, oh, I'm going to win the event now. Like I'm, I'm feeling like I've done, a, I've done great for step one, but it's only step one. That's how I feel right now. Trader Ruski, uh, have you ever had a, a huge day one in a no-limit event at the World Series? Oops, sorry. Um... No, not really. Not like that. I've been more, you know, upper 60%, you know, 60, upper third of the event, but that's about it. Yeah, I had one other big day one, and that was in the 2012 main event, but I didn't even cash in that one. But it wasn't as good as this. This this is by far the best I've done. This is the I, – I was in like the top uh, 0.3%. Of the field here, so that's uh, that's pretty good. So we will see where this takes me, and and I'm excited about it. An event I did not think would excite me is exciting me. Who knew? Well, I want to talk about the fail. I've already talked about the warehouse. I'm not going to talk about the warehouse anymore. But I'm going to talk about the lines for this event and the mistakes they made, which I saw coming. Go back to old shows when I talked about this. You'll see that I saw it coming. In 2007, let's go back to 2007. They announced something that excited many people. 
Online registration is coming to the World Series of Poker. Does that sound familiar? They announced it in 2019 also, didn't they? What a lot of people didn't know is they did this 12 years ago. You could register online. All you had to do was come to the World Series of Poker and go to a kiosk to complete your registration. Oh, that sounds just like 2019. How did that go with the kiosk? There were six-hour lines in 2007. It was a disaster. People rude the day that they chose to register online. The kiosk didn't work right. There were long lines for them. There were additional steps you had to do beyond the kiosk to verify yourself. The whole thing was a freaking disaster. They stopped doing that. They didn't do it again the following year. The whole thing was a complete failure. So in 2019, they brought it back. A bit different, but they basically brought the same thing back. You can register online, but you still have to go interface uh, with something, either a kiosk or the desk at the cashier. You have to interface with someone or something in order to complete it. You cannot complete the whole thing yourself. You can't just register online and then just show up there. You can't register online and show them an app on your phone. You can't register online and print something out yourself and bring it there. No, you have to go there and complete the last step. And I said at the time that was announced, this is like a few weeks ago, I I talked about this, it was going to be a freaking disaster. I knew they would not handle this right. I knew it was not going to be done correctly. I knew there would be terrible lines. I knew they were not ready. I knew it. Why? Because I've been here for many years and I see how they do things. The way the World Series works with new things is instead of thinking forward and saying, what are some potential problems that might come up with a new idea that we have come up with? What are some possible kinks in this plan that we should try to foresee and try to prevent? Instead of thinking that way, they just do the same thing that they have been doing. And then when it predictably fails, they say, oops, Well, we didn't do this right. Next year, we're going to do it better. And then they improve the following year. But they never get it right the first time. We see that every time. We've seen this for more than a decade. So I knew 2019 would be no different. I saw nothing that was convincing me that they were preparing properly for the amazing wave of people that were going to come in for this Big 50. Now, I talked to my dad a while last night. My dad enjoys following my... World Series of Poker Progress, he, he reads my Twitter, he uh, gets excited when I'm doing well, and uh, he, often he'll stay up till late at night till I, I finish the day, and then I'll talk to him afterwards. So I talked to him last night, obviously he was very happy to see uh, what happened to me towards the end of the day there, and uh, and but then he asked me, when I told him about the line situation, he said, well, what was the big deal with this event? Why did they get such tremendous crowds? What was the big difference this year compared to other things they've done? So I said, that's a good question. And here's the answer. You know, like, what's the difference between this and the Colossus, for example, that they just had last year? The difference is that this is rake-free. So it was a similar amount of money to the Colossus, but there is something extra special about not just the low buy-in, but a low buy-in where there's no rake. So people who had been long considering playing their first World Series event to try to win a bracelet, to try to win the million dollars, a lot of them said, this is going to be the one. 
I want it to be this one. It's it's uh, only five hundred bucks, so it's it's within a lot of people's grasp. Even people who don't have that much money, they can save up for it. And they knew that unlike most events they play, which are heavily raked, this would have a zero percent rake as long as they didn't re-enter. And that was very very appealing to them. And I knew that this was going to get a tremendous response. And keep in mind, even without the no rake. They got a huge response to the Colossus. But I knew this was going to be bigger. I knew this was going to be a bigger version of the Colossus. They also had fewer starting flights than the Colossus. I also saw that. I didn't think the four starting days was enough. And I didn't think their online registration process introduced this year was going to help anything. In fact, I thought it was going to hurt. It was just inviting more fail. I didn't see any evidence that they were preparing for the onslaught of people. I didn't see evidence that they had thought of any potential parking problem that might occur. Even though there's a lot of parking at the Rio, that there is a capacity. Eventually it can be reached. I've seen it close before. So they didn't think about the parking. They didn't think about the fact they only had four starting days. They didn't have like a later flight that starts at a later time. They actually just had four flights, period. You can late register. You can rebuy once each each flight, but you, there's no second later flight on any day. They didn't think about the tremendous response they were likely to get from it. They came up with an idea that really captivated the public. I guess props to them for that. They, they marketed it very well. Got a lot of people excited. Got a lot of people. This is going to smash all records for the number of individual bodies that came to sit in this event. It's going to smash all records. So I guess props to them for bringing such excitement at a time when poker is dying. I've never said they were bad at marketing the World Series. They're damn good. But they're not prepared to deal with the results of their good marketing. And everything I feared came true. And worse. It was actually worse than I expected. I knew it was going to be full of fail, but it was actually more full of fail than I expected. Every way that you could imagine that this could have failed, registration-wise, has occurred. They didn't have enough parking. They did not have enough room. They had to turn people away, which they haven't had to do in a long time. They simply didn't have the room for players, which is disgraceful. Day 1D sold out before Day 1D even started. It sold out yesterday during Day 1C. Late registration was still open for Day 1D, just simply because they don't open late registration until the same day. So they didn't have enough starting days. They didn't have enough rooms on the starting days they had. They had to stuff people into places like that warehouse because they were so out of room. By the way, I was pissed because I registered a full day in advance. I still ended up in the freaking warehouse. They had major, major lines. I mean, if... if oh, you have Trader Risky have something to say? I was... Uh-oh, can't hear you, Trader. 
A poor connection, it says. That's not good. This is the problem with the Rio. Okay. Let's try to reach him back. This is, I, I had a feeling we might have a problem with Trader Ruski today because of uh, the bad internet here. I hope you guys can hear me okay today. I hope there haven't been cutouts. But they, they had these tremendous lines. If you've looked at Twitter, you've read Poker News, if you've read any of these uh, social media or, or poker news sites, you've seen these videos or pictures of the line and how insane it was, how far it stretched back, how many hours it took. Hours and hours online for everything, for regular registration, to complete the online registration. Even the diamond room had a tremendous line that didn't, that gave you some relief from it, but you still stood on a long line there unless you're going to come at 630 in the morning. Even if you came at 630 in the morning for the regular line, it was terrible. At 330 in the morning, the lines were still outrageous. (laughs) So 24 hours a day, the lines were horrendous. They didn't try to do anything to prevent these problems. Now, you might say, wait a minute, you're being too critical here. If they're out of room, they're out of room. If they're out of parking, they're out of parking. They they can't just erect new parking lots for this. They can't just invent new space at the Rio. Look, they tried to clear space in that warehouse. They tried at least, right? How How can I complain? Well, okay, with some of that you have a point. But tell me this. How come they didn't have every cashier working 24-7? When I say every cashier, I mean every cashier station. There were actually closed cashier stations during portions of the day, including during the peak. People were reporting that there were actually times with huge lines that several cashier stations were closed. I saw it personally at 6.30 in the morning. Now, yes, it's the deadest time, but still with huge lines, I saw a lot of stations closed. I didn't go observe how many were open during the peak times. So I couldn't even get in there. But I was hearing from people that they were closed. Mark Gregorich, a veteran of the Las Vegas poker scene, very, very nice, easygoing guy. He, he's one of the least dramatic people in poker. He's someone I cited as someone everyone in poker likes. Never has drama, never fights with people. Just a, a nice, easygoing guy. I'll admit, I'm not a nice, easygoing guy. Like, I will complain. I will create drama. Oh, you guys know that. Mark Gregorich is a nice, easygoing guy. And he shamed the World Series in a tweet. A scathing tweet saying that, I, I don't have it in front of me, but saying something like, uh, seeing cashiers being, with, with their stations not open, with a line that's six hours long, is either utter incompetence or a big middle finger to all of their customers. That's what he wrote. Mark Gregorich wrote this, the guy who never creates drama, never complains. Joe Tall, another guy like this, who's usually very upbeat and positive, wrote a a, a scathing tweet about uh, the way the World Series has handled this registration process. Seth Polanski actually responded back to him and argued with him. Then Joe Tall actually quoted... Uh, my tweet about the warehouse with a picture of the plastic bag <laughs> over the air conditioner to, as as evidence for what he was saying. So I got brought into this in a way. Uh, but you have guys like Joe Tall and Mark Gregorich writing nasty tweets about it. You know it's a problem. 
You can't just say, oh, this is Druff trying to find reasons to complain about Caesars. No. You have guys who never complain, who were, who were angry enough to take to Twitter and, and write scathing tweets to the World Series about this. You ask, what, what could they have done? They could have had every cashier station filled with a cashier 24-7 throughout the whole time when this event was being registered. They could have built additional cashier stations. How? Well, because in the pavilion room, they actually have a temporary cashier station that they erect and take down every World Series. It's not like uh, other places in the Rio where there's a, a cashier cage, which is constant, where expanding that would be difficult or impossible. They have a temporary cashier station they set up there in a very large room. There's actually two of them. There's one in the pavilion and there's one in the the main cashier area, which also functions as the the diamond cashier area. And while there's not a a lot of room to expand over there, in the pavilion room, there's all the room they need. So all they, they needed to do was add additional cashier stations to the pavilion room and direct people in there for the registration. Which they started, I started hearing they were doing, except they didn't add additional ones there. But they, they could have easily added more cashier stations if they wanted to in anticipation for what was going to happen. Totally easy to do. Totally within the realm of possibility without a lot of trouble, expense, or time to do. So they could have done that. They could have made the online registration be a true online registration where you can use an app to just show to the dealer that uh, your, here's your ticket. You can give them an app ticket. Now, if, they're, if they still want to obsess over paper tickets like they have been ever since the beginning of the World Series, I don't know why they're so obsessed with paper tickets. It's stupid because you can't cash at the World Series if you're not in the computer of ha- as having played. So if you were to forge a ticket to play at the World Series, it would do you no good because then you wouldn't be in the computer as having registered and paid. So it doesn't help you. And uh, now I, I suppose you could say, well, someone could forge a ticket and sit down and play and, and then go register uh, after that if they're doing well. So they're in the computer. I, I guess they could pull something like that, but there's ways to stop it, such as having an app. That validates it, and the truth is, someone could already do that. They could, it's not that it's not that difficult to forge a, a registration ticket. I could do it. I never would, but I could. It's not that hard. And I'm like, I'm like a ma- I'm not a master forger or photoshopper by any means, but even I could do it. So it could be done anyway. So why not let people print them at home? Why not let people use an app on their phone combined with their ID to show they're supposed to be there? In fact, why not give the dealer? a printout of the people who, who've already registered um, online before the thing started and know who to expect to make them show ID. That's easy, right? That should be very simple. Anyone who registers online before the event, have a cutoff time sometime uh, uh, a few hours before the event, and then print out for each dealer who has registered online and is expected at this table in this seat and then just make them show ID when they show up. That, that would work. There's no reason a paper ticket has to be involved. So why not do that? Why do you have to make them complete the process there? But if they still want to be obsessed with completing the process for whatever reason, maybe there's some legality I don't know about. 
But if they have to have you in person to complete the registration process, then they should make some express lines where they have all the information in front of them and you just very quickly flash them your ID, quickly hand them the money, and then they quickly print your ticket and you're on your way. And any kind of release forms or anything else you sign online beforehand. Online signatures are valid, by the way, for most things. I'm sure for something like a release. The only reason you have to sign something when you sign up for the World Series is just that it's like a photographic release so you don't sue them later if you're in promotional photos of the World Series. So that could easily be done online. So they could have it where everything's done except for paying and uh, showing your ID. And, and picking up the ticket. It would be super fast. They could get through everybody super fast and blaze through it. It's, it's this whole long registration process to complete in person that made the whole online thing pointless. Furthermore, what about the people who paid by credit card and paid online? Well, that didn't help them much because they actually had to show up in person to show their credit card and get it verified. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, you can pay online, but you also have to bring us your credit card in person. <laughs> then why pay online? Why? What's the point? I was talking to a guy yesterday who said he couldn't believe it. This is a guy at my table. That that he spent hours online to verify his credit card. Where did they come up with these ideas? How did they not think this was going to be a disaster? So there was no way that you could register for this event without standing on a tremendous line. The best you could do was show up at like 6.30 in the morning and then stand on a a lesser but still crappy line. That was the very best you could do. People tried to get clever. I'll show up at 3 in the morning. They try. The line's still gigantic and hours long. You think you're all clever coming down there at 3 in the morning. Nope. That's what everybody else tried to do. Not everybody, but that's what a lot of other people tried to do. It didn't matter. It was this oppressive, long, terrible line, and they weren't ready. They didn't have all the cashier stations open. They didn't build extra cashier stations. The online thing was a disaster. They didn't consider any of this. The extra rooms they opened up, they didn't bother to think, hey, let's make sure the air conditioning's ready. Let's make sure there's not bags over the vents. How does that happen? How do they open up a new room and see bags over the AC vents and go, oh, that's okay. This looks like a good place to play poker. I'm sure nobody needs air conditioning when we cram a bunch of 98.6 degree human bodies in a small room in June in Las Vegas. Who needs air conditioning? I'm sure it'll be fine. In a room with no ventilation otherwise. Yeah, let's leave the bags over them. Who cares? We'll we'll submit a ticket. Maybe maintenance will get to it next week. It's unbelievable. These are very basic things. And I don't understand why the Rio is set up to where the World Series has such little power to have influence over the facilities management here. This has been an ongoing complaint that the Amazon room gets super cold at night because the human body leave and it's over air conditioned. Everybody's told to bring a jacket to the Amazon room. The Amazon room is notoriously cold. Why? Why can't facilities turn down the AC every night and then turn it back up in the morning? That'll take like a few seconds. They don't do it. What else do they have to do here? 
But apparently the World Series has no control over this. But I think they don't have control because they just don't care. I, I think if, if Seth or, or Jack were to raise this issue, but these guys are in management. These, these guys aren't just low-level employees. These guys are, are, have management positions in Caesars. The World Series is very impor- important to Caesars. It's a huge brand. So they should go to the manager of the Rio, the entire manager of the Rio. I forget the guy's name, but go to the general manager of the entire Rio and tell him, we've got to get facilities on the ball here. They have to be at our beck and call to do things like this during these seven weeks. That should be their main job. But they don't. The fact that four entire days could pass of these uh, days to play in that warehouse and they still have bags over the AC is, is disgraceful. All it requires is a guy bringing a ladder over there and getting up there and cutting down the bags. That's it. Not a major job. Hell, give me the ladder, I'll do it. There's a lot of things were done wrong. And we have these apologists on Twitter who say, well, this is a huge event. You try running an event with 20,000 people and tell me if you get everything right. Well, I probably wouldn't, but I wouldn't make these mistakes. And if these mistakes were brought to my attention, I would say, okay, well, I've made some mistakes. Let's, let's quickly do what I can to mitigate them. But I sure as hell know I wouldn't uh, have an event like this on here without every cashier station manned. I sure as hell know that I wouldn't leave bags over the AC for four days. I know I wouldn't make those mistakes. I know that every new room I would open to put people to play poker, where we typically haven't had people playing poker, I'd make sure this room was okay in all ways. These are very basic things to do. And you can't just say, well, it's a huge, huge event and they can't do everything. Yeah, well, they can do the basic things. Where mistakes will be made is kind of like obscure things you don't think about. Or if there's really an unexpected demand to play the event that exceeds all projections. But that's not what happened here. I expected this. Everybody expected this. Everyone knew it was going to be huge. It's, it's like they come up with an idea. They go, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be huge. Then it is great and huge, and they're not ready for it. Well, if you think it's going to be great and huge, if you're so proud of your own idea, then be ready for what you have created. I could understand if, for some reason, everybody had a fascination with 08, and 10,000 people showed up to play 08 on Thursday. And they weren't ready for it, saying, well, look, we got 1,100 last year. We don't know how the hell we got 10,000 people here for 08 on, when, when every other year has, has had less than 1,500. Okay, I would excuse them for that one because that would have been unprecedented and unexpected. But this was not. They already saw with Colossus how big that was and they knew this was going to be bigger. And this was not a well-run event. Even for its size, it was not a well-run event. I see a call coming in. Let's take this. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. I'm sorry, I was uh, I was calling call to the lesson line. I'm sorry, but that's okay. Congratulations, Dad. Okay, who is this? My name is Tyrone Chan. Uh, I'm happy you you do very well. Okay. The, well, thank you. 
for the series of poker. I just called on, on call the lesson line. I called that line. I guess I, I hit the wrong number. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Uh, no problem. The, 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 but, 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 anyway, but uh, I really feel happy you did well. Well, thank you. Really, we had you got some luck uh, cracking aces. I did. I had great luck cracking the aces. About five percent chance to do that, and I did it. So I, that was very good. Uh, uh, so, this, this question: What what percentage chance you you will get cash? Oh um, well, if there really is fifteen hundred left, and we have like nine hundred something, and with this type of stack, that that it, this is a, it's just a guess. Obviously, there's no way for me to really know what what my percentage is, but I I, I think probably at this point uh, I've got like a ninety percent chance to cash. That's that's my guess. Well, that's and that's probably sixty sixty percent chance you run very deep, right? I wouldn't say a sixty percent chance. I wish it was sixty percent, but no, there's a lot of poker left to play to run very deep. So I, I don't, I don't know what the chance is there. I just, I know I have a very high chance to cash at this point to, to run deep. Uh, that I'm not sure what to say about that. It's a, but but it's the best I've ever had in an event like this. So we'll see. We will see where, what I can do with it. Well, I, let me say that again. Uh, I. I'm a faithful listener. I think you do, you you're fantastic. Even though I disagree with you politically, but uh, I'm I'm admire you on the show. Good luck. Good luck. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So that's a, a new caller I haven't heard from before. We actually have a number of listeners who, who really enjoy the show, despite being on the political left. And, and that's good. That's good that we that I can have fans of this show who, who are very uh, opposite for me politically and not hold that against me so much to where they won't listen. And this isn't a political show. Most of the stuff I talk about here has nothing to do with politics. And I, and I try to save any political stuff I have to save for the end of the show for that reason. So if you don't want to hear that type of stuff, then you can just turn it off at that point. Tonight, we don't have anything political. So... Uh, it's all uh, poker and gambling stuff, as usual. So, okay, I want to talk a little bit about uh, MDJ1980, a uh, listener of Poker Fraud Alert. And he did very well at the 08 event. It's not going to be a, a long topic, but just want to bring attention to this. His name is Michael Juno, J-U-N-O, like the movie. And I've known of him for some time. He's he's bought pieces of me for the World Series of Poker, including this year. Seems like a nice guy. And I hadn't met him until this year. I, I went over to his seat. He told me where he'd be sitting and uh, went over and met him for uh, the or during the 08 event. And while I did not last past uh, level 9... He made it through the day. It was funny because through a lot of the day, we had about the same stack. We kind of rose our stacks around the same time and at the same rate in the 08 event. But then when I got to about 22K, he kept going up and I started going back down. So so I was gone and, and he was moving up and he had a, a nice day one. Final hour of day one didn't go that great for him, but he, uh, he kept uh, plugging along the next day. And cashed and and ran uh, very deep in the event to where people started getting excited. And I, in fact, told him that provided I'm not playing something, that I would show up to his final table and root him on if he were to make it all the way through. Uh, 
Unfortunately, he did not make the final table. And despite running his stack up to uh, one of the top stacks at one point on day two, then uh, yeah, the, the luck turned around. It's, it, it's very, very hard to keep your stack up at these events. That's what people don't understand sometimes who don't play these events. But you're playing for many hours and the blinds get big enough to where if you just lose a few hands, it completely turns your fortunes around, even at these limit events. So it's it's very easy to just go on a little losing streak and you're, you're crippled. And what was looking great is no longer so great. It can be the opposite too. Think about me at the uh, Big 50 where I was down to half my starting stack after the first four levels and then by the end of level 13, I'm one of the top stacks in the event. So it goes both ways. So... Unfortunately, he did not end up uh, making the final table, but uh, he did get very deep, and he finished in 33rd, which, strangely enough, was the place I finished at in my best finish last year, which was at a no-limit event, a 1500 no-limit event, with about 1,300 in the field, I finished 33rd. Here in this field, I think it had 850, a little bit reduced from last year. Last year, it was like 1,100-something. This year, at 850. I think it's the Big Fofty interfered with it. But still, 33rd out of 850 is, is a, a great result. And even better than I did last year. I got like 59th out of 1,100-something, so he did better than I did last year. And great job for MDJ1980, Michael Juno, who I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken... This was his first World Series cash. He's not a professional poker player. He's a regular guy with a regular job. And this was exciting for him to come to the World Series and do this well. And and he must be a good Omaha player to be able to get this far because this is uh, not an easy event once you get that deep. At, at the beginning, if you get a table full of fish, then yeah, you can be a mediocre player and run up chips there because there's there's a lot of fish in the event. But once you get to the later stages, and I saw this last year, there's a lot of good players remaining. So he had to battle with a lot of good players. He actually also got Jeff Madsen much later than the event. So he had to contend with Jeff Madsen and, and other good players. He ended up cashing uh, 53-16 for his $1,500 buy-in. So good job to him, a faithful listener to this show. He has on his avatar on Poker Fraud Alert on the forum a picture of his infant child listening to the show. He actually has a picture of the baby, who I think is about a year and a half old now, but he had a picture of the baby sitting in front of Poker Fraud Alert with the on-air sign flashing. That's his avatar. So his baby actually has listened to this show. I wonder if he used this show to put his baby to sleep, too. He might have. It seems like this is a very popular show for sleeping. I should market this show as a cure for insomnia. As the, it wouldn't be uh, very flattering to me, but maybe that's the way to get more listeners here. Because people love to use this to sleep. Calwatt did. Looks like the the Hansen kid did. See Money did when he was uh, around. A lot of people use the show to sleep. And then I asked them, I go, well, what do you mean by that? Is it boring? And they go, no, 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 it's just relaxing. And I go, well, I don't know how it's relaxing. I'm like out here complaining about things all the time and playing sound bites, but, but somehow that's relaxing. <laughs> uh, they describe it, people who say it's relaxing describe it as just 
they can turn their brain off and just let someone talk to them incessantly where they don't have to respond. For some reason, that's relaxing to them. To, to me, there's no way I could sleep through this or through any show like this or through any show, period. I couldn't put a, a talk show on and fall asleep. It just wouldn't work for me. But everybody's different. Anyway, I'm very happy he did that. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll be honest here, MDJ1980. I, I would have rather it was me. I would have rather I finished 33rd and you busted. But if if I was not going to succeed, if I was going to bust without cashing, as I did, then I really wanted the winner to be someone who was associated with this site. So I was happy to see that while you did not win the event, that you finished 33rd, that you made almost $4,000 on the event, that you got the experience of running deep in a World Series event with a fairly big field. And that it was a nice experience, and I was rooting for you. I was really hoping you were going to win. There's some people who kind of like quietly root against certain people. It's called the anti-sweat. And there's some people who like to pretend they're rooting for someone, but in reality, they're hoping they lose because they're jealous. People even do this to their own friends. Like they're they're jealous their friend is is going to make all this money or win a bracelet, so they kind of they quietly hope they're going to fail, and they kind of root for a stranger to win instead. But then they tell their friend, "Oh man, I was pulling for you." But I, I swear that's not how I was feeling. When I was gone and I saw he was posting his updates on, on the thread using the hashtag PFA04, meaning a Poker Fraud Alert Event 4, so it auto-posts on the site. And, and Jace Rolls is doing that today for the uh, the Big Fofty. But when I saw he was posting his updates and I could see exactly how he was doing, I was saying, oh, great. I, I, I really hope he wins this. And I, that's why I would have come down to root him on if he made the final table. So good job. And you can come back next year, maybe do better. So I just wanted to give a little recognition there to MDJ1980. Didn't get to talk to him much, just met him briefly. Seemed like a nice guy. And he's been a nice guy in my interactions with him online. So definitely someone I would have been very happy to see win the bracelet there, if it wasn't me. I was rooting for myself first, okay? There's, a, there's no one I, I'd rather see win at any of these events than me. And and I'm sure that's the way you guys feel too. And if you're if you say otherwise you are lying. The only exception might be if it's like your kid. So I guess like when Benjamin's twenty one, if he plays one of these events, I'd rather see him win the bracelet than me. I'll be honest with that. But other than like my kid, who is way too young to play right now, the the one I want to see win the most is me. But then there's people I want to see win second most, and that's that's where the listeners come in. That's where, like 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 my friends and listeners, those are the people I want to see do well. The people I want to see lose are the people I dislike, and everybody else I kind of just don't care. They win or lose, it doesn't really, you know, someone's got to win, someone's got to lose, so the rest just doesn't affect me. All right, let's throw Trader Risky back on here. Trader Risky, hello. I'm back. Yeah, you're I back. I updated my Skype. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but it has. I updated mine too uh, when my computer crashed. My computer just completely froze. Like it was a hard crash. It, it couldn't be a harder crash than that. Yeah, I heard that. That was only a couple minutes. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't lose that much. Four at the most. I, I went to go look something up. <laughs> I go, crap! Why? Why? Why can't I bring up the 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 mouse icon? And then I noticed that everything is just frozen in place. Like, oh no! And then I press the caps lock button and it doesn't light up. I go, oh boy, this is a bad crash. And maybe the sleeping has to do with me falling asleep. No. 
maybe people have that in their heads. And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Maybe they drink you, some herbal tea, and then you know it's in their head, and then they go to sleep. Right? Maybe 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 that they virtually drink tea along with you. It's possible. That's right. Final World Series topic, before we move on to the various Negranu topics, I want to talk about the sad truth about the food options at the Rio. Now, I'm not going to talk about my fight with the American Bar and Grill yesterday. It's, it's not a very interesting story, and I don't feel like going into it. But I, I will – it did make me think about – and you guys will probably – I made kind of a tilt tweet right after that where I said I, I'm going to really try to avoid eating at the Rio as much as possible. And, and I, I kind of still stand by that. Like I, I wrote that when I was mad, but I'm, I'm still – Feeling that way, and in fact, today I did go out to get something else and didn't eat here. I, I'm not going to be able to completely avoid eating at the Rio, and I'm not going to try to do that completely. But I'm going to try to, like, somewhat avoid it. But and like, even like, I saw Ray Davis on the Real Grinders Group was complaining about a four dollar uh, candy bar that he wanted to buy today and couldn't believe it. So p- people are always outraged at the prices. I, I've talked before about the seven dollar bottles of Gatorade, the same ones that they sell for ninety nine cents at the store. So there's a lot of outrageously high prices, bad food, huge lines, huge crowds, poor selection, poor hours, a lot of issues with the Rio. Issue number one, no room service after 11. A lot of events run after 11. In fact, if you make it to day two, for sure you have played after 11, no matter when the event started. So you cannot get room service then. The main restaurant, the American Bar and Grill, closes at midnight. That's a big problem. Again, you're usually playing after midnight if you make it deep in a day at the World Series of Poker. There are not really that many restaurant choices. You have the American Bar and Grill. You have the buffet. You have some uh, Asian place. There is uh, the sports deli, which is kind of fail. There's the Voodoo Steakhouse, but that's very expensive. And then you have some fast food places, like Smash Burger, I think, is a Smash Burger and some, like, Wetzel's Pretzels or something like that up there. And then, then you, it's pretty far all the way in the corner, like as far from the World Series as you can get within the Rio. And then you have uh, the Poker Kitchen, and then you also have the third party option of Ameri- All American Dave's, which should not be a not be confused with the All American Bar and Grill or the American Bar and Grill. Those are two separate things. All American Dave's is owned by an individual not associated with Caesars, who has gotten permission to basically park their uh, food service trailer behind the D- WSOP tournament area. So I'm going to briefly talk about these. And then tell you about some other options for eating at the World Series of Poker. American Dave should just keep it open for late night, too. That'd be a quick fix. He'd probably make a fortune. That's true. I don't know why he doesn't do that. I should suggest it. You know, he's actually very responsive. Like, the, a conversation actually started up yesterday where the, there's a person who listens to this show who's been very active on Twitter. It's a female or supposedly a female, supposedly an older female who listens to this show and really enjoys it. She goes by Rachel Lees, that's L-E-E-S 69. you think with the 69 part, it would be, <laughs> it seems like kind of sexually, you'd kind of picture a younger woman, but she's admitted she's old. Uh, maybe the 69 means what year she's born, but that wouldn't make her that old. She'd be like 50. But nevertheless, she... Or she, she is or she is 69. 
Ah, she could be 69. If she's 69 and does 69, that, that's kind of unappealing to think about. But anyway, uh, she really likes the show. And she kind of just appeared on the scene recently. And she claims that's not her real name. It's an alias. But she's been very active in, in last night in a response to me. And then Dave himself showed up and started like debating back and forth with her about it. In a respectful way, but he was like they were debating back and forth. Uh, but he's very responsive, and Brandon once had a problem with him, and Dave took care of it and was very nice and gave Brandon some comps over the whole thing. And uh, So I, I have respect for Dave as a businessman. I think he's he's responsive and really cares about his business and his customers, so I'll give him that. But I'll get into his thing shortly. That'll be part of this segment. Where you should avoid for sure is the poker kitchen. Yes, it's the closest thing. Yes, uh, it may seem convenient for you. But the, the poker kitchen and the other stuff they sell around there, the Gatorade, all those things, everything is super marked up. And I don't just mean somewhat. I mean that's where the $4 candy bar and the $7 uh, Gatorade. That, that's where you're going to find that stuff. That's because they're, they're hitting you hard because that's the most convenient option. And that's where a lot of people are just going to naturally go, especially people who don't know the Rio that well. So don't go there. Just avoid it. Uh, if, if you really want to grab something quickly, just go to All American Dave's, which is actually located uh, behind the World Series area. If you go to the Amazon room and then walk to the area behind it outside, you actually keep walking in the hallway, this is the side of the Amazon room, and exit. And if you, you can't find it, just ask someone where All American Dave's is, and they'll point you to it. And you can just buy it from them. They're expensive, but but it's a much better. Even that's a much better value than the Poker Kitchen. So you should avoid the poker kitchen and the other stuff they sell right there. The restaurants at the Rio, uh, there's a supposed fine dining at the Voodoo Steakhouse, but it's it's not that good as far as like prime steakhouses go. It's okay if you've got the comps; it's better than nothing, but it's not uh, it's not as good as other steakhouses with comparable pricing, even a little bit cheaper pricing. Uh, it's got kind of a nice view. It's really high up on the top of the Masquerade Tower, but then again, the Rio's not on the Strip, so what are you really seeing from up there? Uh, but let's let's put that one aside. The regular restaurants, there's a Mexican place that's in... It, it took over for where Bugio's was. Bugio's was a seafood place. I even ate there with... Uh, I think I've eaten at both places with you, Trader Risky. Didn't I eat it with you at both Bugio's and the uh, the Mexican place? I think we did hit the Mexican place last time. Right? Yeah, last time we hit the Mexican was place. Was it Mexican then? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, we did Bougio before for sure. Yeah, so um, I actually like the Bougio's option a little bit better. Uh, I, I thought that was decent. The, the Mexican place, it's kind of hit and miss. It's a Guy Fieri place, but there, there's some things that are good, some things that are okay. It's not terrible, but it's not uh, it's not great. Uh, the What you should watch out for is the takeout window. I don't know if they fixed this, but last year there was a takeout window for this place that was deceptively cheap, but they actually gave you like a half portion to where it was actually a worse deal. So we were paying like, I don't know, 60, 70% of the price and getting a half portion. So at first I'm like, oh, wow, sweet, this is cheaper than the main restaurant. But no, it was actually more expensive because you're getting half as much. And the funny thing was when I brought this up, nobody could give me a straight answer. So I got these obnoxious people at the at the window. This is last year, not this year. And, and I, I'm, I'm going, you know, you guys don't really put there that this is half a portion. You guys should really be clear about that. They go, and I got this person saying, well, what do you expect? It's cheaper. Of course it's going to be half a portion. I'm going, whoa, you know, what do you mean? Just 
Why should I think if I order, if I was in the restaurant and ordered this and liked it and wanted to order the exact same thing with the exact same description in the window, why, why should I think it's going to be half portion? Why, why should I be monitoring the price between that and the restaurant? Like, the person was just very obnoxious. Anyway, then, but then I talked to the manager of the restaurant who said, no, it's not supposed to be this way. And I go, well, but that it is. Like, go back and fix it. (laughs) It was really weird. I never got a, a straight answer on that one. But just be, be aware of that. I haven't been there this year. Last year, that was the situation. Then you have the All-American Grill, which is uh, you know, somewhat overpriced, just kind of a standard uh, place. They kind of make a lot of different things there. They have sandwiches. They have burgers. They have steaks. Uh, not, nothing's that wonderful. In fact, they changed the, the, the executive chef who was in charge of it. The previous one was better. So some of the things that were better there have now since gotten worse. So keep that in mind that some of the things you may have liked in previous years there are no longer there or made differently. And in fact, always ask about the preparation of things. I, I made that mistake like with the salmon. They totally changed the preparation of that where I liked it before. And then they had all this weird like stuff on top of the salmon. I go, what the hell is this? This wasn't the way it used to be. Uh, here's something stupid. Here's something really, really stupid. There is a $3 takeout charge. I've talked about this before, but it still freaking pisses me off and it's taking advantage of poker players and it angers me. There's a $3 takeout. It's like the mini resort fee on the food. Right. And and here's what's especially stupid. Let's say you're eating there and you take one bite and you go, oh, my stomach hurts. You know what? I I think I'm just going to take this to go. If you do that, if you sit down in the restaurant, which is the exact same price as takeout, and... Then you take one bite and take the whole thing to go. You will pay zero point zero. No takeout charge. The exact same packaging that they use for takeout. They'll they'll box it up and charge you nothing extra other than just the price of the food. But if you say I want to order for takeout, then they charge you three dollars. And you should think they what they'd want to encourage takeout because you're not taking up any space. You're opening up the space for others. Uh, they're not having to clean any dishes. They don't have to serve you. They don't have to keep checking on you. They just hand you your food and you walk off. There's a lot of advantages to, to doing takeout for the restaurant. Yeah, they've got a small cost for the packaging, but that's very cheap. They're saving a, a lot of money in other things. A lot of money, a lot of effort. And because you're paying the same price for takeout, they're, they're doing a lot better. So they're charging you a $3 fee for the takeout just because they can. Because they know poker players will not be able to get into dinner or won't have time to sit down and eat and will need to take it out to go back to the table. So they just charge you because they, they know people are going to need it. Which I think is crappy. It's not illegal, of course. They can do what they want. But boy, it's crappy. That's a... And uh, and I've let them know it. And they, they can't even explain it to me. When they explain, they go, well, you know, we've got to pay for the materials. How, how do you think we pay for the, t- the box that comes in and the, the plastic silverware? You know, this stuff costs money. I go, okay, good point. How come you don't pay for that if you, if you sit down and take out with the exact same stuff? Uh, that's a good question. Like, they, they can't answer it. <laughs> I, 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 I've stumped them with that one. When I ask them why is this, and then they tell me, and they go, okay, well, what about this? They, they can't give me an answer. I've talked to the freaking food and beverage manager about this. He can't give me an answer. But I know the answer. The answer is because we can screw poker players. That's the answer. 
And that's not new this year. It's just, it just, but they, they've gotten more and more hard line with this with every passing year. And, uh, it sucks. And it just, it, in principle, it pisses me off. Of course, I can afford the three bucks, but it pisses me off. Because it's taking, I, I, it's, I haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm really, really considering just, if there's a space, sitting down, ordering it, and just immediately taking it to go to avoid the three dollars. And by the way, guess what I would do with the three dollars I would save? What, you know, back when they were willing to, uh, to waive it, which they're not anymore, but back when they were willing to waive it, you, you know what I would do with the three bucks? I'd give it as a tip. For the takeout. And in fact, when they charge it, I was very, I wanted to be clear. I said, is this going to the, to the restaurant or is it going to the server who's putting the thing together? Because if, if it went as a tip to the server, I'm fine. I, I don't mind that the server gets a little bit of a tip for this. Fine. Give them the three bucks. Great. At least it's going to you know, a good cause. But not for the restaurant to keep, not for Caesars to put in their pocketbook. Screw them. They don't deserve a three extra dollars for this. The workers, sure. If it goes to the workers, fine. Back then, I, I get, I, back when they would wave it for me, I would take the three dollars they waved and say, here's, here it is. Here's the three dollars and hand it to the person who put my order together. That's honestly what I did. So, uh, that's an annoying thing. So as I said, there's an Asian place, which is, just, it's kind of okay if, if you like that. The, the buffet. Let me tell you about the buffet. Now, I'm not, I'll, I'll start off by saying I'm not a big buffet lover. Watching me on Live at the Bike, you'd think I would be. You'd think, oh, well, wouldn't Druff love a place where he could just keep eating and eating with no limit? In theory, yes. But buffets substitute quantity for quality. The food looks good, but it usually does not have very much taste. It's just very, very hard to make massive amounts of food and have it be good. And also be able to have the buffet be reasonably priced enough. Because at buffets, a lot of food gets wasted. Tons of food gets wasted, and they know that. So the average buffet goer consumes a lot more food, both by what they put in their stomach and by what they waste, compared to restaurant goers who eat most of what they've ordered. And very little waste happens at restaurants. So they they have to take that into account. So the quality of the ingredients they order is much lower. Even at high-end buffets, it's still lower than a lot of restaurants. So I just am not a buffet person. And and I can tell the difference between good and, and bad quality and okay quality food. I can. I'll, I'll eat lower quality food. I'll eat fast food and stuff, but at least I know what I'm getting. I know when I'm, I'm paying for uh, fast food, there's a certain standard I'm looking for. When I'm... And, and when I'm going out for it, I, I know that's what I'm going for. And it's cheap, and it's fast. But a buffet, you know, like if I'm going to go pay 20-something, 30-something, 40-something dollars for a meal, I want it to be fairly good. It's not going to be a gourmet meal at that price, but it, I want something fairly good. If I want something that's, you know, not that not that good, then then I'll pay six dollars for a fast food meal, which can actually taste pretty good. It just isn't very healthy. But you can also taste it's not that high quality. Like it can be kind of tasty, but you can also taste your, that you're eating crap. So there's no there's no comparison to having like a the, like a good tasting high quality meal at a restaurant. 
So the buffet, it used to have a good reputation when the Rio first opened in the 90s. People used to talk about the Rio buffet all the time. It's so exciting to go to. It's not like that anymore. And if I never liked buffets that much, but even for those that do like buffets, it's just okay. There's nothing special about the Rio buffet anymore. So keep that in mind. Some people like it anyway. I'm just I'm just bringing that up to you. That is not the wonderful thing you may have heard about many years ago. There's the fast food area. There's like a smash burger that's up in uh, the the corner, pretty far away from where the World Series of Poker is, about as far as you can go in the Masquerade Tower, all the way at the end on the second floor. There's that and a few other fast food places over there. Not much to say about that. It's just fast food. The, the Smash Burger is kind of slow, and the, the cashiers there are really dumb. Like, dumber than you'd expect even for a Smash Burger. So, <laughs> it's going to be slow there to order. There's going to be a lot of confused workers there. There's going to be a lot of mistakes. So, keep that in mind. The Sports Deli. The Sports Deli is the only thing open. Not even quite 24 hours. It's open to like 4.30 or 5. I don't know why they don't make it 24, 24 but it's not. That, first of all, has a big line late at night because there's not a lot of options. It's pretty much just that that's open. And it's not very good, and it's kind of on the expensive side. So I'd avoid that if I were you. It's convenient, but not if you're playing poker, but like after you're done playing, before you go up to your room. It's convenient, but I don't recommend it. It's not that cheap. The portions are fairly big, but that's that's the only thing good about it. And for breakfast only, there's Hash House A Go Go, which I haven't been to yet, but a lot of people like. So, but it's only open for breakfast, and I'm never up at that time, unless I've been up all night. Uh, there are other options. The third party options you can go to All American Dave's which is, as I said, right behind the Amazon room outside. They have meal plans, which make it a little bit cheaper if you're going to order it regularly. Otherwise, it's like 25 bucks for a meal. They claim it's healthy food and that, it's, uh, that they use high-quality ingredients. And people seem to really like it. And Dave actually hires these pretty girls to bring it over to the table. You can just order through Twitter. And they'll bring it over to you and you pay them there. But it's expensive. It's $25 and what they give you is not very big. And it looks like something you should actually pay about half for. What you're getting for 25 looks like it's really worth about 13 But people do like it. They think it's it tastes good. And it is a, a, like a better quality meal than probably some of these other places at the Rio. And I think highly of the guy who runs it from what I've seen of him. He doesn't seem like a jerk. He's a, Some of these people who, who own their own restaurants or other small businesses can act like, hey, I'm the king of the castle. Uh, you know, it's, it's your privilege to patronize my business, not the other way around. And I, I hate owners like that. I hate business owners who act like they're doing you a favor to serve you. But Dave's not like that. He's actually very responsive to customers and seems like someone who wants to provide good customer service and a good customer experience and cares if people are upset with something there. So I'll give him credit for that. I'm even considering trying it. I've 
I, I've been avoiding All American Dave's, despite thinking highly of Dave himself, and despite hearing good things about the food. I, I have not gone there yet, and there there is a reason for that. There's a reason I haven't tried it yet. You might be able to guess what that reason could be. It's a reason that wouldn't really surprise you. It's a reason that is important to me. I eat so many meals here at the Rio. Would I really want to risk you know, waste twenty five dollars per meal for something that's not even very big? Yeah, I've got a big stomach. What I got over like two of them to fill myself up for fifty bucks? You got to be kidding me! So I have not gone to All American Dave's, but I might actually try. Have you tried it, Trader Ruski? I have not. Would you have if it were cheaper? No, I don't think that would be a... That wasn't really a factor for you? For, for me, it has I usually, been. you know, stop at Whole Foods when, you know, when I get in for the trip. Oh, okay, that's not a bad idea. Backpack. That's not a bad idea. But the, the, I, I just want to have hot food, though. That's the problem. Like, uh, that, that's what's the killer. For, like, I want to have a hot meal every day, and I've got to fix something. I just haven't gone to them. But I, I may actually do it. I'm not going to do like a meal plan, but I may just kind of give it a shot. Like maybe, maybe tomorrow. I just saw Jay Searle's login. I wonder if he's busted. I, I think he should still be playing if he were in day one. But uh, yeah. What do you think they charge him for having the uh, truck back there? That is a good question that was being discussed yesterday on Twitter. It was not revealed, but someone said you'd be surprised if you heard how much they charge. So it's probably a fortune. I don't know how much it is, but the, it's probably a lot. I'd love to know that number. I mean, what were they saying? I mean, maybe five grand a, a week? No, I think it's got to be more than that. They, they make they serve a lot of meals there, so I think they're really uh, – I think they they really sock it to him for the how much he's got to spend there, but uh, it it seems to be working. You know, it seems to be doing well and has good reputation. I may actually try it and report back. By the way, speaking of trying food and reporting back, because we're, we're coming, we're almost at the end of the segment. Gabo Boy kept pro- promoting this pizza call uh, a pizza place called uh, Monzu. Doesn't even sound like a pizza place, but M O N Z U. He said it's the best pizza he had in his life. And I thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. I, I just haven't been able to find really good pizza in Las Vegas. There's a lot of pizza in Las Vegas. I just couldn't find really good pizza. So I ordered takeout from this uh, Pizza Monzu today before radio. And I went and picked it up. And uh, I have to say, I was disappointed. There was nothing special about it. It was just okay. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was good. It was just kind of okay. It's, it's kind of an unusual shape. It's a, it's a rectangle instead of a circle. But what they call their regular, I calculated actually, is it's kind of like around the size of a 14-inch round pizza. So that's what I ordered. And it, it was okay. It wasn't a terrible pizza. I, I would eat it again, but I did not think it was even what I'd call good. So I don't know where Gobble Boy saying that it's the best thing he's ever had. The best pizza I've ever had was in New York. 
But yet, yet a lot of New York pizza is not even all that great. Like it's kind of hit and miss there too. But when I when I have had the excellent pizza, that's where it's been. This I, I was hoping for, even though this wasn't New York style. I was hoping that like have an experience like that. The first time like I had a good New York pizza, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, the Manzu did not excite me at all. It was really just okay. So the search continues. Some someone posted on Poker Fraud Alert that. People are wrongly giving Gobble Boy like too much credit for his food recommendation just because he's fat. Uh, someone said, "Look, I'd actually not want food recommendations from someone who's obese because that just shows that they they don't seem to be too picky about what they're going to eat." <laughs> and so I go, well, "I wouldn't go that far, but it is true that someone being fat just that doesn't mean they have good taste in food. It's just it's kind of an untrue stereotype." It doesn't mean he doesn't personally. I'm just saying that it, that should not be what that shouldn't be what makes you trust Gabo Boy's recommendations. Just that he's fat. So this so far, I haven't gotten anything he's recommended, but th- this is this is zero for one. So far, I'm not doing very well with with places I've gone to that are highly recommended. Like Nolan Dollar highly recommended some uh, uh, soul food place that wasn't even very convenient. It was kind of in this weird location, sort of by downtown. It wasn't in downtown. It was kind of by downtown. It was a I went there. Uh, the service was horrendous. I mean, absolutely horrendous service. The food was decent, like not super special, but decent. But the service, oh my god, it was terrible. So I didn't go back there. So far, every time the uh, things get recommended, they're just uh, they're not that good. Have you found any good pizza here, Trader Risky, in, in uh, Vegas? Yeah, no, that Pizza Rock place is great. Where is that? There's a location downtown, and then there's one in the Green Valley. The one that's off, that's like in Henderson. Okay, that's kind of far. But... What's it called? Yeah, but no, but there's one in downtown. Downtown. I mean, um, yeah, it's not that close either. I, I may try it, though. Away. Yeah, but those two. They may, and they have two locations. They may have oh, wait, 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 wait. You're there. right, you're right. You know what? I have been to, you, never mind. I have been to Pizza Rock, and you're right. That is good. I forgot. Um, a, a guy I know who listens to this show, actually. Took me there, and it was ex- it, it was very good. That that is the best pizza I've had in Vegas. It's just not very convenient. Yeah, I I, I don't know how I forgot that yet. Pizza Rock is very good. I just I forgot the name. You know what? I'll I'll tell you why I forgot it. Um, because of what happened to me last year in August, anything that kind of occurred like within about a month before that, kind of got blown out of my brain a little bit. Because that was a, uh, it was close in the time period when that. Bad stuff happened, and that really screwed up my brain at the time. So, uh, even though I'm back to normal that way, like I, I've noticed some of the memories around that time are kind of fuzzy. So it just came back to me, though. I remember being there and ordering the pizza, and it was very good. And that was when I was at my fattest. So I was like, I, I ate a lot of those slices too. I just kept ordering slice after slice. All right. Uh, Last part of this segment, just uh, places you can walk to from the Rio that are reasonable. You can go across the street to the Palms. They've got a whole food court over there. They have some food options there that are decent. Uh, Closer across the other street, across Valley View, is the Gold Coast, and and, uh, they have a decent Chinese restaurant called called Ping Pang Pong there. They also have some other dining options. So you you may want to check some of those out if you're tired of the Rio and what they have to offer. Those are two things that are very close that you can easily walk to. And uh, someone asked me before, is it unsafe? Someone asked me actually pretty recently, is it unsafe to walk from 
the Rio to like the Gold Coast. No. Uh, now, would I advise a a woman to walk alone at three a.m. over there? No, I that probably wouldn't be that safe. But yeah, you know, if you're just a regular dude who uh, just wants to walk between the two of them, it's not a terrible area. So it, I'd feel safe walking between the two. I have before. So don't worry about that. All right, so let's move on. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is Z number to the show. And uh, we shall move on. Let's see if I got any texts here on the main phone number, 775-372-8355. No, we did not, except for someone telling me it was offline, which I, I know about when the computer crashed. Let's talk about Negranu and his strange week. I got some criticism about last week's show. Some people were very unhappy with last week's show. Not last week. It was a little more than last week now, like a week and a half ago, the last show. They said, I spent too much time talking about Negranu and his wedding and also too much time talking about how Viffer looked in that one picture. Upon further review, I agreed on both, that I spent too much time on those and that kind of ruined the show. So I apologize if that wasn't one of our better shows. So you may be cringing at the thought of another Negranu topic, but I will make sure to spend appropriate time on this one, meaning not too much. First of all, Negranu did not cooperate with me regarding announcing when he got fired from Poker Stars. A lot of organizations in poker and individuals in poker are careful not to announce anything until right before the day of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. It's kind of an implied contract I have with them that nothing will be announced until right before radio so I can talk about it and be timely. Uh, Negranu just, you know, he beats to his own drum. He, he decided to announce that uh, he's no longer with Poker Stars. And he announced this right after our last show, which annoyed me. I, I was really pissed. I was like, come on, Negranu. I'm not going to be back on until June and I got to wait all this time. By the time I talk about this, it's going to be old news. But that, that's the way it went, unfortunately. So, let's talk about it now. Daniel Negranu joined Poker Stars in June of 2007. That's when he became the face of Poker Stars. Before that, he was doing his own thing. He was not representing any poker site. He had his own site called Full Contact Poker, which at first was just a forum and a blog, and then later also became a skin of like an on-game network poker site but he he got rid of the skin of the on-game network poker site when he joined poker stars in june of 2007 as their main face he got paid a lot of money the whole way a lot of money when you're the main face of a poker site when you're a big name like negranu you get a lot you get a bit probably usually minimum a million bucks per year some of it is paid through tournament buy-ins, but when you're a good tournament player like Daniel is, that's worth almost as much as the raw cash because he's going to play a lot of those events anyway. So this has been since 07, since June 07. And up until the last few years, he has been a very good hire for them because up until a few years ago, Negranu was popular, very well liked by pros and amateurs alike. Uh, mostly scandal-free, never was known to financially rip anybody off. So there was really 
just about all good with him and no bad. Very, very good to the fans. Whenever he'd play poker, he would uh, talk a lot at the table, but never be like degrading or demeaning to anybody. Not like Phil Helmuth, who talks at the table, but just the way he talks is telling all the players at the table how bad they are, including amateurs. So that, you know, that's not Negranu. Negranu is uh, very friendly at the table, very nice. Uh, fans on the rail, he takes pictures with them, he signs autographs for them, he talks to them. Uh, he's not like a Phil Ivey who sits there and plays and acts like everybody else doesn't exist. He's the opposite. Even though those two are friends, by the way, but very, very opposite in the way they, they treat their fans. Negreanu is exactly what you would want out of a top-name professional poker player with how he interacts with the fans. Just incredibly good he is with the fans. And it's always been that way. So... For those reasons, he was a great choice to be the face of PokerStars. And PokerStars was serving the U.S. market, of course, in June 2007, and it was right in the middle of the poker boom, so that was a great hire. After Black Friday, April 2011, things changed, of course. While Negreanu is a popular player around the world, he has his most appeal in the U.S. and Canada, and they were no longer serving the U.S. They were still serving Canada, but the U.S. is a much, much bigger market so at that point, he was still the face of the site, and they were still paying him a fortune, but his appeal was less compared to what it was before, and the site was smaller since they lost the whole U.S. market. Then PokerStars sold and was bought by Amaya instead of, and was no longer owned by the Scheinbergs. And they started to trim the fat. They started to fire a lot of the pros who were on the roster that they correctly figured out were really not bringing them any value. Just because you have certain name players wearing a PokerStars shirt at an event and listed as a site pro doesn't mean they're really bringing in any new players. It just means like, oh, look, I know that guy. Oh, look, he's a PokerStars pro. Okay, I guess that's kind of cool. That's it. Like It doesn't bring anybody new. So a lot of those guys were let go. Even ones like Greg Raymer were let go. Ones that were a big at one time, but just aren't really a big attraction to international players. So Amaya, they didn't drop them all at once, but as time passed, they kept dropping player after player, and we've talked about that on the show before. We won't bother rehashing it now. One of the few who remained throughout was Negranu. Chris Moneymaker's still there, by the way. I think he'll just be there for life because of uh, he kind of, in a way, helped put poker stars and mainstream poker on the map. But Negranu survived. We won't talk about Moneymaker. We'll talk about Negranu. He, he survived. He was the main face of the site, and they they figured he was internationally liked and recognized enough to where it was still worth paying him. Uh, I don't know how much he was making. I, I have to think it was minimum a million dollars compensation per year. In various forms, it, it could have been as much as two million or more. Some people even said four million. I don't think it was four million. If someone told me I had to guess. I'd say probably two, or one and a half to two. I think the minimum's one. I think the highest realistic is like two and a half. Most likely, kind of a million and a half to two. These are all just guesses. I don't know the the actual answer. By the way, if somebody does know the answer, like you really have an inside connection and know the answer as I know some listeners here do, and you want to tell me, I won't reveal your name, and I'll say it out here. 
So if you want to tell me, then uh, let me know. <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, you guys know I'll say this stuff. I don't care. Like I, I'm not going to reveal people's deep secrets just to be a jerk. But if it's something like how much Negrani was making there, yeah, if if, if I get the info, I'll tell you guys. But anyway, it, it was a lot. And that's the reason he was entering so many high-limit events. In fact, some of this he pretty much had to enter because that was part of what he had to do. Part of what they were doing was buying him into high-limit tournaments and he would play wearing the PokerStars gear. That was part of the compensation. And I don't know if he was actually a winning player at those events, but he plays well enough and does well enough to even if he doesn't win with buy-ins versus cash, what he cashes, he's still making a lot of money because he's not putting up the money for most of those buy-ins. And these are huge events, huge meaning the buy-ins are huge. So any cash puts a lot of money in your pocket. And if you like final table, then you really make a lot of money. So he was doing very well. Negranu is quite rich. Don't know how rich he is, but he's got a lot of money. And the sponsorship from PokerStars was the main reason. And what it also enabled him to do was play these high-stakes events and continue to be very relevant as a poker player without having to risk the money himself. It's one thing to be paid a million dollars and then have to make a choice of how you spend that million and feel like it's a little bit frivolous to enter like a $100,000 buy-in event. But it's another thing if the way they're paying you is by giving you the free seat to the $100,000 event. Yes, it's better if you get the cash, but if you can't get the cash, then at least you're playing the event and you're staying relevant as a player in these events and someone who who's good enough to cash in these events or final table or win these events sometimes. So it also uh, kept him as a name who just keeps racking up big wins on his, on his Hendon Mob list. So it's not even like he's one of these guys who was once really well-known, but... It's just all he's doing currently is promoting poker stars. He's someone who's promoting poker stars and playing these big events. And doing fairly well at them. As I said, the competition's really tough in these events, so I don't know if he's a winning player in them. But it doesn't really matter. If you're not putting up your own money, it doesn't matter if you're if you're showing a profit compared to the buy-ins, it just matters what you're putting in your pocket. And he's he was putting a lot of money in his pocket. In the last few years, Negranu has not been as popular. A lot of this is thanks to a man named Doug Polk. Doug Polk and Negranu never got along. There's an incorrect assumption many people have that Doug Polk just decided he didn't like Negranu because of the supernova elite thing and started attacking him because Negranu mishandled that. Negranu did mishandle it, by the way, but... Uh, some people believe that Doug Polk was this hero who stood up and said, you know what, I'm going to take on Negranu because he mishandled this. And he's become a shill for poker stars, and I'm going to call him out, blah, blah, blah. No. Polk has hated Negranu going way back. I don't even know the source of it, but for many, many years, before you even heard of Doug Polk, he hated Negranu. Those two just never got along from the start. I mean the start of when Polk came around. Negrano goes way further back and is way older. But they just never got along. So what Polk did is he found something to jump on regarding someone he always disliked and always didn't get along with and had some beefs at the table before. 
you can find on YouTube some broadcasts from years ago where they had beefs at the table, long before this more rake is better stuff. But Polk found things to attack that he knew would resonate with the public. Negreanu made some stupid videos when he was representing poker stars where he was trying to justify some of poker stars' decisions. And Polk really jumped on them. Now, truthfully, some of these were, again, as I said, dumb videos. Like the the more rake is better video. That's the infamous video where Negreanu talked about how increased rake actually helps people because it drives pros out of the game and it makes the games easier. So if you're a pro, you should be happy to play games with higher rake because it drove out other pros and, and therefore your overall expectations more. I won't get into why that's incorrect again. We've talked about this before, but that's an incorrect statement. But Polk very effectively took that and just changed it into a very simple, easy to remember and kind of offensive statement. More rake is better. And he really hammered that. He wore a more rake is better shirt when they both played the one drop event and he happened to be right next to Negreanu. He just got seated right next to him by coincidence. And that got on TV and uh, people made fun of it and laughed at it. And uh, Negreanu looked very unhappy. And Polk, also, that was the one he won too. So that was, uh, and Negreanu didn't do well in that event. So the whole thing went well for Polk. Uh, they, bu- they bought a billboard saying more rake is better next to the Rio uh, Paul kept hammering it on his then very popular uh, YouTube show. And it really resonated with people. And this really, really made Negreanu look out of touch. Look out of touch. Here you had Paul saying, look, I'm, hey guys, I understand you. I understand you grinders and how much you hate all the stuff that's changing in poker and the increased rake and how they're getting more and more pro-unfriendly. And they, so Paul seem like the friend of the people and here's Negreanu going, well, you know, when when the rate gets raised, you may not like it, but it's actually better for you. And it was like an insult to people's intelligence. And Polk looked like the good guy who was defending the people and Negreanu looked like an asshole corporate, corporate chill. And boy, was Polk effective at pushing this, partially because he had an expert at this sort of thing helping him in Seriously Serious, who's very good at this type of stuff. Very good at having a feel for what the poker public wants to hear and talk about. Very good at presenting things on videos and, and organizing these videos and uh, putting clips together. I mean, Seriously Serious is really good at this stuff. So he was working for Polk, and he did an incredible job with this. And uh, this really hurt Negreanu. And you'll see whenever there's, like, promoted stuff with Negreanu on Facebook, you'll see all these comments, just, more rake is better, more rake is better. There's all over the place. Like, it, it, it really harmed Negreanu's reputation. And you can't say, oh, this is Polk's fault, because Negreanu bit off more than he could chew with uh, defending poker stars. You can be the face of a site without having to come forward and make stupid statements defending the company's bad decisions. The right thing to do when your company makes bad decisions and and you're the spokesman is just keep quiet. Just don't address it. Or if you do address it, say, I'm sorry, this this is in my area. This is not... uh, I don't have any power to decide this, uh, whether I agree with, agree with it or not. That's my, not my place to say. And, uh, you know, it's not going to satisfy everybody, but you're, at least it's like a standard answer that's hard to criticize that much. Where you screw up is when you, your company does things that are very player unfriendly or unethical and you try to defend it. 
Because you're not going to trick everybody. You're not going to be able to spin it and convince everybody. People aren't going to watch your videos and go, oh, okay, well, that's good Poker Stars raised rake then. Okay, more rake is better. Like You're, you're not going to get people saying that. It's going to piss them off. And then when someone like Paul hammers it, you're going to look like a fool. And and the problem was Nick Rounder just didn't learn this. He just kept uh, doing that over and over. And he ended up looking like a shill. And that really hurt his popularity, especially with Polk on his ass and with Polk's popularity going up so much over the last few years. So Polk really had a big reach. And that hurt Negreanu's value with stars. Before, Negreanu just brought all positives to the table. But now, whenever Negreanu would do videos or, or, or talk or, or where they'd have ads of poker stars on, on – uh, in other places where you could comment that there would be all these more rake is better things up there. And hey, Poker Stars was aware of this. They were aware that Negranu had become kind of a toxic brand to some people. And not just these diehard uh, forum posting trolls, but I'm talking about uh, a lot of people in the poker public were believing the stuff Polk was saying. So that was it started to make Negreanu kind of toxic. Another thing that made Negreanu kind of toxic was his uh, were his strong opinions on certain topics. Very, very opinionated politically. And constantly stated those opinions on his Twitter. Very, very obsessed with bashing Trump. Uh, very, very obsessed with the whole vegan thing. And he, he wouldn't just state his positions. He would come off with, with these very, very strong statements about his views and would pretty much be putting down anyone who didn't hold those same views. And that really put people off. He also, uh, and I think partially because uh, poker stars kind of almost brainwashed him into thinking this way, he started to really hate the average poker pro, the average poker grinder. Uh, there, there were the videos going around of Negranu whispering to his girlfriend at the time, not, not Amanda, but the one before Amanda. Uh, telling her to say on video, fuck the pros, in reference to the Supernova Elite thing. And that was kind of how he felt eventually. He kind of felt eventually like, fuck the pros, fuck the grinders. And I, I couldn't believe that was the way he was thinking, because he, he came from there. That's what he was at one point. He was once a grinder, and, and just a regular poker pro, before he got famous and got all these sponsorships. So... Talk about forgetting where you came from. And there, there, we talked about not too long ago on this show this this these, this tweet he made about things he hates in poker players. And it was basically just describing various poker pros, like people that just sit at the table and don't talk and with a hoodie and just play. Well, why do you hate that? I mean, yeah, it's not it's not that friendly, but it's it's not harming anybody. And he even talked about how he hates winners of all things. I thought he's supposed to be a winner. Does he hate himself? And then he went on to say, well, no, I don't hate winners, but they're actually bad for the game. It's, it was such a stupid thing he wrote. And then people jumped all over that. So he just wrote so many things that, that got people angry and, and alienated segments of the poker population that he shouldn't have been alienating. When you're the face of a site like Poker Stars and you're getting paid a million a year or millions per year, that's when you keep your political opinions to yourself. That's when you keep your opinions about grinders to yourself. 
that's when you keep your strong opinions about people who eat meat to yourself. Now, if you want to be a vegan, if you want to vote Democrat, if you want to privately hate Trump, go ahead. You don't have to be what you're not. But when you're making that much money and you're trying to have mass appeal to everyone, which you already had coming into this whole thing, the last thing you want to do is make your own brand toxic by pissing a lot of people off intentionally. And that's what he was doing. You may say to me, well, I, you're a hypocrite because, look, Todd, you always come out and, and, and you always talk about uh, your conservative political points of view and you bash Democrats and, and, and you, uh, you give a lot of your strong opinions on things. You probably piss people off. Yeah, I do. But guess how much I'm making from Poker Spite's site sponsorships and guess how much I'm probably going to make for the rest of my life from Poker Site sponsorships? Zero point zero. Yeah, so I, I don't have to worry about it. See, I, I can do that because it doesn't have any detrimental effect onto me. That's that's one good thing about making zero point zero from third parties is that I don't have to worry about pissing people off. But he does. And if I was the face of poker stars, I would keep these opinions to myself. I really would. That's not to say you can't have an opinion on things. Like I'll call out scammers and stuff like that. You can do that without pissing people off. Because if, if someone's a scammer and they're a known scammer or a site is known to rip people off, if you tweet about that, you're going to have very few people defending the scammers. You're not risking a lot by bashing scammers. But if you, if you make a political post, you're, you're really alienating a large segment of the population, no matter what type of political post it is. Whether it's on the left or the right, you're going to get some people angry, a lot of people angry, who are on the other side. And when you're representing a site that's trying to appeal to everyone, Republican and Democrat and those in the middle... You do not want to put that type of stuff out there. Even though they don't serve Americans, there's left and right political thought in other countries, and there's people who follow American politics in other countries who have certain opinions on which uh, party they support. It's just not a good idea. Same with all the fanatical vegan stuff. If you want to be a fanatical vegan, fine, do it privately. Don't bash people who eat meat like they're evil if you are representing a site for all this money every month. So for these reasons, Negranu, his value decreased. They weren't representing the U.S. anymore. They weren't in the U.S. anymore, poker stars. They were very aware that Negranu had become toxic to many people. They were aware that Negranu's entire presence reminded people that they had raised their rake, that they were player unfriendly in many ways. And they started to realize that he was now carrying a lot of baggage with him. And that maybe he wasn't worth all the money they were paying. That now he was bringing some bad along with the good. And the main market he was appealing to is one they can't serve anymore. So all of this combined, and Amaya probably finally realized, it's time to let him go. Either time to let him go, or time to severely lower his pay. I think they determined he's worth something, but not what we're paying him. So they either just outright fired him, or more likely, they super lowballed him with some terrible offer as far as renewing his contract in June of 2019. Well, Negranu probably got that contract, 
and uh, could not believe it. He probably said, no, there's no fucking way I'm going to work for whatever they wanted here. So they probably had their discussions back and forth, and they probably just justified. They they probably didn't tell him it had to do with his his controversy. They probably just told him, look, you know, we we know we're not serving the U.S. market. We haven't been for a long time. It doesn't seem like we're going to really make many inroads in, as far as legalized poker is going. And the legalized poker has been a fail so far in the U.S. So, you know, Negreanu, we're sorry, but this just doesn't look like we're going to be in the U.S. market in large population areas anytime soon. So uh, yeah, we're going to have to let, uh, pay you a lot less. And he probably said, no, I'm not going to work for that amount. And they probably said, okay, um, your contract te- technically ends on, on June 12, 2019. I think he signed on June 12, 2007. So I guess his contract maybe is probably – provided they kept to the same dates, the contract was probably ending June 11, 2019. But probably once they decided for sure this isn't going to continue, there is no point for him to be like the lame duck – representative of the site. So they probably said, look, let's just come to a date that we're going to part ways and just be done with it before uh, before June 11th. And maybe he said, look, let me get married first and then we'll uh, I'll announce it after I'm married. And they probably said, fine. Some people have wondered, and it's a good question, did Amanda know before they got married that he was going to lose his PokerStars money? You'd think to someone like Amanda that would be important. And the answer is, I don't know. That would be funny if he actually had this announcement delayed so he could marry Amanda first and lock her down first before she'd get the bad news that he's not going to be with PokerStars anymore. But I don't know. It's possible he told her to, and he just told all of us after the wedding. He didn't want that. Maybe what he wanted was all the focus being on the wedding first and then waiting until that was all over to bring the bad news. He didn't want that corrupting the attention that would be on the wedding. That's understandable. So maybe that is the reason for the date they chose for the departure. Maybe he said, okay, let's at least wait till after I get married on you know, May whatever, and right after that we'll announce it and officially part ways. PokerStars did put out a little tri- tribute video for him and... He said mostly nice things about them, but I'm going to play you that video, and I'm going to show you the stuff he didn't say. In these type of videos, what they don't say is much more important than what they do, and I'm going to play it for you. I'm not going to play the PokerStars one, but I'm, play, I'm going to play his video. But from what I can tell, it looks like a semi-amicable separation. Like he's kind of privately pissed off about the whole thing, but there weren't like major terrible fights about it where he's walking away screaming at them it's it's kind of like i'm disappointed in you guys this kind of sucks but whatever i kind of begrudgingly understand so let's just kind of like walk away appearing to be on good terms i I think is kind of like that and that that happens a lot by the way in, in these type of situations where someone's departing and they try to put on a face like everybody happily just moved on their own way and that no one's bitter about it. But a lot of times they are. A lot of times it's just uh, for show. To keep the public happy. But I want to play Negranu's departure videos. And uh, you can... 
figure this out. Let me first, I'm going to play the one that he put on Twitter, May 23rd. He said, I have an announcement I'd like to share with all of you about my time with Poker Stars. And here it is. It's a short video. So but, uh, before I play this, Trader Risky, are you still there? I was able to hear. Yep. You're able to hear. Okay, good. I'm going to play it. If you've been on social media at all in the last couple days, you've probably noticed that yours truly got married to the girl of his dreams, Miss Amanda Leatherman. Uh, super thankful and happy. I mean, I smiled the whole way through the wedding. It was such a blast to have all the support of friends and family there. So on that note, my life's taking on a new direction, right? We're going to have some babies, get grind up for the World Series. But before that, I have an important announcement to make um, about my 12-year run, which is an incredible run with Poker Stars. You know, it was a great run, um, but we're no longer going to be an ambassador for the company. So many- okay, let me let me stop this right here. So, First of all, he started off, this is like a minute-long video. We're, we're halfway through it already. He hasn't really said anything. He, he's just mostly talked about Amanda so far, the girl of his dreams. He was smiling his way through the whole wedding. Not much about Poker Stars here. This is the announcement about Poker Stars. See, he's already keeping it short about Poker Stars, and he doesn't even lead off about Poker Stars. Uh, but listen to what he says about his time there. So many great people, as I said, of late, you know, Scott and Eric and Melanie and Severin and, and the guys, you know, some really good people there at Poker Stars. I've had the opportunity to travel the world, you know, play in Barcelona, Monte Carlo, and the PCA, which were like three of my favorite stops. Um, but uh, I wish everyone the best, as I said, and uh, I'm before I get to the final few seconds of the video, notice what he just did. He praised individuals that he liked at Poker Stars. And he praised the fact that he got to travel and that he enjoyed certain venues he traveled to. What is missing in that praise? Hmm. What did he not say? Oh, wait a minute. He didn't say anything nice about Poker Stars itself. Not that it's a great site. Not that uh, it's a great place to play poker. Not all the great things Poker Stars has done for poker. Not nothing, nothing, nothing at all positive about Poker Stars itself. Only about individuals that he's worked with there, and about places he got to visit. Hmm. Now listen to the final five seconds of the video. I'm super excited about the future with my new woman, and uh, yeah, love is in the air. <laughs> and they kiss the camera at the end. Love's in the air. So he starts out and ends with uh, talking about how excited he is about Amanda, which, which is true, by the way. I'm sure he that, that part's genuine. I'm sure he really is excited about his marriage to Amanda. But all he had to say about Poker Stars was praising individuals there and where he got to travel to. Hmm. That is not someone who's very happy about what happened. And 100% it was Poker Stars' decision. It was not... It was not uh, Poker Stars wanting to renew him at close to the same rate, and him saying, "No, you know, I want to have babies, and I want to spend more time with Amanda." And no, sorry, guys, you can keep your two million bucks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my life back. No, that wasn't it. They either fired him or lowballed him. Now he he released another video where he talked more about it in a deceptively titled video called How to Buy a Piece of My WSOP Action. In the middle of this video, he talks about the stars things. So let me uh, skip to that. It's about the 10-minute mark in this video. So let me skip over to that here. Jump to here. 948 seems good. Talk about uh, relating to a video that released... Probably just before this one's going to release uh, on Thursday, and that is the announcement that after 12 years of being an ambassador for Poker Stars, we had an amicable split, and I will no longer be an ambassador 
for the company. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's somewhat freeing. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, for years, when I make a statement about poker or anything like that, people just say, oh, you're just saying that because you're being paid to say that, which like I know is not true. I could pass a thousand lie detectors to prove that, but, you know, no one's ever going to take me up on that. Um, but what's great about, you know, the situation now is I can go back to essentially making comments and statements about the poker community that I guess would have more credibility because of that. And I understand, listen, obviously if you're being paid by a company and you're discussing that company or decisions they make, people are going to look at that and go, ah, you're just being a shill. Doesn't ha- it, it, it obviously looks that way, but you'll see in the coming months how uh, inaccurate that really is because I've had the luxury over the last 20 years of being on the inside when it comes to the business side of poker, the professional side of poker, and I know what they're, I know what poker players are missing. I know what some of the people in business miss about, you know, what it's like to be a professional poker player. But I would say, if I had to say which side is more delusional, it's the side that thinks that they have, like I saw this thing where a guy wrote a piece about how, you know, the fundamental rights of an online poker player. You don't have any. Okay. Let me stop there. Uh, first of all, this is the attitude that pissed everybody off. This, this is why he became toxic, because he started taking these attitudes. Now, some I actually agree with him somewhat on this, that there are some poker players who were delusional and got the idea that they have rights to make a living on poker stars, and that poker stars is not allowed to raise the rake. They're not allowed to reduce the benefits. They're not allowed to give you less rake back. Yes, they are. Of course they are. It's not even unethical for them to do. The only thing unethical that poker stars did was they changed the benefits of Supernova Elite in the middle of the program to where people who had already earned it got screwed. They they didn't get what they thought they had earned. And that's what was unethical. But had they not done that, had they delayed everything for a year after announcing it, then what they did would have been 100% fine. And in fact, raising the rake, while bad for players, is also their right to do as a business. So it is correct that poker rooms do not owe players anything and that when players are unhappy well they owe them something they owe them a fair game they owe them not to break the law they owe them not to steal their money stuff like that but they don't owe them a certain level of rake they don't own them they don't owe them the ability to make a living on those sites they don't owe them a certain amount of rake back other than what they promised and there are some delusional poker players who believed that they are owed these things. And I called those people out at the time that they were bashing Negranu. I said, well, here's what Negranu did wrong, but here is what you guys are doing wrong. Here's what you guys are being delusional about. So he's right about that. But at the same time, he has an unnecessarily hostile view toward poker grinders. And he also doesn't understand that uh, people are going to complain when companies make player-unfriendly policies or grinder-unfriendly policies, then yes, it's the player's right to complain and say, hey, this sucks. Hey, PokerStars doesn't care that much about their most loyal customers. Um, that may be PokerStars' business model is not to care much about the grinders, but the grinders do have a right to complain. And and Negroni wasn't understanding that. He just thought for some reason they should just take it and be okay with it. I agree they're not owed this, but they do have a right to say, hey, this sucks. Hey, the new rake sucks. Hey, the uh, what they did to the Supernova Elite sucks. Hey, the fact that they seem to be very grinder-unfriendly sucks, and we don't like it. And we're sorry that we gave them all this loyalty all this time. Yeah, p- people can say that, and you shouldn't be bitter towards them. They they have a right to feel this way, and it's not unreasonable. It's kind of, it's kind of cute and silly to think like, 
you have fundamental rights when it comes to using a service. There's a misconception, and a lot of it has to do with for years um, to build a base. Poker companies were, you know, doing whatever they could to attain players, and they were attaining winning players who were high, high volume regs who were, you know, doing quite well, and also getting, you know, high rate back and things like that. Um, but anyway, point is, uh, I'm really thankful for like the time that I had there. I have nothing but good things to say. You know, obviously there was ups and downs, and there's decisions that I didn't make. You know what I'm saying? And I would have liked to see differently. But when you, you know, it's not my company. I just simply was paid to represent the brand. And now that I'm not. Um, I'll still fairly discuss any issues, positive and negative, with them, with Party Poker, with WSOP. It's kind of opened me up a little bit to be able to do that without, you know, feeling as though people are wondering if I'm just shilling or saying things based. Let me stop that here. It it was sounding good at first. At first, it sounded like he's saying, now that I'm not with them, I'm opened up to speak freely about anybody because before it was difficult for me to criticize my own employer. That's where I thought he was going with this, and that would have been refreshingly honest. What he's saying instead is, uh, you know, I was always honest. I was always just myself. I, everything was fine. It's just what it's opening up now is that now people won't think my pro poker star's opinions are because I'm being a shill. I've always been honest with you guys, but now it'll – Give less of that appearance since nobody's paying me anymore. Come on. Come on. It's so obvious that his opinions were shaped by the fact that he was getting that large paycheck. And the only reason he's not doing a full 180 is because, one, he probably walked away with some kind of non-disparagement agreement. They probably already had that in the contract. And, And number two... Uh, he doesn't want to look like he was a shill where the second he walks away, he bashes them to where even if he could disparage them on the way out, uh, he's not going to because it'll make him look like he really was the shill before. Here he's still standing by the things he said. And now he's saying, look, now I can still say these things that I was saying before. And I'm not being paid by anyone, so you'll see it's really my opinion. But it, it, it's so clear he was a shill and, and he should... He needs to just kind of own this, and and the way he can own it is just say, look, you guys have to understand, this is my employer. Uh, it's not just so simple to get on social media and bash your employer, even when you don't, you don't agree with certain decisions they made. Which he said here he didn't agree with certain things. Okay, go with that. Say, I didn't agree with certain things, but being an employee of theirs, I, I didn't have the right to say that. And I'm not going to discuss any of these things out here, but just know going forward, nobody's paying me anything anymore. Now I can feel free to say whatever I want. It's something like that. And then that doesn't mean he should bash poker stars in the future, especially if they have an agreement not to, but at least uh, that's kind of admitting that before he was restricted in sharing some things that he may have agreed with the players on. It's kind of like almost like an apology, at least uh, admitting what was going on before. But here it's like, oh, no, guys, I was always honest with you. I, I, I was never a shill. I was never my, – my opinions were never colored by the fact that I worked for the company. They paid me all this much money. No, 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 no. It's just, just now you're going to know to really believe it because now they're not paying me. Mm-hmm. Come on. Based off of the fact that I'm you know, being paid. And uh, I think you may be surprised, but uh, I can say that I just – I've had access to a knowledge base that some of you haven't. And they're – listen, poker players – we're kind of a selfish bunch. We think about what's best for us. You know, often, you know, poker players think like, what's your goal as a poker player? You're professional. To maximize your EV, right? That's, and that's totally cool. You want to sit in the best games. You want to get the best rake back. You want to pay the lowest rake. What do you think every company in the world's motto is? Same freaking thing. So as a professional poker player, you are your own company and your job is to maximize your own profit. 
every company's job is to essentially do the same thing. In fact, there are laws that you could go to jail if you don't. Like if you for, if you run a company and you have stockholders and you are you know you you don't you lack fiduciary responsibility, which means you know you're always looking to improve and maximize and all those kind of things. Um, you can be jailed for stuff like that. So, okay, so, yeah, people love to cite that in defense of companies doing unethical things. And that's something that is so inaccurate and so overused these days when people are defending companies. You do not have a duty as a CEO of a corporation to do unethical or illegal things to make the most possible money. That's not what that's about. Uh, you have a duty to do things that are that uh, within the parameters of the law and, and common ethics in the industry to try to make the most money for the shareholders. And by the way, this only applies if they're shareholders. If, if it's a privately held company, you can do whatever the hell you want, that even if it screws yourself. But for shareholders, you do have a, a fiduciary duty, but uh, but not to do illegal or unethical things. So if, you, if you've made a promise to certain customers and, and breaking that promise will make the company more money, uh, you are not required by that uh, whole thing about making the best decisions for the company to make the most money to break those promises. And you can even justify this legally by saying breaking these promises may make more money in the short term, but in the long term it will hurt our brand. And that would totally stand up. There's no way you could ever get in any trouble for that. So that, that's not an excuse here for the supernova elite stuff or whatever. It's a, um, but he, you know, he does bring up a good point. I, I know what he's saying. He's saying that he sees on the other side of the industry, of the operator side of the industry, that they're trying to make money just like poker players are, and that sometimes their decisions are not going to be player-friendly. They have to be company-friendly in what will make them the most money. I understand, and that's fine. They just need to do it ethically, and – if they make decisions that are not ethical, then he, as a longtime member of the community who was well-liked, needs to just keep his mouth closed about it. Either criticize them for it or say nothing, but don't back it. That, that was the problem people had with him. He's still kind of missing that. So um, I guess there's a huge disconnect, and I hope in the next you know, year or two or whatever I can help – I wouldn't say educate's the right word, but kind of like dispel a lot of mistruths about what people think about, first of all, what it takes to run an organization, whether it's WSOP running live events or poker stars running online or, you know, the various aspects and things that you need to think about outside of simply what is going to make our pros not complain. Well, that's pretty much nothing, right? Because we've no, we know poker players and I'm one of them. Listen, I'm guilty. You know, I go to sometimes, hey, the food here sucks to this, that, you know, we all do for a stressful job. Playing poker for a living is not easy. So it, it's only natural, especially during the World Series after the grind, four or five weeks. I hate everybody. I come in on day one, wee, can't wait. And then, you know, week three, I'm like, ah, like this. But, um, but yeah, super excited about what will be going on in the future. The vlogs are going to roll out daily. Uh, first event is going to be for me the 10K Super Turbo. Uh, that's a two day event. Interesting. He ended up doing very well in that event. So we got, uh, okay, so I'm going to stop it here. Anyway, that's about it. As far as the statements he made, and he's gone. Let's move on to the next Negreanu topic. He sold his World Series of Poker package at no markup. This was in response to the whole markup debate he had with Sean Deeb. And he decided to do something generous for the community. I think also a little bit selfish because he knew he wasn't going to be getting the poker stars money paying for these high buy-ins. He spent a lot of money on buy-ins at the World Series. 
So even when you see him cashing for a ton in the World Series, that doesn't mean he won. He, he enters a lot of events and a lot of high buy-in events. And boy, it adds up fast. To show you how fast it adds up, look at me. Am I entering 50K events? No. Am I entering 25K events? No. Am I entering 10K events? Well, only three. The main event, the 10K08, and the 10K Limit Hold'em. Am I entering 5K events? No. Am I entering 3K events? Only one. Am I entering 2,500 events? No. So, yeah, am I sitting here playing like every day? No. Am I taking a large break in the middle of the World Series and not playing anything? Yes. Am I entering any events between the Big Fofty and the 10K and the 10K08, which is a week apart? No. So you would think from that fairly light schedule and the few events I'm playing that are over 1,500 that I wouldn't be spending much. Yet somehow it's adding up to 46K in buy-ins. I'm spending close to 50K in buy-ins. So if I'm spending close to 50K in buy-ins for what little I'm playing, imagine what someone like Negrani was spending every year. So probably some of that selling pieces thing is for uh, his own lessening of variance, but obviously he could charge for some pretty good markup and get it. And by selling it no markup, he's really leaving money on the table. So that was generous of him to do. Might be a publicity stunt, but whatever it is, that was generous of him to do. And I'm not going to take that away from him. And anyone who says that wasn't generous is just being a hater and is not being honest about what Negron is doing. And look, I'll tell the good and the bad. Look, I've, I've criticized him a lot, but I'm going to say right there that the selling pieces of himself for zero markup when he could get a lot of markup, he could sell at 1.4 and sell out real fast. Maybe even higher, 1.5, 1.6. He could sell for high markup and would just be eaten up. I wonder how high he could go. I wonder if he sold like 2.0. Would he, he, and he might be able to sell out there too. He has enough fans who would. But no markup. He sold at zero markup. Great. Very nice. He sold three packages. One, it's kind of similar to the same structure I had. I had a, a low package and a high package. Same with him. He had a low, a mid, and a high. Where you're either buying pieces of his uh, lower events, middle events, and high events. And it's not important the exact structure of what he was selling. It's, it's, it doesn't really have much to do with what we're going to be talking about here. But uh, a disaster occurred with this whole thing. Wasn't totally his fault. Uh, he didn't intend for this to happen. He was very disappointed by it. But uh, you may think that selling pieces is easy. But if you think about it, it really isn't from a logistical standpoint. How do you collect the money? How do you keep records of who's buying it? I, I do this, and it's a pain in the ass. I do this for myself. But I'm not selling this to as many people as Negreanu is. He was selling a lot more pieces. I was just selling uh, 0.5% pieces of my packages, and I'm not playing that many events. So the, the, the whole thing, I, I'm selling at most 80 pieces to each of the two packages. So it's not that hard to keep track of. It's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it's not a terrible thing. That's why I was able to take payment from everybody in various forms without any kinds of fees. But I will agree that Negranu, who is uh, selling a lot more pieces, 
because he's playing a lot more events and there's a lot more money involved. So he's selling smaller pieces and therefore uh, a lot more people are going to be buying. So I, I see why processing this all himself would be a tremendous burden. So he did outsource this. And that makes sense. But there are many ways to outsource this without uh, doing what he did, which ended up in disaster. So he picked some company to do this, which, as far as I know, has no experience in this whole thing. I forgot the name of them, but uh, Chicago Joey posted a receipt he got because he bought a piece of, of Negranu. And it was some company I hadn't heard of, and even when I Googled them, their website was down. <laughs> so they were going to be the ones processing this. A, site that, a company that couldn't even maintain a website was in charge of taking payment and keeping track of everything. And that's already a mistake. You you have to go with someone or something you trust. Not just not just a company that says, uh, you know, uh, yeah, we can do this too. You you need to go with a company that has already established itself at selling pieces of people. I don't know why he didn't go to something like Ustake or whatever. Something that that specializes in this sort of thing. Instead, he went to this company that no one's ever heard of. And the only way you could pay was by credit card, which again is stupid because that has fees. Credit cards always have fees. So, first of all, 3% of everything that was paid went to fees, which may not sound high, but when you take how much he was selling, that's a lot of money going to fees. He claimed that he was selling $275,000 worth of action. And at $275,000, if you multiply that times 3%, that's over 8K. So right there, 8K is going to be wasted on fees, which is pretty brutal. That's, that's pretty offensive for one player's uh, packages that he, he's paying 8K in fees. But if you're going to pay that 8K in fees, which actually came for the players, it's not even coming from him. If the players are going to pay that much collectively in fees, at least have it to be a company that have the, the fees going to a company that specializes in this and that you can trust is going to do it right. Instead, he got some company that he could not trust to do it right. And as a result, things did not go right. So, as you might imagine, there was a lot of demand for this. Negreanu was a very, very well-known poker player. Very, very popular, known to be successful. Wouldn't you like to have a piece of him at the World Series for no markup? Sounds good, right? So, when he announced the start of the sale, the site got flooded by people trying to buy pieces. The low package, the one of the lower buy-in events, sold out in one minute. The medium package, the middle buy-ins, sold out in two minutes. I bet you can guess the last one. The high buy-in package sold out in a hundred no, in three minutes. Now, okay, 
that was the demand, so be it. Except a little bit of a problem. Tweeted on May 25th, 2019 from Daniel Negrani. Working on a major problem, he writes. I have some awful news. Low sold out in one minute. Medium sold out in two minutes. High sold out in three minutes. There was a software glitch on the new server. I'm going to cover the 60k in fees if necessary. Many of you will get a full refund. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. What happened here? What happened here? He wasn't clear yet, but we were about to find out. He wrote, I'm, incre- I'm so incredibly sorry to those of you who bought a piece but won't have any action. I think the only solution is to honor those that got in first and fully refund the rest of you. We'll also figure out a way to make it up to you, those that got screwed. So people were a little confused what he meant by all this. So someone asked him, is it too far to, to think that if anybody got a piece, then it should just stay as that? You have a bajillion dollars, and what you're chasing is the player of the year title, not the money anyway. So this person was saying, look, I know you were trying to only sell like a, you know, maybe a third of yourself on this whole thing, but look, you sold more, why don't you just accept it? Let's say you sold maybe two-thirds, uh, just, why not just let people own most of you instead of, uh, because you're really what you're looking for this year is to be player of the year, you don't care so much about the money because you have so much anyway. That's what this person was saying. I, I don't necessarily agree with all that, but, but that, that's what the person was asking him. Here is his response. Packages for sale were about 275000 Total buy-ins I'm going to have are about 800000 We took in about $1.8 million. Oh, no. He said, even if I gave out 100% of any cashes I had, it would cost me money. I'm going to offer those refunded in other opportunities. So basically, he's saying he accidentally sold more than 200% of himself. Oops. That's something T.J. Cloutier would do. <laughs> now, again, Negroni didn't mean to do this. This was the incompetence of the company he hired. But that's what happens when you hire a company that doesn't specialize in this. He went on to say, for those of you who will be getting a full refund, as I said, I'll handle fees. I'm going to make sure all of you have a chance at pieces in some of some one-off events and even the WSOP next year. I'll make this right. Really sorry again. I'm gutted. A little bit later, he tweeted... Some good news. We are likely to be able to get everyone who didn't make the cut a full refund by today with fees covered. Also, I'm going to offer this group exclusive access to one-off packages throughout the World Series of Poker, meaning like if he just decides to play other events that weren't listed. We're doing our best. Then he wrote, "Working working on an idea that should hopefully make those that were shut out really happy about it. I just need to figure out if it's doable. And then you guys will get, all get VIP treatment for your inconvenience. This is all on May 25th in the afternoon. On May 27th, two days later, he tweeted, all refunds on my WSOP packages have been processed. Those that got in will get confirmation email today. For those that were refunded, we will keep you posted on your exclusive opportunities in a closed, face, closed Facebook group. So, okay, props to him for jumping on this and getting everybody refunded in two days who wasn't going to get a piece. I don't understand why he didn't just prorate this. What he really should have done is just refunded everybody a certain percentage and then let everybody keep their piece. So uh, if they they sold, what, looks like they sold about six times what they wanted to sell, maybe just cut everybody's pieces 
by five sixths. You know, just cut their pieces down to one sixth of what it was before, and say sorry about this. You guys all have less than you thought. We're going to refund five sixths of what you paid here, including fees, and, and sorry about that. That that should have been it. Maybe even just refund all the fees, and then be more careful next year not to have this happen. Uh, he chose to do the first come first serve thing, where just the first two seventy five k worth of buy ins that came through got the pieces and everybody else, even though it said they got the pieces and they got a confirmation email, uh, now they don't have the pieces anymore. I guess that's valid. I guess you can do that. I would have gone the other way, but it is good that he ate the fees. I think it's possible he got the company to eat the fees because it was their mistake. He kept saying he'll eat it, but it's hard for me to believe that he was willing to eat it. I, I have to guess he pressured the company to eat it or partially eat it. Whatever it is, I, I give him props for correcting this and that the people this happened to were not out of any money and that they weren't left waiting for refunds for weeks or months. He handled this incredibly quickly. You could tell he felt very bad about it. So I don't want to jump on him too much here. But what a dumb mistake to go with a company like that. He also should have offered some options to pay uh, in ways with no fees, especially for those that bought like more than one share, whatever that minimum share was. He should have offered ways to send him the money on Zelle or whatever. He could even set up someone to just keep track of it if he didn't want to do it himself. He could have set up a separate bank account to receive these payments and then just hired some fairly low-paid person to work on keeping track of all this. And with there being so much demand, why not just shut out the credit cards? Why not just say, okay, if you can send Zelle, then do it. And if you can't, then don't do it. Something like that. Or or hire a company that's competent at this or join Ustake and do it through them. Something like that. Don't just in, reinvent the wheel yourself with some company that doesn't have experience in this. That You saw how that ended. He ended up making the final table of the very first event he played the Super Turbo Bounty. And that shows you he's still very relevant in poker from a play standpoint. He's not just some dinosaur who was once good that can't keep up with the normal players. He actually finished sixth, but he did make the final table. The Super Turbo Bounty was a $10,000 no-limit hold'em event that was a very fast structure. It had 204 entrants with 31 caching. And tough field, as you might imagine, a 10K event. Interestingly enough, a recreational player and billionaire Kerry Katz, the owner of Poker Go, cashed ninth in this one. Don't think he needed the 23K that he won, but he got it. Winner of the event was Brian Green from Texas. Uh, Ali. Imserovic, who made some headlines recently when he bought in like a ton of times to a circuit main event and won it. There was some question about whether that was ethical and whether his title in that event really meant anything because he bought in so much. But I said, look, if he can, he can. If it's within the rules, fine. I just think it's kind of stupid. Uh, Asher Conniff got third. Lauren Klein got fourth. Ping Lu got fifth. And Negranu got seventh, or got sixth, sorry. And he was uh, getting 52K. So, pretty good result already. 
I still like this guy named Manig Loser <laughs> from Germany. It's M-A-N-I-G, not Manic, but it sounds like a Manic Loser. This is Manig Loser. L-O-E-S-E-R. A Manic Loser. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty bad name for poker. Unless you like being self-effacing. Dan Shack Cash, he was in 22nd. Uh, David Benjamin was 21st. Just kind of looking over this list. Nick Shulman got 16th. Uh, Eric Seidel, 25th. So you see, there's a lot of tough people in this field. Ben Lamb got 13th. Anatoly Filatov, another good player from New York, got uh, 10th. Jeez. I'll say that uh, these players are probably a lot tougher to play against than the ones I'm going to be facing tomorrow. I'm going to remember that tomorrow. You see, I, I could be at a table with with Nick Shulman and Anatoly Filatov and uh, Manic Loser, Asher Conniff, Ali Imsravik. I could have these guys at my table. Benjamin, Negranu. I mean, I think I'll prefer my table full of wrecks. Tough event. Ben Yu, another very tough player. Magic the Gathering guy. Yeah, that's a tough event. Negrano got six. You got to respect that. You know, this is a tough freaking field. Now, yes, these are the top people. So, there, yes, there, there were some people who played this event who probably weren't very good. But still, you, you see who cashed in this. A lot of people who didn't cash, there must have been really tough. He got sixth. So he knows, he knows what he's doing. I've seen a few videos of him playing where he makes some stupid move and everyone's like, ah, is a big fish and you know, he sucks these days. But, you know, everybody, if there's a long enough spotlight on you, you're going to make dumb moves on camera. I- I'm happy a lot of times that there's not cameras on me constantly at the poker table because I've, I've made some dumb moves and I go, oh, I'm glad no one can see this. I'm glad this is not uh, broadcast anywhere. So I'm, I'm sometimes dumb enough to broadcast it myself on uh, my Twitter updates. I, I will admit when I made a dumb move, whether I win or lose from it. But I guess good job to him. We'll see where else this goes. I know that Negranu did not uh, do particularly well at the Big Fofty. He did not make day two. He played. He did not make day two. He played in my flight, in fact. He did not make day two. So... I did a lot better than he did. That doesn't mean much yet. It's 12.30 a.m., so I don't, I don't have that much longer here before I'm going to want to shut down the show. Let's move on past uh, Negranu here. And talk about the deleted poker videos. So that's, uh, that's kind of an interesting topic. YouTube has been engaging in some censorship recently, but not the censorship a lot of people are talking about. It's like censorship of certain political ideologies, like the conservative one. Uh, we're talking more about poker. They have censored some poker content. Why? Well, there is a guy named Jamie Stapler who has a lot of videos on YouTube. And he revealed that a lot of his videos disappeared. 
and he was very alarmed that over a hundred videos of Jamie Staplers vanished. And uh, that caused a lot of concern. It all started on May 31st. Jamie Staples posted, I just had two of my ultimate sweat giveaway videos from YouTube taken down because of some random term of service rule uh, about linking anything around a gambling site of which poker has the same rules as roulette. I'm just so sad, man. Poker is legally a game of skill in many countries around the world, and on one of the two biggest platforms, you aren't allowed to talk about it because it's, quote, dangerous. It's not fair to our game, and my main goal is to, per- to change this perception of poker. Andrew Neem, one of the biggest vloggers out there, said he also had one of his videos deleted. He said, I also had one of my videos removed today, getting pretty concerned here. Uh, on June 1st, yesterday, 4.56 p.m., Jamie Staples tweeted, Poker YouTube Apocalypse Update, 134 videos gone, 24 from my vlog channel, and 110 from my poker channel. Hmm. This is pretty concerning. Uh, Someone asked him, what was the reason that you two took them down? And he posted a message he got from YouTube. Hi, Poker Staples. Our team has reviewed your content, and unfortunately we think it violates our sale of regulated goods policy. And then they listed what they removed. So there's some policy they didn't like over there. Someone found that they had listed on YouTube prohibited content to be selling on YouTube, and one of them is online gambling casinos. So if you advertise online gambling in any form, YouTube may delete your videos. Now, someone on 2 Plus 2 wrote yesterday, Jamie tends to be a bit dramatic. Has he removed the the affiliate links, etc., in the video descriptions and resubmitted them for review? So that that does make it a bit more interesting and, and a bit more understandable. If Jamie really had the affiliate links in his descriptions, that might explain why they removed his videos. That would make a little bit more sense. I'm starting to really wonder how much that has to do with everything. Then we have another report from this guy, Evan Jarvis, at Gripsed Poker, at G-R-I-P-S-E-D Poker, at Gripsed Poker. Evan Jarvis, Holistic Poker Coach. (laughs) Come on, Holistic Poker Coach? What is a Holistic Poker Coach? I've heard of holistic medicine. I've never heard of a holistic poker coach. That's just, that sounds like such new age bullshit. But anyway, he wrote, feeling pretty lost and scared right now about my YouTube channel. After 10 years of hard work and no violations, overnight I've received two strikes and am at threat of getting two more overnight and losing my entire channel. Please advise, this is my livelihood here. But the videos he lost were Poker Stars VIB changes, how to get the most out of your club points. And Poker Stars bigger eleven dollar live review. So this holistic poker coach does these videos about Poker Stars matters, puts Poker Stars in the title, and then tries to promote his own business. So that may be what's going on here. They may just be deciding that 
any of these videos that are either promoting poker stars or that are about poker stars specifically can't stay anymore or anything with affiliate links that they don't like. I don't think if you mention poker, you're going to lose your videos. Now, do I agree with this? No, I, I think it's stupid. They should be allowed to have these videos. And also keep in mind that YouTube, it's a bot doing most of this work, not human beings. So the bots will often get false positives to where things will get removed that really shouldn't be, that aren't even really violating the policies. This happens all the time on YouTube. Uh, a lot of conservative channels have complained about this, that the they are oversensitive to a lot of their, quote, policies that end up victimizing conservative channels where conservative channels that have done nothing wrong either get deleted or demonetized and videos deleted as well. So this happens, unfortunately, when you have a bot looking for certain things and it seems like for whatever reason they're sending these bots after anything having to do with poker stars. Some people are complaining, look, you know, look at all the crap you can watch on YouTube about uh, anti-vaccinations and about flat earth stuff and we never went to the moon stuff. How come we can watch all this shit or 9-11 conspiracy videos? How come this shit is okay and talking about poker stars isn't? Look, I understand your point. I don't agree with this, but they've decided that they just don't want any online gambling related topic on topics on their service because these uh, – uh, they just don't want a piece of all that. It's just, it's just an industry that unfortunately has questionable legality, especially in the U.S., and YouTube kind of feels like they have to protect themselves. So it kind of sucks, but it's not surprising. If you are doing a YouTube channel, you shouldn't be afraid to talk about poker stars, but I wouldn't put poker stars in the title. They're, what they're not doing, they're not listening to the videos well, you know, I, I, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. They actually can listen to the videos without actually listening. That's just kind of scary. They actually can they can transcribe your videos, so they can actually have a bot listen to your videos. And if you mention poker stars, they can get you too. But I I think that there's probably something there to where it's it tries to determine like how often you say poker stars and how often you say certain other terms and it determines at some point whether it's really a, a, a video about gambling or, or like prohibitive gam- prohibited gambling in the U.S. or if it's something that uh, is okay. Again, it's a bot doing it, so it doesn't make intelligent human decisions, and these bots are not perfect by any means, but that's what's happening. Apparently, even run it once Phil Galfon's site lost some videos. So there does seem to be a clamping down not just on poker stars either. But not all of them have disappeared. Some have, some people have found a lot of poker stars videos that are still out there. Seriously Serious has noted that Doug Polk's channel has not had any videos deleted. And his theory, and he's he's very well-versed in the topic of YouTube because he's been working with stuff involving them for a long time. He said, I don't think the topic of poker is being blacklisted. I think this likely has to do with promoting and or linking out to real money gambling websites like PokerStars. 
And that's what I want to know. You know, how many of these have links to real money gambling sites somewhere, like in the description? That's what I wonder. How many of these were just purely about poker stars without links to anything? And someone else said, it looks like the videos removed are either from U.S. or Canadian accounts and are referencing or showing large amounts of online poker action. It could be that too. It could be that if there's a lot of online poker talk in the videos, then it's removed. If there's affiliate links, it's removed. Otherwise, it's not. Because, like, as seriously as Sirius said, look at all the poker videos on Doug Polk's channel. None have been lost. And to be honest, if, if, if they just are killing affiliate stuff, while I don't agree, I think that uh, it's not a huge deal. I'm not going to cry for these content creators that are surviving on affiliate crap. I don't know, that video just came up. So this isn't as big of a deal as it appears to be on the surface, but I'd I'd watch it. I'd watch it. There is something going on here, but if it's really just aimed at the affiliates, uh, who who really cares? Who really gives a crap? I always felt that these affiliate people are kind of leeches on the industry. This doesn't make them bad people, but they... If you're putting out some content and then, uh, oh, and to play on Poker Stars, click on my link. It's not a big loss for that content to disappear. If you want to put out content and link your own business, that's one thing. If you want to put out content just out of the goodness of your heart to put out useful information, great. If you want to put out content and say, oh, here's my link to go go to this site that I just talked about, that's, that's you're kind of a leech. And I'm not going to cry for you if that gets removed. Seriously, Sirius also noted, in fact, just a few minutes ago, he noted on 2 Plus 2 that last year YouTube actually completely banned a bunch of channels about slot machines. And that uh, this is the first time he's seen it where they remove a mass number of videos without just killing the whole channel. So he said, Jamie's actually lucky that he just lost the 134 videos and not the whole channel. That's something to watch out for and observe, but... We'll see as time passes how big of a deal it really is. Let's see. Moving along here to our next topic. I want to give an update on Talon or Talon White. I don't know how you say his name. I think it's Talon White. The poker pro who was charged with video piracy. We announced on a recent show that... Talon White was the name of the Oregon Poker Pro who made it deep into the 10K08 event last year. I'd never heard of him. I may have even played at his table. I don't remember. He looks a little familiar. Like it may have been one of the guys I played with last year. There were some guys at my table who just weren't very good last year at the 10K event. and uh, He may have been one of them, but I won't say that because I can't say for sure he was there. He just kind of looks familiar. Anyway, uh, he was running a major video piracy operation online. He had sites like Noob Room, N-O-O-B Room, Super Chillin', Sit to Play, Movie T V T O from 2013 to 2018. 
what the feds have been doing has they've been seizing his stuff that's been the way they've been going after him first this may actually be smart because uh they can seize his stuff which he actually has uh some valuable stuff to seize and then assume he's not going to try to get it back because then that will open him up to criminal charges and then they may just charge him anyway after he doesn't bother to try to get it back after the amount of time passes. So he had a house in Newport, Oregon that was seized in November 2018 and then the one that really got uh, the attention, I think it was found by both uh, an Oregon TV station and Haley Hintz in uh, in. May of 2019, they seized $4 million out of a bank account and also by uh, some cryptocurrency account he had that they found was directly linked to the video piracy services that he was running. I already talked before about what he was doing. He was running these uh, video piracy sites and not being very smart about it because once he actually got warned, like, hey, stop doing this. This is against the law. He actually got letters about this, and in, in and like the fed, that the feds were watching him, that the uh, Motion Picture Association was on to him. Like he wasn't getting these warnings from individuals; he was he was getting warnings from the Motion Picture Association. So you think at that point he'd say, "Okay, the jig is up. They've they've they found me. Uh, I'm happy. I'm not arrested. I'm going to stop." No, he just what he did was he moved his site to new names and just mass mailed thousands of people, the thousands of subscribers that he had, he mass mailed them of, okay, we're moving here now. <laughs> like, he didn't think it was possible that one of his thousands of subscribers might just be the Motion Picture Association, which it was. So that's how they, they just kept getting the new site wherever he moved, and they just kept building more and more of a case against him. So, he describes himself as a professional poker player, but there's some doubt whether that's really how he supported himself. He doesn't seem to have very much as far as uh, live caches and tournaments. He's barely over $100,000 in total live tournament winnings, and that's not even necessarily winnings. That's just uh, the caches he's made, so it's even possible he's a losing tournament player. Maybe he earned a lot of money playing online. That's not known. But it seems like if he's making this much money from his video piracy services, which it looks like he was, that there was no reason to sit there grinding poker all day and all night. He kind of looks more like a video pirater who also enjoyed poker and had the money to play because he made so much money pirating videos. Uh, These were subscription services where you could sign up uh, for relatively cheap and then just download whatever videos you want. The forfeitures were done where what they do is that the, the government seizes assets or money, and the way they do so is by creating a case where it's the United States of America versus the money. Seems weird, but that's the way they do it. And then basically what you have to do to get the money back is you have to prove in court that the money was obtained legitimately. This is the procedure that has been used to uh, to steal people's money through the process of civil forfeiture, where corrupt 
city and county governments target out-of-state cars that they think have cash on them, even legitimately obtained cash, such as those that wanted the casino, pull them over, find a phony reason to search the car, find the money, and seize it claiming it's drug money, even though they know it's not, and then often the amount of money that it would take to recover that seized money is not worth spending on attorneys. Often you'd have to spend more on the attorneys than you would on the money you'd recover, and there's not even any guarantee you'd really recover it. Uh, furthermore, sometimes there, there's been people pressured into signing releases that they're giving up the money in exchange for not being charged with these phony crimes. It's a terrible thing. Anyway, that's not related to this, though. This this was a legitimate seizure where they really did seize money that appears to have been made by video piracy. So I don't have a problem with this, where they're actually seizing something that really is connected to a crime. In the search warrants, search and seizure warrants on November 15, 2018, they seized... $5.9 million in a checking account in the name of Viral Sensations Incorporated, $1.4 million in another account for Viral Sensations, 90 k in yet another account for Viral Sensations, 419 k in the name of Talon White, uh, $8 million in his Stripe account, 78 Bitcoin from his Coinbase account, 6 Bitcoin from uh, Bitcoin Cash from his Coinbase account, and a, a, a 1,022 Ethereum from his Coinbase account. I don't understand here. It looks like this money adds up to a lot more from $4 million. This is in the, uh, the, the seizure reports from November 15, 2018. This looks like uh, way more than $4 million. This looks like we're talking about uh, like $20 million or something. I don't know how they come up with $4 million. Anyway, that's uh, that's what was seized. Uh, they have not filed a claim to gain any of this money back, probably because they know they'd lose. On May 7, 2019, Talon White received a notice of the seizures. So this gives him uh, 30 days to respond. And then he also has uh, 21 additional days to file a response to the actual allegations that they put in the complaint. So all he has to do for the first 30 days is say, hey, uh, I'm responding. I, I plan to submit a further response to this. And then 21 days later, then he has 51 days, I guess, from May 7th to actually dispute the allegations and get the money back. Uh, so far, he has not done so, and we're getting close to 30 days away from that. So it's, it, I think he's just going to let it go. I don't think he's going to try to get this money back because they're going to they're going to make him prove where he got it from. And he's not going to be able to prove he got this legitimately. He's not he has no source of income that's legitimate. And claiming it was from being a poker pro, that's that's uh not going to fly. He's going to have a hard time proving that that he made this money playing poker. Interestingly, flush draw which reported this, that was what brought my attention to it, flushdraw.net, Haley Hintz reported on there about this, but did not name him at the time because uh, he was uh, not officially named in the other news outlet reporting this, so she held it back. I chose to name it. I, I deduced who it was, and I named him, and that, that actually encouraged Haley to confirm it and then to name him in a subsequent article. 
He's only 28 years old, by the way. So, I don't think he's going to get any of this money back. And so far, he has not been arrested. So it's very possible that Talon White is going to play at the World Series. I, I may see him, and I'll tell you guys if I see him. In fact, if, if he's at my table, I'm going to ask him about it. I'll commit this to you guys. If Talon White's at my table on June 6th, I will ask him about this. I'll tell him I heard about it, and I'll ask him uh, you know, what's all that about. He probably won't tell me the truth, but I'll, I'll ask him. I'll bring it up. <laughs> probably make for an awkward conversation. I'm not going to be a jerk about it, because it's not like he stole it from any of us, but... You know, I'll ask him and say, hey, you know, I, I saw something on a news site about something about you and, and like $20 million seized over video piracy. You know, what, what is all that about? And see if he answers it. I wonder if he's coming to play the World Series or maybe not all his money got taken. He can't afford to enter the 10K. Like last year of the 10K that event is nothing compared to all the money he had and he was making. But boy, he must have been making a fortune on these video piracy sites. He probably just thought this is easy money. That's probably why he didn't quit. He's probably making so much money and thinking, well, okay, I'm just going to move sites and email everybody. I'm sure it'll be fine. And keep in mind, he was young, too. In 2014 or 13, whenever it was, he got the notice about it. He was like 22, 23. So he's like a stupid young guy who thinks, oh, I just got to switch the domain name and tell my thousands of uh, subscribers where to go. I'm sure the feds won't find out about that. (laughs) Once you get notice from either the feds or the large association that represents the large corporations that you're stealing from, that they're on to you and they're investigating you and you're breaking the law and stop, you stop. You quit at that point. You get on your knees and thank God they haven't arrested you. And you hope they forget about you. That's what you do. You don't keep going. This is the way it ends. No matter how much money you're making, you don't keep going. Some people are so greedy, though. This is your little update on uh, Tail and White. Again, the phones are open. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. We're going to move to our next topic. Two gamblers are suing the Sugar House Casino in Pennsylvania... Over $250,000 they lost that they feel was illegally won from them. Interesting story. Normally, gamblers suing a casino after losing and coming up with a conspiracy theory that something was unfair there would never have any chance in court because people always like to say it's a rigged deck, this is rigged, that is rigged, when in reality they just had bad luck. But in this case... It'll be interesting to see how it proceeds. Two different gamblers are suing together. Uh, their names are William Vespi and Anthony Mattia. And they, follow, they filed a lawsuit in May against Sugar House Casino in Pennsylvania, claiming that they would not have lost the amount of money they did. William Vespi lost uh, 147000 Anthony Mattia lost 103000 So together it adds up to two fifty. And they said that uh, Sugar House Casino committed gross negligence 
and that's why they lost. Now, what kind of gross negligence are they talking about? Well, they found out that Sugar House was fined $100,000 by the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board for using decks that didn't contain all the necessary cards, and also there were shuffle machines that were flashing warning lights that they'd never fixed. This occurred in uh, September 2017. This is what happened. There was a tournament going on, a poker tournament actually, in September 2017 at, at the Sugar House where a poker dealer dealt 16 hands with unshuffled decks. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, none of the poker players said anything. I guess they were trying to either just totally out to lunch or maybe they wanted to take advantage of it. But what happened was they found out in a surveillance review that there is a green light on the automatic shuffler that was blinking, which meant that there was a problem. So the device actually was not shuffling the deck. It was actually sorting the deck, which is very different. It's, it's a kind of an anti-shuffle. It's actually putting the, de- the deck in order. So they were playing with cards put in the exact same order every time, and, and somehow the players were like, okay, yeah, I keep being dealt the same thing. Actually, I guess the reason maybe players weren't saying anything is because players were in different positions, so I guess they were getting the same hands over and over, just different people were getting them. I wonder how long it had to be before you'd realize that like, you keep seeing the same hands just with different people. It was 16 hands passed. I, I would have thought it was 16 hands passed. You'd figure it out. Like, okay, all right, this hand, uh, ace-king beats uh, queen-ten suited. Okay, next hand up, the same ace-king beat the same queen-ten suited. Up third hand, the same ace-king beat the same queen-ten suited. Like, at some point, you're going to go, wait a minute. And then wouldn't you notice also, like in addition to that, that you're seeing the exact same hands you folded nine hands ago, and then ten hands ago, and then eleven hands ago? I think you'd notice that. But no one said anything. Uh, the dealer finally noticed after 16 hands that this was going on and informed a poker room supervisor. They corrected it and the game continued. But uh, they uh, they got fined $100,000 over this. And... Uh, Nobody was nobody busted out of the tournament when that was happening, those 16 hands at that one table, by the way. So that was in 2017. But uh, presently, these blackjack players were are suing the casino, claiming that it was over an eight-month period, they said, that they lost this money. And they claim that uh, due to these fines, that uh, obviously that uh, there was something wrong there, and that Sugar House Casino just was not maintaining these machines right, which I think is a stretch. I don't know this whole thing about the cards. That didn't have to do with what happened in 2017. They're saying they didn't have uh, all the necessary cards. I don't know what that part means. I'm trying to go to this article here. There's... Uh, an article on NJ.com, which I just noticed. So in this article on NJ.com, oh, I see. In, in They also were fined $100,000 in July 2018 for using cards with illegitimate decks. 
that de- decks that had too many cards or missing cards. So it must be, I, I guess, a combination of that and what occurred in uh, at the poker table. And apparently it says in this article on NJ.com that there were seven incidents between May 2017 and January 2018 where the automated shufflers were not working and that employees did not stop and have them fixed. They just kept dealing. Their attorney said the thrill in playing table games at Sugar House is knowing that while the odds are against them, they can still beat the house. But that all goes out the window when a casino uses broken equipment or illegitimate decks as the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board previously found Sugar House Casino to have done. The owner of Sugar House said, The integrity of our gaming operations is of the utmost importance. We have disciplined or terminated the employees responsible and revised procedures to help prevent recurrence. We deny the claims made by the individuals in this lawsuit and cannot comment on further cannot comment further on pending litigation. I have to say these people are not going to win. They can't show that this happened to them. They can only say this just happened at certain times. And they're just theorizing, well, we lost, so it had to be that the, the decks were not shuffled right. Or the decks had too many cards. The decks had too few cards. There's a few problems here. Uh, first of all, in Blackjack, they would have definitely noticed if the cards were sorted and not uh, not shuffled. That would have been noticed pretty quickly by these players. Second, if, if it's an illegal deck, unless the decks had like way too many small cards in there compared to the number of big cards, then this would not hurt the player. Like, if you take out from a blackjack deck, let's say you took out two threes and two kings. That wouldn't make that much of a difference. I'd have to figure it out, but that wouldn't make that much of a difference for the expected win rate or loss rate, actually, would be for the player in the casino. Because the small cards benefit the casino, and the big cards benefit the player. That's that's the basic premise of card counting, in fact, is trying to figure out the proportion of big cards that are left in the deck compared to what is left to be dealt. So as long as uh, the missing cards are not mostly big cards. And if there's like one big card missing, it's not going to matter. Unless the cards missing are like several big cards compared to the small cards, which are all there or mostly there, then this does not actually change the expected win rate very much. And in fact, as I said, if it's small cards that are missing, it would actually help the player. So just because the decks are illegal doesn't mean that the player was playing at a further disadvantage. So that's that's they, they, the only way to prove the damages here is if they were to show that Sugar House's negligence directly affected them and gave them a further disadvantage. And then they'd have to show how much of a disadvantage there was. And I don't think they're going to be able to show any of this because they can't even show that they were directly affected by this. So I think this is just gamblers who lost or like they found news of what had happened there and they think, oh, okay, now we see why we lost. Well, maybe now we can get our money back. Maybe we can just call the whole thing invalid. I don't see that winning. We'll see, but I don't think that will win. That's just kind of sore losers and especially since they can't even say for sure this affected them. 
to come back after the fact. Go, well, they had some shufflers that weren't working, so I bet that's what happened to us. No, if you play negative expectation blackjack for eight months, you're going to lose. That's that's the reason they lost. So while I'm not on casino's side very often, here I am. Well, there's another dispute going on involving casino, a casino one much closer to here in Las Vegas, and that is the Cosmopolitan and a rapper who goes by Meek Mill. His real name is Robert Williams, and he posted a video of an altercation he had with security at the Cosmo that happened pretty recently, happened in May. And he was kicked out of the casino and claims that the reason he was kicked out and told not to come back under threat of arrest is because he's black. Are they really racist at the Cosmo? Or are they trying to keep black people out? Obviously, there are black people in the Cosmo. There's a, if you go to the Cosmo, you'll see black people. I guarantee you. You have two guys on this page on CNN trying to play this, and they try to autoplay this crap, this stupid ad. Anyway, if you go to Cosmo right now, walk in there, you walk the floor, it's a pretty crowded casino, you'll see plenty of black people. So they're not keeping out all black people, that's for sure. But, but are they targeting certain black people more than others? Did they kick him out because he's black? Let's watch this video together. Before I play the video, this is what he wrote on his Instagram, which is Meek Mill, M-E-E-K-M-I-L-L. Cosmopolitan Hotel Casino going to extreme racist levels to keep too many black entertainers and black people. I think he says keep means keep out, not keep uh, keep them. They said they gone lock me up. I'm like, for, for what? I've been to a party with, Jay, with Jay-Z. Some of these casinos have a bunch of tactics to keep the level of blacks down, but love to take our money. This happens to a lot of black entertainers, not just me either. I felt crazy being put out by these white men for no reason. Okay, so let's listen to what happened here. I respect that, but it, I, I How can I you tell me I'm going to be locked so up on trespassing? So here's the deal. Yeah. We're a private property. Right? Yes. At this time, with the information we have, we're refusing to do business with you. We have the right to do that. What, right? I, but, what information? So I but no, no, but not refusing to do business with me. You were telling me I'll be arrested if I don't leave. If I walk upstairs and get something to eat, I'm gonna be arrested for what? What we just said for being a rapper. For what? We officially trespassed. For what? Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. This is a standard thing in casinos, not aimed at everybody. I've had this done to me before, and I'm not black. They, if they want to kick you out, they give you the speech that they are private business and they have a right to kick you out for any reason, which in Nevada they do. And they just don't want to do business with you anymore. And that they're informing you that you need to leave. And that if you return after they escort you out, that you're going to be arrested. This is called being trespassed. It happens to advantage players all the time. That's how it's happened to me. Uh, they were not kicking him out for being an advantage player, but uh, they they kick people out for other reasons. Uh, being drunk and disorderly, uh, f- fighting with other patrons, uh, being especially disruptive or rude with staff. Uh, they usually will try to, well, in the case of advantage players, they're sometimes very rude and abrupt and, and nasty and sometimes even violent. But, but for others who are just regular patrons, they'll, they'll try at first usually to reason with them. And, and if the patron just keeps fighting, then they'll uh, even like ver- verbally arguing, then they'll sometimes just get rid of them. Uh, also, cheaters they kick out for this reason, this the same way. But cheaters they'll have arrested. 
So you, like an advantage player won't be arrested if he's not doing anything illegal. Uh, a cheater, they'll arrest them and then also kick them out permanently. So, so here he wasn't being arrested, but he was being told to leave. And he's even the, he's even saying, if I ever go upstairs to eat, then I'll be arrested. And they said, yes. And we're telling you, you have to leave now. Well, what did you officially protest me for? For what? How? Sir, sir, who do we get the details from? Say no more. We out. Say no more. Send me that video. Okay, so that's the entire video he posted. So what what he's showing there is they're, they're telling him that he just has to leave and they don't have to give him a reason. And I admit this can be annoying, and, and, and this this is kind of what's happening to me with that one casino I can't come to right now. They didn't. I didn't have an altercation. They actually told me this over the phone when I tried to make a reservation there. That's what was really weird about the whole thing. Well, that and I was accused of something I didn't do. But but aside from that, to him, they just came up to him and just said, you're getting out, and we're no, we're not telling you why. We just don't want to do business with you anymore. Leave. So he, he is saying that this is racism, that they just are doing this because there's a... They, they want to keep the number of black people on property down, so they're just uh, certain black people. They're not kicking out all black people, but they're, they're they're just keeping the numbers down by just picking out certain black people and saying we don't want to do business with you anymore, which I doubt being the case. Uh, so that's that's his accusation. But what's the chances that that it's true? He also wrote on Twitter: If you come from our culture, you should never step foot in the cosmopol- cosmopolitan. They just really racist as hell. Something really has to be done in Las Vegas. What they do into black people. So the Cosmo decided to respond. They they just responded uh, on Monday of, of last week. They said the recent situation regarding Meek Mill related to a matter of security, not race, and any reports citing otherwise are false. We pride ourselves in providing an inclusive environment with zero tolerance for discrimination. Under certain circumstances, under different circumstances, Meek Mill would be welcome to the resort, but not at the compromise of his personal safety and the safety of our guests. And then they stated that uh, the club there that they had in the Cosmo, I didn't say which one, had reached capacity. And they actually, and so they revealed that uh, they had to call the police to manage a larger than usual crowd at the club. And that uh, they knew somehow that Meek Mill was going to come. I don't know how, but maybe he made some reservations. I don't know what he did, but they knew in advance he was coming. And that uh, despite that, when he showed up, they said he wasn't going to be able to come into the club because it's full already. So this this seems to be what happened. And, and I see why he's pissed off. If you make some kind of advanced reservation, like, hey, I'm coming to your club, you know, maybe he's getting bottle service, who knows. But he, he made some kind of sort of advanced reservation to the club, which they're not required to honor. And then the whole club filled up, and then he showed up, and they said, "Sorry, the crowd's too full. it's too full in here. You can't come in." And uh, he, he uh, then he got very uh, difficult with them. So this is what they claim happened. They said that uh, that he was told twice that he wasn't going to be able to access the club, and then. He wouldn't leave. That he was just standing in front of there and kept arguing with them. And they, they finally told him, "Look, you know, you can't come in. And if you try to walk in, you want to stand outside here. You can. But if you're going to try to walk in, you're going to be uh, uh, this is going to be considered trespassing. We're going to arrest you." So my guess is, after after he was just 
planting himself there and wouldn't leave, they probably finally just sent security up to say, just boot this guy out and tell him he's not allowed to come back because he was probably being a, a hassle. He wasn't uh, taking no for an answer. His attorney, however, disputes this. Joe Tacopina said the assertion that the Cosmopolitan denied Meek because of capacity concerns at the Marquis Day Club is outright false. In the recorded video, Meek also required by getting a meal at one of the hotel's restaurants, yet the security team continues to deny Meek and said he would be arrested for trespassing regardless of location in the hotel premises. The Cosmopolitan's conduct continues to be deplorable. So, I mean, that that doesn't really say much because, yeah, at that point they were kicking him out and weren't going to let him get food there. But what preceded that? I don't think they would have sent security to boot him out, you know, just because they didn't want a lot of black people there or because they, uh, uh, you know, they, they were racist or whatever it was. I, he did something that made them upset and, and that they felt he was a nuisance and they wanted to get rid of him. I think if they made a reservation for him at the club in some way and they knew he was coming, uh, and then they stupidly let the place fill to capacity, then that was a, that was a mistake on their part. They should have done something to make that right. Maybe put him to the front of the line and then tell him the next person that exits, you can come in, something like that. It looks like they kind of just told him, tough luck, uh, we, we screwed up, we, we let too many people in, you can't come in, and then he got really pissed, and there was probably a huge argument. They probably planted himself there and said he might just try to go in anyway, and they had to tell him, if you go, if you go in, we'll have you arrested. And the pro- It probably went on long enough to where they said, okay, you know what, screw it, just, just get the hell out of here, we don't want you here. So I, I see how this escalated, and I'm not totally defending the Cosmopolitan. It looks like they gave him some pretty crappy customer service. If this happened to me, I would have been pissed. And and um, now at the point they threatened to call security on him. Well, let me let me tell you before I, I go further in the story. I want to tell you about a, a similar story that happened to me at, at at a certain major hotel. I won't say which one, but this happened a number of years ago. It's not really important where, but but I had an incident where I went to go see a show with my new girlfriend, who was Benjamin's mom. That shows you how long it was ago. I, I went to go see a show with her. Actually, she wasn't my new girlfriend. She was she was pregnant. I forgot about that. She was pregnant, so she it wasn't that new. But we were about together about like a year. It was in 2010, and I attempted to go see a show, and the show had a specific deal advertised on their own website, on the casino's own website, for Las Vegas locals, which I was at the time, and I had a local, I had a Nevada ID, I had a place there in in Las Vegas. That's where I lived, and uh, and I wanted to uh, take advantage of this locals discount. So I, I showed up to uh, buy a ticket at the box office, and I I told them I want the locals discount, and they said, "Yeah, we're sorry, uh, that's been discontinued." And I said, what? No, look on your own website. They go, no, well, we don't know of this. I go, well, here it is. And I showed them on the website how you navigate on their own site to the page saying locals come down for a 25% discount. And I, I showed them on my phone. What they should have said at that time was, okay, you're right. We somehow didn't delete this from our website. Since you came down for this, we're going to honor it. But no, in the future, we're not giving it to you. That's that's what a reputable business does when they've printed something. In fact, I think they're required by law to honor a discount like that when they've when they've printed it. 
but whether they're required to by law or not, um, the, the reputable thing to do is say, okay, we, we, we should have taken this down, but since it was still up there, since we were still promoting the discount, even though it was supposed to have ended, we understand how the mistake occurred. It was on our end. We didn't take the page down. We'll take the page down now. We will give you this discount this one time, but uh, uh, have it known that if you come back in the future that this discount is not valid for you. And don't bother telling your friends for this because, uh, you know, we're, we're taking the page down tonight and anybody who shows up on subsequent days won't get it. That that would have been the reasonable answer. Instead, I was actually told by the manager of the box office there, a very obnoxious woman, told me that uh, I shouldn't believe everything I read on the Internet. And I said, what? It's your, it's your own site, though. You're telling me I shouldn't believe your own website? She's like, yeah, you shouldn't believe what's on the Internet. I go, so you're telling me I shouldn't trust your own website? Yes, I, I couldn't believe it. She was just obnoxious. She just felt the promotion was over, and she felt like I'm trying to get over on them. I, I really didn't know it was over. I, I went to their own website, and it said locals click here, and I clicked there, and the, there it was about the 25% discount, and that was part of the reason I decided to go to that particular show. So, yeah, they should honor it. I wasn't trying to pull a trick on them. And they acknowledged it was still up there. Anyway, I I wasn't being rude. I wasn't using profanity. I wasn't making any kind of threats. I wasn't getting in anyone's face. I was uh, being very businesslike in my arguments back and forth. But at the same time, I wasn't taking no for an answer. So what she said to me is... You're not getting that discount, and in fact, I want you to leave. I'm calling security right now. And I said, what? You didn't ask me to leave before this. <laughs> Why are you calling security? What did I do? I'm not creating a threat here. If if, if you're not going to sell me this ticket, and, and, you, and you're making me leave, then I'll leave. You don't have to call security. Why are you doing that? And she says, I'm creating a threat to her. I said, how am I creating a threat to you? First of all, there's a giant desk, which I can't even get to the other side of. <laughs> You're standing behind. You can walk back in your office in the back there if you want, if you feel that threatened. And second, I've, I've said or done nothing threatening. She's just trying to flaunt her power. That's what a lot of times casino employees will do when they're, they're done with an argument with you is threaten to kick you out through security. So I said, look, don't call security. I'll, I'll leave, but, but I'm just going to let you know. You have a boss. I'm going to be calling your boss and tell him the whole thing. That I am going to do. So goodbye. And I walked away. I called the boss, who was not there that day, but I talked to him the next day. He looked into it. He called him and said, you're right. I talked to other uh, employees here. They told us the whole story. They told me the whole story. She completely mishandled this. Uh, really, really apologized. And he gave me two excellent seats for free without me even asking as uh, to make up for what occurred there. He said the whole thing was completely mishandled and she was extremely rude to me and uh, he verified this with other employees that they, you know, they couldn't believe what was happening. So, uh, I have to, I have to imagine some of the other employees didn't like her too much. She, she seemed like an awful boss <laughs> from, from what I could tell of her personality. This kind of like this really bitchy, nasty, middle-aged woman. So, uh, I guess I had a happy ending, but I'm relating it to this because similar to my situation, like where I'm told something, mine was on a web page, but he was told this by a human being that they have, you know, that they're expecting him, and then he comes there and they say he can't, can't come in. I see why he's pissed off. Okay, so that part, if he wants to say they gave him terrible customer service, I'm right on board with that. They did, and uh, 
I think at that point his mistake was like where where she threatened me with security and I just said oh g- goodbye I'm leaving you know no need to do this I'm not I'm not creating a problem but if you think I am I'm going to leave and I'll take this up with someone higher later over the phone that was that's the right approach this guy this rapper probably is like no it's my right to be here no I said I'm coming in now, I, I I told this in advance I'm staying here you know I'm not leaving yet I I want answers and he probably just wouldn't take no for an answer wouldn't leave and that's sometimes you just got to leave and then take it up with management later. And sometimes you take it up with management and it fails and you just – there's nothing you can do except publicize your experience, which he actually has a big platform to do that because he's a, he's a rapper that apparently has some degree of fame. And, and, and shame him that way. That's a lot better than this whole thing about getting kicked. But uh, this this was uh, – he, he posted this to his Twitter. This it, it was entitled, Arrested for What? I'll play this to you. We'll get you that information. Yeah. You don't even have you that don't know information that information. in making that decision? Yeah, can you get no, that? Yeah. No, 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 stop. Guys, I, I'm not accusing you of doing anything, man. I'm, we just asked no, you what day everyone's trying to chip in and put their two cents in, right? So, again, I wasn't there. I don't know. This is way bigger than me. Obviously, you're somebody. Can you stop recording me? No, 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 absolutely not. Okay. Actually, go ahead. Record me. That's fine. Can you stop recording me? No, absolutely not. Okay, go ahead. Keep recording me. <laughs> Yeah, can we can we can we can we figure out this property? I hereby warn you that you're trespassing on this property. But listen up. As defined by the battery by statute two oh seven out two hundred. If you do not leave these premises immediately, you will be subject to arrest for a misdemeanor. For what? You're subsequent return to these premises for what? after being duly warned. Uh, arrested for what? Arrested for what? Do you understand this? Again. See this is where they're being too difficult. I've had this read to me before over Advantage Play. I've had them read this to me before, and then I don't go, for what? For what? Wait, why are you doing this? You have, you have a right to do that. No. I, 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 okay. I just sit there. They read it to me. I sit there emotionless. I keep my hands down so they don't, it doesn't look like I'm attacking anybody. Make sure that they can't attack me and claim I was attacking them. I keep my hands down on my side. I let them read it. I act very calm. Then when they're done, they say, do you understand or whatever? I say, yes. They, uh, they walk me to the door. I walk out very carefully and, and, and at the pace they want me to walk. Once I get out the door, then it's done. That's how you have to do it. You're not going to be able to fight this. Like you, there's no way he was going to convince this guy to change his mind. This guy's job is to come over and remove them. Read them that statement, which they read to anybody that they're trespassing, and then remove them and then have them arrest and then detain them for arrest if they will not go. That's his job. And what he said, this is bigger than me. He's right. They sent him to do this one job, not to reason with them, not to discuss if the ejection was valid or fair. His job is just to remove them. And I know that, too, when they've sent security. Um, you, you can't really debate it with security. You can tell security. If you're being removed for being supposed a threat when you're not a threat, you can tell them that. Um. I know somebody, it didn't happen to me, but I actually helped them with this situation. And in fact, when I assisted them with this situation and they actually got, the person who did this got fired, thanks to my assistance. I won't go into the whole story, but uh, uh, someone I know, a female, not not anybody I dated, but uh, someone I know, a female, uh, had the manager of a restaurant make a dirty comment to them when they complained about the uh, the size of a sandwich. You might be able to guess uh, what that comment could have been. <laughs> so he made a dirty comment, and right in front of the woman's husband, too, which was pretty amazing. 
So they, they got outraged over the whole thing, rightfully so. And instead of immediately apologizing, the uh, the guy just kept denying that uh, he did anything wrong and just escalated it further. And then when he got tired of arguing, he told them that if they continue saying one further word about this, that he's going to call security and have them not only kicked out, but kicked out of uh, the entire property and all of the properties owned by that company. And uh, the woman was very worried about this. So she left. So basically this guy made a lewd comment. This manager made a lewd comment. And then when they reacted to it, said, uh, you know, if you dare continue talking about it, I'm not apologizing. I didn't do nothing wrong. And if you dare continue arguing about it, I'm going to have you uh, thrown out for good. I can do that. And uh, let's just say I, I gave some assistance to this person because I was outraged when I heard the story and uh, I uh, got a hold of the uh, ownership of the restaurant and uh, that manager no longer worked there after that and uh, that was that and I the person who told me this was very reliable. You know, the, the woman who told me this never makes up this type of thing. So I knew it really happened. But that person tried to use security. So if, like, if security, and security actually did come over, by the way, and didn't throw them out, but this guy actually tried to. He actually tried to have them ejected over this. And, and, oh, the, and the, I left out a part of the story. The reason they weren't leaving is they said, well, at least give me your card and your boss's card, and then we'll leave. And then he wouldn't do that. And so they said, we're, we're not leaving until we have somebody to contact. And he wouldn't do it and, and called security and tried to have them thrown off all the properties to cover his own ass. That's why the guy was afraid that, that if, if, if the word got back of what he did, that he'd get fired. So, so he tried to have them ejected from the whole property. And uh, that's why he got fired. And it was, it was a justified firing, by the way. So some casino employees have been known to use security to uh, use, uh, to, you know, to justify justify or, or, or prevent reporting of their own failures. I, I just had it in, in Tahoe. Remember my story where the they, they couldn't tell me if they took rewards credits at one to one or two to one, and then in the middle of the thing, I was told that uh, they're calling security on me. I said, for what? What did I do? <laughs> why, is, why is this a security matter? I go, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. And and again, that person got in trouble. And again, that person was trying to use the security to prevent themselves from getting in trouble. It turned out they were committing a number of violations of, of the policy, including not informing the, the food and beverage manager that uh, that there was an altercation and that, that, that there was an incident there, which, which she was supposed to immediately do and conveni- conveniently didn't. And also she was supposed to come to him with any questions like about the reward credits that she didn't know and didn't do that. So it was, she, she didn't know something she was supposed to. She didn't want her boss knowing that. And then she tried to really get obnoxious to the customer, me, and then kick me out in order to prevent, uh, with through security, in order to prevent anyone from finding out about this. That's, that's what happened and. Uh, she wasn't the assistant manager anymore after this all got back to the food and beverage manager. So so sometimes the cover-up's worse than the crime. <laughs> That's the case in these two stories. But let's go back to this one here. Let's go back to this one. Um, here, I, I think that uh, 
this is probably a case of just they didn't want to take no for an answer. Yeah, you can tell by he's got his entourage there. Like there's a guy recording. There's there's Meek Mill himself. They're just being kind of aggressive. So like while I see their point and they did kind of get screwed here from everything I'm reading, at some point you've just got to say, okay, I'm going to walk away now, and then tomorrow I'm I'm going to make a big deal over this in, in a professional and reasoned manner with someone higher up and really make a big stink and see if they'll do anything for me to make up for what happened. And if they don't, then I'll, I'll blow them up on social media and tell the whole story. And, that, and that's a power people have, especially ones like Meek Mill who have a following. In fact, let me see. Uh, his Twitter is at Meek Mill. Let's see how many followers he has. I'm going to look that up. Uh, 7.8 million followers. 7.8 million followers. Okay. He's got 7.8 million followers. So after you get screwed over by the club at the Cosmopolitan and they don't honor some reservation they had that you had there and they fill up the place too much and can't let you in, that's the time you get on your Twitter and say, hey, look what the Cosmo did. And I'm sure, since they probably knew they were wrong and guilty there before he created the scene, they probably would have reached out to him and kissed his ass and invited him back and... Who knows? I mean, I bet uh, they would have more than made up for it, given his high-profile status. I don't believe this has anything to do with him being black. This is just, uh, they screwed up. He didn't like that they weren't resolving it right then. He created a scene, and they got tired of it and booted him. That's what happened. So there was, it looks like there was wrongdoing on both ends. They kind of created the problem, but then... Uh, and, and, and truthfully, what they, they should have done, and I don't know if they tried, they should have also tried to, uh, they, they should have tried to rectify it by saying, okay, we can't let you in now, but you know, you'll be the first one up to come in, or, or, you know, come back tomorrow and we'll give you such and such bottle service for free because this happened. That's what they've got to do, especially with someone high profile that can make you look bad later on on social media. But a lot of these things are mismanaged. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some idiot manager who was on a power trip, was like, nope, we're at capacity. Nope, we've had to deal with this. We already had to call the police earlier today to manage the crowds. Nope, you can't come in. Sorry, sorry. You know, we were we were going to let you in before. But, you know, we know about your reservation, but nope, sorry. Go away. Goodbye. And like, I, I can see how this happens. You, you have morons that don't really think of this from a customer service standpoint. They just think about the moment. He tweeted, they telling black rappers they are banned from properties they own without incident. They just told me I was trespassing and I will be arrested if I stepped in that hotel once at a Jay-Z party without incident. I don't know what he means by the Jay-Z party. Maybe that's what was going on at the club. I don't know. He, he uh, So he said, and they wonder why some of us lose our cool so quick. We'd be tired of being treated this way. I don't believe that's what it's about. I really don't. I think if he were white, it would have happened the same way. I think he's not even seeing. <laughs> that's the funny thing. He should be focusing on how they screwed him with not letting him in when they knew he was coming. That That's the good argument he's got here. Not this whole thing about being black. That's the funny thing. I think he has like a legit, a legit claim that they, they started the whole thing. It was their mistake that made this whole thing happen. And then... Like he should st- he should drop the whole racism angle because it doesn't seem to apply here, and he should stick to this narrative. If, if I were his publicist, I'd tell him this: drop the racism crap because that's not the story here. Start playing up that you had a reservation to be there, that they knew it in advance, that you were all ready to go there, 
you, they screwed up and let too many people in, caused a capacity problem, and they wouldn't solve the problem for you. And then when you tried to get an answer, they just told you, get out, you're trespassing. That, that's what he should push. That they screwed up, and then rather than fix it, they just didn't want to argue with him and threw him out. Even if that's kind of an oversimplification and making it, making them look worse than they probably deserve, that's the angle he should come at here. And that, that one they have to answer to. They've already admitted that he, he had some kind of reservation there, and they wouldn't let him in. So, so jump on that. He should hire me as his publicist. If you know him, tell him, tell him I'll go work as his publicist. Tell him I'll fix this one for him. I think he's got a valid complaint here. It's not about racism. It's not always about racism. You can, you can get bad customer service with no racism. I know that because I'm a white guy and I get bad customer service all the time. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. We're going to be done pretty soon. It's one thirty-six a.m. I've got to get my sleep pretty soon. This damn event is at 10 a.m. Only reason I'm even up this late is because I can't get up that or I can't go to sleep right now because I got up too late. But I'll get this all rectified. And 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 I've got got caffeine. I'm not afraid to use the caffeine. We're almost done with our agenda anyway. Last topic: party poker. Kind of interesting. They are not available in the U.S., but. I mean, they're trying to have a Nevada version. They're, they already have a New Jersey version, but we're not talking about that here. We are talking about party poker in the rest of the world that has not offered its services to the U.S. market in 13 years. They are going to be forcing people to change their screen names. And that's something that has never been done before by any poker site. This is going to happen... On June 17th, they're going to force everybody to change their screen name before being allowed to continue on the site. It is mandatory. You cannot change your screen name to the same screen name. It will deny that. And if you try to change your screen name to somebody else's screen name... They also will not allow that. That any previous screen names on the site will be disallowed for six months. So you have to come up with a new screen name that was never used on the site for the past six months. If you try to use anything that's been used on the site uh, from uh, six months from the day that, you're, you, that you log in and forced to change you, then you will not be able to use that screen name. They'll just keep denying you until you pick one that fits those requirements. It will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. So whoever gets in first during this uh, screen name change requirement, which is going to be at, uh, I think, uh, 10 a.m., is it uh, GMT? Something like that. You have to look this up. It's kind of unclear to me. I think it's like 10 a.m. GMT. But, uh, or maybe 9 a.m. GMT. Something like that on June 17th. 
Also, if you uh, log in during this uh, 24-hour promotion that they're having, you'll also get random prizes of up to $10,000 cash right after you choose your new name. But this will only go on for 24 hours. If you do it afterwards, then you'll have to change your name. You won't get any any kind of... uh, any kind of money for it. Not everybody's going to get money for changing their name, but there's a like they're just going to pick random people who get uh, free stuff. Why are they doing this? They are doing this because they are tired of HUDs, which keep track of users' play, where people have data on every player they've ever played against, all kind of advanced data metrics that allow them to figure out how to play against these opponents. How loose they are, how tight they are, how often they raise pre-flop, how often they raise, how, how often they uh, put money in the pot besides their blinds. It's called uh, voluntary put uh, put in pot VPIP. Um, river aggression, turn aggression, flop aggression. You have all these stats on them, so you can see how this person plays, and anything you see. From them, you can compare that to their normal play. So, for example, someone who has very low river aggression, who's betting a lot on the river, that probably means they have a big hand. Someone who barely raises pre-flop, if they're raising, they probably have a big hand. So you can you can uh, really use this stuff to your advantage. These have existed for a long time. So they are forcing people to change their names, which is kind of a middle ground between just the approach of letting people have the same names for as long as they want, which is, uh, in fact, in some cases, it's, they'll let you do one name change and that's it. That's like poker stars is like that. And then there's the approach that sites like Bovada have where it's just completely anonymous and there's no way to do any data mining. This is kind of a middle ground where they're just causing a reset. Any data you had before is now going to be gone. But people can start their new data. It's not clear how long it's going to be till the next forced name change. But there's some belief that they might be doing this again to continually cause trouble for those who are using these third-party tools. Some players are very angry about this, saying that they should not be doing this. And that uh, this isn't really their place to be making everybody change their names. That uh, at least make it optional, some players are saying. Don't force everybody. Some people like their screen names. They don't want to lose them. Some people have an identity kind of attached to their screen names. But nevertheless, Party Poker is going forward with it. Party Poker Managing Director Tom Waters said this client update is one of a number of initiatives that we are working on in order to provide players with a safe environment where they can play online poker. With this release, we will be making changes to our software that will prevent third-party tracking tools from working. We want our players to have a fresh start and therefore are asking all our players to select a new alias so that all third-party tool tracking is lost for our players. At the same time, we have some great promotions running, and I'm sure there will be a mad rush by players to be equal, eager to secure their new preferred screen name. How do I feel about this? I, I think it's good. I understand why people use HUDs. I understand they're trying to make as much money as they can. I've never used them, but I understand why people do. But I, I think 
that they're kind of unethical in a way. Um, it, it's kind of unfair to those that don't use them. And it really does break the spirit of what poker is. Because poker is about your perception. Think about it. That's what the game is all about. It's a, it's a combination of luck and your perception. You get dealt certain cards, which you can't control. That's just random luck. But then it's your perception of what to do with those cards. How much money to put in based upon those cards you have. Your perception of your opponents and the money they're putting in. Or not putting in. And then you take actions based upon those perceptions. And those perceptions include the type of player that you think you're up against. The mood the player you think is in. The number of chips the player has whether you're in a tournament or a cash game. Uh, Previous things you've seen from the player. And these are all things that you decide with your own mind. This is why if a guy is a crazy maniac and he goes all in pre over my pocket tens, there's a decent chance I'm calling him. If a tight rock goes all in pre over my pocket tens, if his uh, stack is big enough, I'm throwing away the tens because they're probably not good. And these are all from my own perception of these players. My own brain is figuring this out, just as yours is when you play poker. And what isn't really fair is to have a computer figuring this out, have a computer say, well, this person raises this percentage of the time pre-flop. That's a computer keeping track of things that your brain can't. Your brain can do it to some degree, but the computer's taking it to an exact level to where you have the exact numbers. And that's something the human brain can't do. And it's not fair to those who don't have those same numbers. So that's why any site that takes actions to prevent this stuff, I think, is trying to be fair to everybody. Now, they're not doing this to be nice. They're doing this because they want the fish to survive longer. But truthfully, the fish don't really survive anyway. The fish always bust. And what this really prevents more are the people who have the HUDs from winning as much and the people who are good but don't have HUDs from not winning as much. This allows those who are good players but don't have these HUDs to do better. In fact, maybe to do better against the other pros who do use the HUDs. So honestly, this really it really protects the pros more than the fish. The only way it really protects the fish for the moment is that the, the players don't have information on these fish right away to go sit with them. So they have to observe the fish playing or remember them from some other time they played them. But you get to know the fish, and once you... If you have a decent enough memory, you'll remember, oh, this guy was a fish. I remember he sat with me a few months ago, and he sucked. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, you can either remember the way he sucked, or you can quickly get an idea from watching him. Okay, he's too passive. Okay, he plays every hand. Okay, he's a maniac. Like you, you come up with in your mind very quickly, once you know someone's a fish, you come up very quickly with what probably is what makes them not good. And that's all totally fine. You do it with your head. That's totally fine. You, you have a computer telling you why they're not good. That's, uh, that's not fair because you're using outside tools to tell you these things. Now, I will admit, I'm not going to sit on my high horse here. I'll admit that back when poker table ratings was up, and that was analyzing cash play on most sites. I was using it to look up players I'd sit, up, sit with, see how much they're winning, see what their win rate is, all that type of stuff. It wasn't 
didn't tell me as much as the HUD did, but it helped me identify fish. Like someone who said I didn't know, and I'd, I'd look and I'd go, oh, this person's a winning player. Never mind, I'm not excited to play them. Oh, look, this person's been losing a lot. Okay, they probably suck. Like So I would use that. But um, this was a case where... If I first of all, it didn't really help me much with with play against uh, the opponents, like how to play them, just just pretty much deciding who to play. And, and second, um, this is what all my opponents were doing. They were doing it to me, and they were doing it to other people. And if I if I didn't, I would be at a disadvantage. But when a site stops all this, you can't really cry foul. Because they're just trying to make it fair. And the HUDs are unfair. They really are. I'm not saying you're a horrible person if you use them. I'm just saying it's not very fair. So the sites definitely have a ethical right to do things to make them tough. Make it tough to use them. And to ban them, to be honest. All right, that's it. In about eight hours, I'm going to be playing the Big Fofty. Day two. I'm excited. I'm going to try to come in with a realistic attitude. If I keep running it up and go into day three with an even bigger stack, great. If I kind of survive day two, but kind of just spin my wheels, go on to day three with just kind of an okay stack or maybe below average stack, I won't be very happy, but won't be devastating. If I bust, say I even bust before the money, you know, it happens. I realize that day two itself is just kind of an artificial stopping restarting point. There's nothing special about day two. It's just a continuation. Only reason there is a day two is because we can't play that long. So we just kind of paused. And then a day and a half later, we begin again. So I'm looking forward to it. If I continue doing well, then great. I'll be even more excited. If I don't, I'll say it's a letdown, but not a gigantic letdown. It's a $500 event. It's got a tremendously big field. You have to go very far in it to make big money. I realize there's a lot for me to still do. We will see what happens. You'll hear next week. Or you can follow my Twitter at Dandruff Poker and you will see what happens live. Or you can go to Poker Fraud Alert and look at the 2019 World Series of Poker Forum and look at the thread on the Big Fofty and you'll see my tweets showing up there if you don't want to bother with Twitter. You can even configure Twitter to notify you on your phone or text you whenever I make an update on that particular account on Dandruff Poker. You can do that too. Someone asked, someone has a piece of my package, asked if there's a way to unsubscribe from the whole thing from the events that I'm not selling or didn't sell to him. I can't do that. If you don't want to get the notifications or just turn them off or stop following that account temporarily. I hope it goes well. But I've been in this position before in the World Series where... I've got the great unknown in front of me, and then I say, well, by next week I'll know what happened, and sometimes it's a big disappointment. I've had other times where I'm going in without a lot of expectation, and it ends up great. 
we never know. I can only play the cards that are in front of me and do my best. And I tell myself that sometimes if something don't go don't go well, and I go, well, if I played it right, you know, that's the way it happened. What's funny is, you know, if I didn't lose my tournament ticket, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with a 682k stack. Everything had to happen exactly as it did for the cards to be exactly dealt as they were. So you know what? If I didn't lose my tournament ticket and showed up on time, I probably wouldn't have this stack. It's even possible that if I didn't have this argument at the All-American Grill, that I wouldn't have come back and kicked ass so much, just because things would have been a little bit different with the cards. If I had registered at a slightly different time than that 6.30 a.m. and got somewhere else, I would not have this stack. Very small chance it would have done better, but a very large chance it would have done worse, and even a fair chance I wouldn't be in the event anymore. So I'm glad I misplaced that ticket, and I hate to say it, but I'm kind of glad I was in the warehouse. I've got 682K. Let's see where it goes. Good night. Shalom.